we we simply haven't attacked the problem of the non-vaxxers who are causing a massive bump in the road on an otherwise brilliant strategy against the pandemic and we must attack them they're idiots because they're self-centered they're playing russian roulette with their own lives that's fair enough but don't play russian roulette with the rest of society which is what they are doing, okay? The first thing they say to the doctor as they're gasping for breath on the stretcher, can I have the vaccine now, please? And okay. we've been right. far too easy on these people, far too easy. If we can track and trace the way we do, well, when people are sent a an invitation to go for a, a vaccine, to go for a booster, and they don't respond to it, or they reject it, they must be on the record. If you decide that you don't want a vaccine or a booster, then you can decide not to go to hospital however ill you get. And that way, that is your right. So you would you leave the unjabbed at home to die if they had a heart attack, if they suffered from a stroke? That's their choice. If they're unjabbed... And you still haven't availed yourself of having the opportunity of the vaccine, I'm afraid you need your head read. You need your head examined because there is no reason not to get it. And, and, and that the idea that you know better than the medical professionals, that you know better than the scientists, is for the birds. You are a selfish individual. You are not only, you're, you are putting your friends, your family at risk. And to get vaccinated is, is actually part of your, it's, it's almost part of your civic duty. The nut jobs. The anti-vaxxers, dangerous obsessive. I don't want them sitting next to me in the theatre. I don't want them standing next to me at the theatre bar. I don't want them next to me or anywhere near me or even in the same carriage on the train. Frankly, if, if, you, if you're not vaccinated at the moment and you're, you're eligible and you've got no health reason for not being vaccinated, you're not just irresponsible. I mean, you're an idiot. Now, if we come round, knock on the door and you can show on your phone or you've got a letter or something, you've got an appointment, that's fine. But if you willfully oppose now, you're 40 and above, £100 fine in December, £100 fine in January, £200 in February, £300 in March. By the end of the year, you'll be spending about £1,000, and that might cut through your ignorance. I've had the vaccine. Essentially, can I now start to break the rules? Can I um, go and see my grandchildren? Can I do X, Y, and Z? And, and the answer to that is no. Hang on a minute, don't take her away. Hey, don't take her away! Don't take her away! Don't take her away, you bastard! You
can I um, go and see my grandchildren? No. All right, folks. All right, I'm running a little bit behind, and uh, we're still oh, short of short of people to do uh, a stream. Let me call the powerful John Brisson. See if we get in here. And I just seen our other guest. Second. Kick things off. Real, real soon, folks. Soon. Hey, Kev, Bo, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, John. I've just sent you a Zoom link. Uh, oh, I'm just about to. Um, could you click on that? That would be perfect. Of course. And uh, Robert, just joining right now. And. Um, uh, Hello, Robert. How are you, sir? Can you hear me? Seems your audio has connected. Can you hear me, Robert? Uh, yeah, we don't hear you. Yeah, it's not your mics. Yes, I can. You're, yes, I can. Okay. All right. You're a little All on right. the quiet side. On the quiet side. And I've got some echo <laughs> coming back. Let me move my mic a little bit. Back. And do you have headphones? Do you have headphones? Um, I can use some, I suppose. Um, I've got a mic here. In a second. Can Can you hear me okay on this mic? I, I can hear you okay on the I mic, but it's we've got mic, echo coming back. Echo coming back from your speakers. From your speakers. Oh, I see. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, let me see if I can use my headphones then. Let me turn this off. Good to see you, brother John. Uh, how are things? Doing well, Kevin. How are you doing? Uh, I'm surviving, you know. It's... <laughs> I apologize for running late. Um, in bed. <laughs> Yeah, I can understand that. I've been, um, you've been doing some really good uh, work lately with you and um, 
Nick. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm watching some of the streams that you've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. He's the. Uh... Of course, just, going after Copeland as well is as hilarious as always. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried my best. Okay, can you hear me on these guys? Yes, yes. we can. That sounds uh, that sounds great. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, okay. So, All right. today's discussion, everyone. Um, I, I I wasn't sure what to call it: classical versus Gnostic Christianity. I didn't I didn't want to load any more into the title to. Um, uh, Try, I, I want to try and be as neutral as possible. I'm a scientist here, so I'm just uh, hoping uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be a fruitful discussion. And so I'll try and maybe keep it a l- maybe somewhat formal. And um, most people here will be familiar with John. And so, Robert, as you are new here and the new guest, um, let's begin with you and... I'll ask a question, and then um, then we'll let uh, John uh, respond. So, um, with respect, I, I'm so I'm gonna this, excuse my ignorance, please. But my understanding of the Gnostic texts are that they were found much much later than the original canonical. Uh, New Testament texts, and uh, I want to say, are they not part of the Red Sea? Uh, no, not Red Sea. Um, the, 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 but they were found in a cave in Qumran. Is it something like that? Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls. The, that's that's. The talking, we're talking the Nagamati well, so, yeah. scrolls, which are different. Okay. But yes. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to make sense. And if if they've if they've been found so late, um, how can we how can we be sure of their veracity? All Christians. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you asked. Um, the this is kind of what what um, what I'm presenting here um, to uh, the people who watch my channel and to the people who are used to the things that I have to say. Um, this will all sound familiar, but to your audience, it probably won't. So I'll have to start kind of at square one. Uh, a couple of things. Um, I, I hear you say that you come from a scientific background. I sort of come from a background of atheism and skepticism. Um, when I was a younger man, before I became a Christian, I was uh, uh, somebody who was into a philosophy called objectivism, which I don't know if you know about it or not. Yes, kind uh, of uh, I'm, I'm Randian. I and Rand. Yeah, screw you, screw your neighbor as yeah. long as you get yours. Yeah, um, familiar. Something. Well, that may be something of a mischaracterization, but that that being said, um, the the idea was that you started with um, objective reality and you kind of moved from there. But I'm sorry, it was my little boy. Um, yeah, you have but to excuse course, it. The interruptions. That's okay. Oh, that's okay. This is going to be this is going to be wild and free ranging, I'm sure. But um, the 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 thing was that um, as a, as a person who was an atheist and someone who was a skeptic, I used to be somebody who was basically anti uh, religion, anti Christian. I thought somebody was just wasting their life uh, and their potential uh, being a believer in anything uh, just because you know the you know I, in my mind a religion was just something for you to like cope with uh, what happens to you after you're dead. 
you know, like uh, you don't obviously just want to stay dead forever. Right. Cause living is great. You want to be alive forever. Right. But then of course, you know, you want to be in order to kind of make yourself believe that you have to create all this, you know, fictitious, you know, whatever about it. Um, <clears throat> but nothing that I'm going to present to you is going to be subjective. It's going to be measurable. It's going to be quantifiable. It's going to be something that you can look at and say objectively, this is the entire strength of the presentation, which I'm is very what I I'm that, very interested uh, in Jerry, that, by the way, uh, Robert, I want to mention as a former uh, Gnostic who was well-versed uh, in the history and in Gnosticism and the Nag Hammadi library texts. Um, okay. I'm very interested to see uh, what you present because I, I it's interesting because, you know, I'm as someone who was a former Gnostic, okay, who is now, I guess, for mm -hmm. lack of better words, a Catholic. I'm not Catholic in the Catholicism church, but Catholic as in universal, you know, Christian or just mm -hmm. a born again Christian is what I would call myself. Um, so I'm definitely interested okay. to see exactly. I wonder if I'm going to throw you some curveballs. I'm just curious if I'm going to throw you some curveballs or not. It's going to be interesting. Um, but uh, you're probably throwing well, me some curveballs as well, too. So I'm definitely looking forward to this. Well, okay. So here's what I would have to say. Okay. So at least you're somewhat familiar with the text, then. So I can be probably a little bit freer, you know, talking about these things because I guess yeah, you're don't, used to don't, it. Don't worry um, about I me. I don't personally. Uh, I'm I'm here to like, I've I, I've got the understanding of the basics here. You don't have to give it like a beginner's class. Uh, you two can get in it. I'm just here to uh, stop the uh, stop the blood sports getting out of hand. Okay, so I don't uh, think there's going to be any. Blood no, sports. I hope not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, oh, but Robert, can I ask you a question though? Well, like as far as far as a, a, a Christian or Gnostic Christian, you know, what what would who would you say most closely represents your beliefs would it be manny would it be marcion like where i need a, a frame of reference well before you let know. me let me back up okay okay so let me back up so first of all i don't i don't because of the way that i start and it'll become a little bit clearer i think if 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 i can kind of start from square one but i don't i don't adhere to um quote unquote Gnosticism. I don't follow any schools or something. What I was going to say was something that's really not been taught and it's something entirely brand new. And it's something that, uh, well, I mean, it's old, but it's new to us. It's like something that I feel like was shown to me and I can show to you. It's something that I feel like some, for some reason has not been noticed. And yet once you notice it, you can't unsee it, but it doesn't have anything to do with with following Manichaeism or following, uh, you know, Valentinianism or any of that other, any other school of thought. This is something entirely different. Um, it's all based on, um, it's all based on uh, literary standards. Like, for example, um, when you, uh, let me back up. If you go to if you go to the, the canon, the 66 books, the ones that are the, the are the least controversial among Christians, you know, the, the ones that more or less everybody has in their Bible. Uh, and you just start from there. Um, there's this book that's sort of sandwiched between third John and the book of revelation called the epistle of Jude. Mm -hmm. And one of, favorite, um, one of my favorite letters. Uh, well, one of the most interesting things about the epistle of Jude is if you read verses 
uh, 14 and 15 of that book, uh, there's a very interesting quote. And um, it basically goes like this. It says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these men who are infiltrating the church, uh, saying, and then he goes on to get this lengthy quote out of the book of Enoch. He says, you know, behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed and all harsh speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. But if you break that sentence down literarily, because again, I'm going to talk about these things literarily, like you don't even have to be a believer. Like you could be an atheist, you could be a Gnostic or whatever. You know, we could talk about this as if you're talking about, you know, Huckleberry Finn or some other piece of literature, we can make a lot better progress. Because I'm not asking anybody to believe anything I'm looking at. I'm asking people to notice patterns and, you know, givens and things like that. Um, the statement is that evidently, Jude is asserting that this book is ancient because he calls him the seventh from Adam. So regardless of what your opinion is or is not, may or may not be, that seems to be his assertion and that seems to be his belief. Um, so from a literary standpoint, um, Judas seems to be asserting that he believes the book to be old because he calls him the seventh from Adam. No, I'm not saying he is or isn't. But is there a possibility that mm -hmm. Jude could be, and when he is referencing Jude 1, 14 and 15, uh, is it possible that it's not exactly from the book of Enoch in and of itself, which I'm well aware the Second Temple Jews, Second Temple Judaism was likely well versed in the book of Enoch. I'm not saying that they are not. Uh, Michael Heisner has done a lot of work uh, putting forth um, that hypothesis. Uh, but is it possible that it wasn't necessarily from the book of Enoch itself, but from some sort of lost um, Enochian um, oral tradition, uh, as well as we do you believe the book of Enoch itself, with which would be first Enoch is what we're discussing? Uh, would that be was that written by Enoch? Well, what I'm saying is this seems to be Jude's assertion. First of all, he names the site. He cites the name of the source. He calls it the Book of Enoch. He says Enoch also, the seventh from Adam again. But that could be oral tradition. He doesn't necessarily say book in the epistle. That well, could be oral tradition. But okay, here's the thing. Um, you can you can make all kinds of hypotheticals out of it, but I'm what I'm what I'm asserting is that there's a straightforward argument here. Um, that's not a hypothetical. The, the idea is that, well, that's an honest question. I'm being honest uh, here. As okay, I'm not does, trying to. Okay. As, so, as someone who does respect the book of Enoch to some degree, I believe there is some truth in it. That being said, though, there is a counter argument that is well established to Jude, who was the brother of Jesus, quoting from. Uh, the book of Enoch in that it was possible that he was quoting from some sort of um, Enochian tradition instead of what we have is the book of Enoch now currently. Um, that is a fair counter argument. Well, I, 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 I will say that the quote is pretty much exact. So whatever, whatever assertions that people may or may not uh, put forth as far as his sourcing of this book, it does match what we now have as the book of Enoch. The, 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 the larger point that I was making, and I think this is where you and I may, may differ, uh, you know, in that 
what I'm trying to do, and again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, to build uh, a logic so that people can see the logic. And it's, it's, it's going to be hard to build that with it just, with the, just the constant, you know, like, what about, what about, what about there's a, you have to kind of see the thing before you start picking it apart. Okay, the the argument that I'm trying I'll, to present I'll, is that I'll let a, you finish. I'll well, write down, I'll write down whatever counter, whatever questions or counter arguments I have. I'll let you finish. I'll let you put forth your thesis first. That's fine. Okay, so what I'm saying is that there's a couple of literary features that exist within the Bible. And again, this is directed towards Christians out there at large. Um, there, whatever evidence there may or there may not be for other sourcing or whatever, the simplest, most direct answer is that this quote is, is taken from this book. Uh, and if you read the book, if you read the very first part of the book of Enoch, as a matter of fact, one of the first things he says is the words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous who will be living in the day of tribulation when the wicked and the godless sort of be removed. Right. And he took up his parable and said, Enoch, a righteous man whose eyes were opened by God, saw the vision of the Holy One in the heavens, which the angels showed me. And from them, I heard everything. And from them, I understood as I saw, but not for this generation, but for a remote one, which is for to come concerning the elect, I've said, and took up my parable concerning them. And then it goes on and to explain about how the Lord's going to come and it does all this. And then it ends up where Jude nine or uh, Jude 14 and 15 uh, quote it. So the assertion here is that is that if you are a believer in the Bible, and this is what's this is what's important, there has to be some reason for this quote to exist. And what is the function of what is the function of this quote? Um, again, what what I'm trying to assert to people is that the function of this quote is to establish that number one, it, it is the source because he cites the name of the source, Zazina, and then he says that he is the seventh from Adam. So he's establishing its antiquity. Then he says that he prophesied. So he's establishing his prophetic nature. And then he gives this lengthy quote, which again, allows you to take and superimpose that against what's written in Enoch 1.9 and see that they're pretty much verbatim the same quote. Now there either is or is not some reason for this. And, and I think that that's where the, the subjective nature of this kind of comes into uh, a play because a person could be a hardcore skeptic. A person could constantly try and find a way to say, well, it could be this, it could be that, it could be, could be, could be, could be, could be. But what I'm trying to tell you is what it does say and why there would be, uh, why such a feature would exist. Because there's, 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 there's definitely more wrinkles in this. Like, for example, yeah, the, the, the book of Second Peter, for example, seems to be written around the book of Jude, for example, um, almost with, um, with phraseology and the ordering and everything. Um, if you've ever looked at those two books side by side, you'll see that there's a definite literary connection. But what I'm saying is that this is a literary um, argument that Jude's assertion is that this that this prophecy is ancient, that it's prophetic, that it bears on his time. And it also bears on the time of what he believes to be the Lord's coming, because he says the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his holy ones. So he's taking it out of the antediluvian age and applying it to his own age and applying it to the age of the future. Um, so, again, so that's just kind of the start of this whole thing. Um, but. But the thing about it is it, there's a there's a certain logic to it where, like I said, if you follow it, that gives rise to the idea that this this creates a mechanism for the reintroduction of this book um, at the end of time. Because when you read in the, in the book of Enoch where he it says it's not for his age, but it is for 
the t- you know the age to come or at the time of the removal of the wicked and the ungodly right that implies that there's going to be some sort of mechanism by which this book could be re- reintroduced if the book so of these Enoch are literary features that exist between the two books if well, again, you can try, like, and again, I'm not, no, I'm no, not I'm saying, saying that this if, is your assertion, but what you're trying no, to do is you're trying is, to undermine everything no, I'm saying with I'm, hypotheticals. No, because right? it's not, it's going it. okay, let me ask you this then, if that's true. Who wrote the Book of Enoch? Well, that's what I'm saying. In, in Jude's assertion, it is, it is Enoch himself because he calls him the seventh from Adam. Now, it doesn't matter whether uh, someone who is a believer or is not a believer questions that what i'm saying is that as a literary feature that, that exists matter? within that document it is his assertion but if he's well, not talking about the book of enoch in of, of itself if he's talking about some sort of enochian tradition which there's two ways of looking and i understand what you're, what you're but how do you know forth. the thing is is you can't say either or the absence of abs the absence of evidence is the evidence of absence it could be either or it, either one is could be correct and we really truly don't know <laughs> And I and I don't disagree with what you're stating about First Enoch. If it is legitimate, though, we don't know who wrote First Enoch because we we have no idea, um, which was why it was not considered canon within the biblical structure. And I'm not even talking about apocryphal works or anything like that. And I'm not going to say that the Second Temple Judaism or the early church didn't draw any type of influence from the Book of Enoch. Uh, if it's is that and not Enochian tradition, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, that's a whole other discussion. If the Book of Enoch in and of itself is legitimate, like the Nag Hammadi, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, scrolls uh, that were that were found and that were later um, translated and. Per- preservated and propagated by the Rockefeller family, by the United Nations and UNESCO. Um, and so, like, again, like, I understand the beginning of Enoch that is written at a future generation, that it will come to fruition close to the end times. And if it is legitimate, then yes, that would make sense. It would go around with the logic of what you're presenting. And I'm not really disputing that um, as far as does it say this and could that be true? Well, yeah, of course it could. I'm not saying that it cannot. But I'm saying they're all also logical. I mean, I myself am an INTP. So when we do have this discussion, I will be picking out every single flaw within your logic chain. That's what I do. And so, again, as someone who used to be a Gnostic, I did for many years, for close to a decade. But eventually when the certain people, and it was God showing me grace, started to poke holes in the subjectivism that I kept and one of those things being that the Nag Hammadi library being translated and and um, preserved and propagated was done by the very elites who I thought, you know, I would have nothing to do with. But my subjective religion was very close to theirs. It ends up, you know, when you have issues with, you know, the Guggenheim, you know, preserving it and being involved with it, too, as well with the Rockefellers, when you have. um the United Nations pushing forth it too as well. And I have issues myself with the Dead Sea Scrolls too. I go back and forth on them too. Um, but I'm not discounting what you say per se is, I'm just saying is there, you can't say I have divine revelation, which a Gnostic can say that. As a former Gnostic, I had my own divine revelation too. And say, 
I'm the only one that figured this out. And I know this to be true. No one else has figured this out before me, which I used to have that. I, I, and I, and just listen for a moment and discount when I bring up logical counter arguments. I used to hold the same position you did for many years, but I no longer hold that position. I used to argue the same way you, this is true. This is true. This is logical. This is how it all fits together. It's not subjective, subjective. Um, Again, if, I could, if I could interject here, if I, I just want to sort of summarize yeah, your, your position, John. So you, um, as a former Gnostic, I guess, being too rude. Um, you're not being rude at all. Uh, you're saying that the reason that you, or, or part of the reason that you stepped away from that more towards canonical Christianity is because the involvement of the power elite families in their preservation and promulgation. Translation of, of propagation. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, of, of these texts. Um, is, is that the primary reason? Uh, that's not the primary reason, but that was one part of it. The other part of it was actually learning the historicity of the reason why we have the canon that we have and the amount of manuscript information that we have of the specific books that we have within the New Testament. Now, I am aware that Marcion uh, um, was who first tried to attempt to um, bring together some sort of canonization of the Bible. Um, and most people get it wrong when they say the Council of Nicaea, for example. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. But, uh, later keep, on, had anything quiet. to do with the canonization of the Bible, which is simply not true. Um, but the thing is, is, is uh, <laughs> the thing is, I, like I used to, you know. Okay, you so let, let, me, let, me, let me ask a question to Peter. So yes. um, th there's, there's a very specific objection from John that, um, it's involving, or its promulgation in the modern sense, involves essentially what could be defined as bloodline families. Um, That's correct, yes. Uh, blue bloods, uh, they're not popular around uh, our way. Um, what what would be your retort to that, In rather than sort of trying to find the proof of the consistency in the text, what about that specific objection? Peter. Wow. Okay. So here's the thing. This is what this is what makes it really difficult because we could get into hypothetical after hypothetical after hypothetical. I understand what you're suggesting is that there is corruption, that there is politicization, there's all of this stuff that that you say is the case. What I'm saying is that that, for example, if you look at the Book of Jude, Jude in and of itself, antedates the modern era. It exists from the beginning of the Christian age. And ostensibly what we have from, uh, from Ethiopia, again, we don't, there, there's no way you're ever going to have a perfect pedigree of some of these documents, many of these documents. Um, and so to your point, I mean, there's always going to be the question of how are these sourced? Where did they come from? That's what right. I'm suggesting is that, is that, is that when you when you start to insist upon these hypotheticals as being co-equal with what is in front of your face, that will create a wedge that honestly you can't you can't make progress because what you're doing is injecting questions and injecting doubt, which however legitimate they are or or, or are not, they they obscure the fact that what you have before you, right, 
exists as something that you can make something out of. And again, for every point, you could inject questions, you could inject hypotheticals, you could inject a lot of things. But the problem with that particular approach is not only that, that you can't make progress in it logically, it's just that if, if there is a larger, bigger picture, you know, you can never really arrive at it because okay, so, you're constantly um, shooting at. John, the, let, me, let me ask you this question. Why... Why specifically the objection of these um, bloodline families doing the promulgation? Where do, where does the um, what's the foundation for that objection? Foundation like the proof of it, or uh, yeah, why 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 the concern that the Guggenheim would be? Well, um, I mean, do you trust the Rockefellers? Do you trust the United Nations? <laughs> I mean, uh, I me mean, me personally, no. Um, but I mean, United Nations puts forth, you know, with their ally with Lucius Trust, for example, and Alice Bailey, they put forth and propagate um, numerous new age uh, ideologies and beliefs. Right. Like they counter signal against directly uh, Bible believing, you know, born again Christianity. So, the, you know, they, they stand antithesis to it. Right. So they're injecting doubt. Um, in doing so by, you know, standing by through UNESCO. Um, I mean, also, I guess someone else I could add to is Carl Jung Institute and Carl Jung ended up himself being very much involved within the, you know, uh, the Nag Hammadi. Uh, now he tried to keep it pretty much through within the Institute and later UNESCO is the main reason why we have it propagated out with the help of the Rockefellers. Um, I mean, Elaine Pagels. When, when, when you say propagated out, are they hmm? is is this as a new Bible or just that they've got these historical documents, not looking at them in a religious sense, and they're just curating them and looking after them um, because you know? Oh uh, well, to, you have Rockefeller fellows and scholars like John D. Turner and Elaine Pagels. Elaine Pagels wrote. Many, many books. Uh, I mean, she was one of the reasons why um, I had became a Gnostic to begin with, other than the Zeitgeist documentary uh, and going down the truth or rabbit hole. Uh, you know, so Lane Pagels has numerous best-selling New York Times books that you can find easily on Amazon. You can find them easily uh, at Barnes & Noble, the local bookstore. You know, you would go to the religion section and they'll be with the Christian books, even though they're not Christian. And so, you know, again, that's a propagation, right? Because you're like, oh, okay, well, hey, here's another gospel. Is, is, that, is that not I feel bad because Elaine Pagels lost. Academic, no, no. There are a lot of laymen that read those books too as well. They're very popular, um, very, very popular, especially Elaine Pagels' books. Not really John D. Turner's works as much. That's more scholarly. scholarly. But Elaine Pagels' books are very, uh, they, they, I mean, they're New York Times bestsellers. I mean, they're not just, you know, academics looking at her work and reading her books. These are average people, uh, including myself. I mean, I was not an academic at that time and I'm not currently today, but, you know, it's, it's you know, I was, I'm still, you know, I don't have a doctorate behind my name. I'm just an average person. And this was before I even took, you know, Orthodox Christianity or, you know, Orthodox meaning classical or whatever, um, thinking it was legitimate, you know, and so I, again, like you can walk into any bookstore and find her works and her works are being funded. Like she thinks 
the Rockefeller is almost in every book. I mean, she's won numerous Rockefeller awards. The, one of the main reasons why this is propagated is by the United Nations and by um, and by um, the Rockefellers. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't even know about these texts. And I mean, now we can go further into, okay, so from the timeline of when the Gospels were written and the epistles were written uh, until we have the Gospel of Thomas, there's an argument of whether the Gospel of Thomas is the Q Gospel, which is very interesting enough they use that, right? In the QAnon operation, people kind of push that as kind of like, it's this sayings gospel, it's the Q Gospel, they're one and the same, the New Age funnel people in, as well too. But most scholars they argue against that being true um it seems to be roughly anywhere between 140 ad to 200 ad roughly uh maybe even further to 250 if you want to push it out that far for the gospel of thomas um, so I've, and, I've got i've got a question for for peter because i want to try mm -hmm. and build a, a of course. bigger bigger or well, thirty thousand foot view before we get into the um nitty-gritty discussions about the the text so um, Peter, eschatologically and metaphysically, what is it about the Hamagadi uh, texts? The what is it? Nagamadi, Nagamadi texts. Yeah. What is it that okay. makes them differ from the canonical Christian texts? And what extra would it give a canonical or orthodox Christian to take those on board? and implement them okay. in practice and how would they be implementing okay well let me let me let me first of all say i i think that we're all sort of coming at this from totally different angles and i and i and i i think that what yeah you, you're gonna get a very scientific so, reductive it's so unusual and so alien to what's been taught i, I would say that it has really no relationship whatsoever with what's been taught before and you know, I would I would demonstrate that um, if I could, um, at so least I, in a so couple just, places. Uh, like before, when I was talking about, I, I'm going to interrupt. Uh -huh. I'm sorry, sorry. So, um, when we're looking in scientific literature, we we try to look for internal consistency with models and hypotheses that move across time, so you can track uh, the experiments that have been done, and you can see where a result would fit in. Now. Um, when you say it's so alien to what's traditionally mm -hmm. been there, you would, mm -hmm. in the scientific realm, you would say, okay, this is uh, the emergence of a new, a new theory, a new paradigm, and I, I guess the most, or the best example I can think of is is the Whoa. emergence of quantum theory versus classical theories in physics now this that's fine to have a hypothesis and a paradigm breaking um idea and new framework but in scientific terms you have to have experimental data to to back that up so what's it, mm? if you could make the uh analogy what's what's the experimental data that would support your position that we have something okay new and um framework breaking okay so so here's 
here's the here's the point I was trying to make earlier, and I think to me this is crystal clear. But I don't know if I need to reiterate this. But the idea is that if you're going to treat these these books from the inside out, in other words, look at them from a literary standpoint. Um, you, you can bring all of this other stuff into it, and I can understand why you'd want to do this. But but literarily, literarily, what I'm saying is, for example, with the case between Jude and Enoch, is there is a literary relationship between those two books. The one is saying uh, that he believes in a book that is outside of the canonical scriptures. And again, I understand there's questions as to whether this is the book of Enoch itself or whether it's you know some kind of tradition or something. But the, but the truth of the matter is the simple, straightforward answer and the one that you'll get from most, um, most scholars, as a matter of fact, that this is, in fact, that, that book, that he's quoting that book, that that book was in existence at the time. There may be changes to it. They, obviously, there's different manuscripts that exist. If you go and you look in the Ethiopic and even the Ethiopic versus the Greek texts or whatever, there are minor differences. But by and large, they are the same book. And, you know, the, that they came up in different times and different cultures or whatever words will change and things like that. I mean, there's, there's always going to be that. But what I'm saying is that there is a literary, like a language, like a, a language that exists within these books that if you pick up on this language, it's telling you something entirely different from what tradition has been telling okay, so us. I, I, I just it's telling to us clarify. something counter to what tradition has been telling us. I, I need to ask a question here. So just to clarify, you're saying that the, mm -hmm. there's an internal language like we would expect in mm -hmm. scientific manuscripts and um, theorems that yeah. that applies to this text that got found, uh, whatever it was, 80, 80 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the right. next, the next, the next part of my question is for me is the important one. What, what, does it bring that enables us so quantum mechanics enables us to describe reality in in a very very accurate way and when you're looking at subatomic particles that classical physics did not do what if you sum it up in two lines what is the the new precision that the document itself brings that a, a christian can make the fine-grained calculation of the substrate of his philosophy rather than reality in this sense? Uh, okay. Um, wow. So uh, I don't know that I could fit it in two sentences. I'm trying to... Uh, not just two, but just like a, 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 picture, a summary. Yeah, the, big... the, the big picture is that the big picture is that there exists a mechanism within the canonical scriptures that allows you to understand from the level of literature, literary uh, elements, that there is a literary language that underlies both the canonical scriptures and the non-canonical scriptures, and that's the least common denominator between the two. In other words, if you're able to find the language in the canon and you're able to apply the language in the non-canon, that destroys the barrier between the two, and that takes okay, on a whole I, I get other that level part. of I get insight. That part. What extra does it add to the because Christian worldview? Because it shows that people were – because it shows that the tradition was wrong. See, like just at, on the level of the parable, for example, you, we all know about John the Baptist when he comes and he says, hey, listen, the axe is laid at the root of the trees, right? So when you, when you speak metaphorically, what does root mean? What does tree mean? 
you know, what is the, what is the, what does it mean when he says the, the ax is laid at the roots of the trees, right? So the trees are teaching, right? Like the trees of the knowledge of good and evil, for example, it was a teaching, right? And if you, if you understand how to, to decode these things, you understand that he's saying that your teaching is, is vulnerable at its very roots. If you can attack the canon, the, just the very concept of the canon and show that it's not relevant by showing that the books that are inside of the canon and the books that are outside of the canon share a common language and you destroy the roots of Christianity by so doing. Uh, okay. Um, it still, Bye. it still doesn't answer my question, which is, what does what does what new concept does it bring? What what does what behavior does it add to? Is someone? that an old concept? <laughs> um, I, I'm just like I'm I'm trying to sort of <laughs> abstract it out into for people who are um, not immersed in these texts all the time. And so what I would what I mm -hmm. would look at is what I don't know ritualistic behaviors does it add to christianity or what metaphysical because, because what it uh, other other than saying that the history is wrong what what is there new well because it it is well what it does is it establishes see okay so the the, the, the christian mindset as we have it now all right just just all across the board is that is that if you belong to a Protestant church or you belong to a Catholic church or you belong to an Orthodox church or you belong to a Unitarian church, whatever, whatever the case may be, you have different canons and you have different bodies of teachings, right, that are concomitant with each, right? But if you can demonstrate that, that, that they're written according to a common language and one can, that can be discerned and shown to follow literary rules. I mean, these are rules like similes, parallelism, metaphors, very common kind of things. Like, you know, when, when we, when we do poetry or we write songs or something like that, it's the same basic, same basic thing. Um, once you can determine that this, this is speaking beyond itself and you can establish rules as to how to find these keys and to understand, like when, 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 when they ask Jesus, how do you interpret, for example, the parable of the sower? Right. He does word substitution. The seed is the, the word of God. The sower is the son of man. He, he's able to take and say, look, this means this, this means this, this means this. It's very algebraic and very scientific. Uh, yeah, right? okay, so so um, if, if you can discover um, a way to find these keys that exist both in both sets of books, it undermines the teaching of the canon and it establishes a new basis upon which to upon which to build. A belief system. Yeah, so for, you still. I'm sorry to sort of nitpick on this particular point, but um, what what new behavior does it add to Christians in their in their faith? You know, I, I don't know. For example, say you you suddenly think that Islam is a more accurate doctrine, so now your day of worship becomes uh, Friday. Right. Is there is there an external manifestation in Christian behavior that the acceptance of these Nagamadi texts adds? Yeah, that's that's the question. Is that something discreet? It conflicts. It conflicts. Well, I mean, it's not it's not going to add a new a new way of worship. It's not going to add a new way of what it what it what it does is it pulls you out of a, of of a delusion where you have this outside in or top-down 
perhaps version of things where like you you have some authority that says hey listen these books are in those books are out and 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 it does so somewhat arbitrarily maybe educated guesses maybe they're you know maybe they're sincere but they're not based on they're not based on this uh this language that exists between the two so okay, I, so, I, maybe so. I'm not understanding the confusion because this establishes a different basis out upon which to build your June. understanding. So out of two you, passages. You, you, well, no, out of more John, than two John, passages. So I've got questions. Well, first for John. of all, first of all, if if you follow, yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, so you say, John, you say that it conflicts with the canonical Christian texts. So my question to you is, um, if you take on that confliction, how does it? I guess warp your outward expression and internal thinking about Christianity. Can you? Well, well, I mean, the Book of Enoch in and of itself can be argued whether it does or not. That's a whole other discussion. Um, but if we're talking, but I don't lump that in with the Nag Hammadi scrolls, obviously. I don't, they're not one and the same. And there's certain mm -hmm. uh, apocrypha, uh, whether it's the Episcopal Barnabas or um, not the Gospel Barnabas, the Episcopal Barnabas, um, and First Clement, um, which I don't think is should be hold as the same level of scripture. But I do. Um, hold it to some esteem and, and enjoy uh, those writings. Um, and so, um, you know, but I mean, okay, so I guess to answer your question there, um, there's, as far as salvation is concerned, there's roughly, if you're going to group it, roughly three ways in which someone is able to obtain salvation through the various religions in the world okay so the first would be by what you know uh which would be considered to be gnosis if it's secret knowledge or knowledge that was channeled or given to you or knowledge that you came to but someone else doesn't have that knowledge uh and we can you know read the beginning of the you know the book of you know thomas or gospel thomas has it that you could we figure out it's a gospel, you know, it's a Gnostic gospel just by the, you know, the two very first two sentences that are in the gospel and above itself. Okay. And so then you, of course, have workspace salvation, which means I can attain at the afterlife by doing good works, whether good works that quote unquote please some sort of God, or, you know, whether it's through rituals or whether it's through, um, Going out preaching, or whatever, preaching the word of the, the Lord or works that you could do uh, for your fellow man. Okay. And then of course there is the, what separates, I believe Bible, you know, believing born again, Christianity from the rest of all of the religions and that we are saved by our faith in God, not through the works that we are able to do in and of themselves, okay? Uh, and not by some secret knowledge. The gospel is very easy to understand, and it's very, you know, it's it's out there. It's available, okay? You know, I mean, we're commanded by Jesus Christ through the Great Commission to go preach the gospel, right? So the gospel in of itself, the gospel message is not complex. It's not secret. It's out in the open. And that's a form of grace that God shows among many other forms of grace that God shows to us. Um, and, you know, and, 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 you know, faith comes from hearing the gospel, from hearing the good news. Okay, okay. so... And um, so though, though, and so the Nag Hammadi library, I guess I'll finish. Majority of the texts that are within there conflict with the 
you know, grace, faith, gospel message of Bible-believing Christianity, where instead it's either secret knowledge that was given to disciples that were handed down to adepts, uh, like the Apocryphon of John, for example, or it's um, kind of works-based um, uh, by things that you do, uh, whether to serve your fellow man or to serve some unknowable God. Um, and so, you know, that separates, again, they can't be compatible, right? Because the Bible says we are saved by God's grace through our faith, not of our works by any man shall boast. Okay. Paul wrote that, which was, you know, Paul, you know, within the Holy Spirit being within Paul. Divinely so, so, inspired so scripture, the word of your, God your, wrote that. Your objection. Well, I, I, I'm just trying to clarify my mind, uh, Peter, just one second. So your, your objection being that um, any a, anything that would fall within the domain of um, subjective, your subjective understanding that, you, that the person's own brain is tuning into and they think that they believe that they've hooked onto some, I don't know, vibration or frequency that says, yeah, you're, you're seeing God in a, in a new way. Um, that, that's, the, that's the flaw in your mind rather than, rather than them going to church in regular fashion, doing charitable works, etc. All those are fine. It's that philosophical and uh, revelatory component which is uh the objection here i mean that's part of it the bible well, says if any man preaches another gospel uh let them be accursed uh but yeah i mean i would i would say you know there is only way to be saved there's only one way to receive eternal life which is faith in god the father and jesus christ which leads a person to be regenerated, which leads them to become born again, which is a standard uh, belief of most born again Christians ever since okay, okay. Um, Jesus so, Christ. So, so Peter, you know, um, since Pentecost, and Jesus was preaching this, but since Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came into people, stuff like that, and they were able to understand the revelation, uh, of, uh, you know. And so, but yes, I mean that's how people are saved. It's in the gospel. Sure. It's plain. It's available to all men. And anything outside of that, you know, and there have been parts of the church and, you know, that that have added or taken, try to add it or taken away or tried to change that simple message. And I understand that. And I'm not here to say that that's not the case because there are many people that try to interject kind of like a faith plus works uh, aspect or a faith plus knowledge aspect to being saved, uh, which I believe is not true as far as we're talking about the basis of Orthodox Christianity. But yeah, any type of secret revelation uh, for one of my biggest primus examples would be um, uh, Joseph Smith, right? In the Book of Mormon, uh, that you know that he got his divine revelation um, from angelic beings, for example, um, in the golden plates. Okay. Okay, I think we've got the point. So I want to let Peter step in here. And so, it's, it's, so yeah. the objection being that there's a, um, uh, yeah, this, this subjective feeling of revelation that you think you found. And, and I'll put it in these terms. If I eat a, because these are, elements that are more easily measurable by science okay 
I, I would understand it this way. If I give someone a psychedelic that changes their brain state such that they have a religious experience, which is common in those settings, my understanding would be that John would be suspicious of that type of Very much so, yes. conversion. In the past, where, I would not, but I would now. Yes. Yeah, whereas perhaps you, Peter, would be open to someone who's um has that type of revelatory experience and you you will would accept it is that is that a fair um assessment okay my my basis is is based on um what these things say like for example when you when you were saying that, uh, about faith and not knowledge there are a couple of there are a couple of foils to that in the canon itself like for example when you, jesus says that my people perish for lack of knowledge he also says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free or you read in second peter for example where it yes, says that the truth of god um, that that it says that we've changed that people have obtained a like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, our savior, Jesus Christ, um, grace, uh, peace, and be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. So there's, there's knowledge is a pathway that is acknowledged within but you're not the canonical saved by scriptures that. for one thing. You're not saved by that though. It's it, it, well, the, they, you obviously have to, you obviously have to have knowledge. I'm not arguing that I'm arguing as far as a path of salvation. It's not knowledge. It's faith. It's ultimately believing in God because there's people, for example, who can't obtain well, that knowledge what is it, what is who are mentally handicapped, for example, who are saved by God's grace and mercy. Hey, Peter, please respond. Okay. So, Okay, it's 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 Robert for for whatever. What did I say? That being said, that's okay. But it's okay. But but (laughs) Robert, please. So you guys are just like throwing the kitchen sink at me here. It's it's very simple. Um, it it, everything is what I'm saying is arises out of tech, and 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 to say knowledge is probably not the best way of putting it. I would put it as insight or uh, uh, observation. Like, for example, what I was saying about there being a common language, right? For example, uh, keys and uh, knowledge can be can be discerned through simple literary features such as metaphor, such as parallelism, such as simile, uh, such as even process of elimination. And I can flesh some of these things out for you so that we kind of get a better sense of what it is that I'm trying to say. Uh, because this has nothing to do with, with you know, subjective, whatever. It's like these rules exist, and if you plug them in, they work. So you could literally just, you, once you find a key, like you could literally just search and replace or whatever, and you'll you'll see throughout the scriptures, for example, how the, the, the meaning of it points to what it is that I'm indicating. Like, for example, when in the, in the, in the book of Jude, where it says, uh, he's making the Enoch quote, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000s of the saints, right? So you have the behold, the Lord cometh with part. And then like in Revelation, where it says, behold, the Lord cometh with clouds, right? So you have the same stem, right? With the two different endings, clouds and 10,000s of the saints, right? You see the parallel there? And then you could also get it by way of, of metaphor. Like for example, in the book of Hebrews, where it says that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, right? So you have the ideas that clouds, represent witnesses in in this language 
right? Because again, he cometh with clouds, he cometh with 10,000 of the saints. So that's one derivation by way of parallelism. The other der derivation is by, uh, is by uh, uh, simile or metaphor, you know, um, which is to say we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So that's by way of metaphor. So these are just simple literary features. And that if, you, if you're able to make that connection that you could draw out these keys by means of that, then you start to see that it's a picture language. And because it's a picture language, it doesn't go through all of this nuance like, you know, philosophical stuff or whatever. It's just hard, concrete pictures. And it's, you know, like when he says about the, so, the son of man, the sower is the son of man, the, the seed is the word of God, the field is the world. You know, he, he's making simple word substitutions. And so if you come to learn that you can do this, like, for example, like I said, through, through simple rules, such as parallelism, metaphors, whatever, that they basically work. Um, I, I can give you another example. I, of, I've, um, I've got the example. So, uh, move, I will, I, to move okay. on to, because um, I'm, I'm still I'm still trying to get down to what is the sort of knockdown, um, emergent, uh, new emergent property that comes from this text. And like I said, I don't I don't have a dog in the fight either way. Um, hey, Kevin, can I ask Robert a question real quick, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, Robert. Um, how do you how do you how do you believe okay so could you please because i don't i don't necessarily know i mean you're we're well aware of basically what i believe knowing of basic you know christianity but i don't know exactly what you believe like 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 what do you believe like how do you like what do you believe as far as salvation is concerned what do you believe as far as the nature of god and who god is uh, what do well, you believe? The book of Jude, for example, he talks about this. The, the very first thing he talks about is the salvation. He says, the servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, um, and to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Um, and he says, when I first wrote to you uh, of our common salvation, right, He's talking about common salvation, not individual salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered unto the saints. So when he makes that assertion, he's tying the idea of salvation uh, to, um, to this fight that we're supposed to fight for. And among the books that he brings up are these apocryphal books. So the, the question sort of is an open question. Why is it that in, the, in his argument that we have to fight for this common salvation, right? He talks about people who have crept into the church unawares, but who's right? He, who's and he, he talking speaks about? against them using, but, he's, but he speaks against but them using apocryphal books. But who's his letter to, though? From an exegetical standpoint, not from an eisegetical standpoint, who's his letter to? Who is he writing to? The letter is to the letter is to whoever will come to understand it. No, the saying. letter is because, he, no, because listen, no, 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 me, no, 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 Not when you use proper exegesis, that is not true. His letter is to born again believers such as himself and the body of Christ at that time, and to anybody who reads that epistle later in the future who's a born again Christian. That's who that letter's to. 
that's who believes in that common salvation is what is the gospel of what is preached, not something different when you have polemics against Gnosticism as early as John, um, you know, within the Bible in and of itself. So that can't like, again, like you didn't answer. What do you believe? First off, I can easily make a statement of faith. Second, we talked about symbolism and allegories I mean, as a Gnostic, that's what I used to use to interpret the Bible instead of plainly reading it and exegeting the text within context. And that causes a lot of issues when one does that. Um, and then, you know, I mean, like, I but John, used to can think I, can exactly I ask, what, like, what, what issues does it cause? Because you start inserting your own interpretation into the Bible compared to what the Bible actually plainly says. And so it's called eisegesis. No, it's what I'm telling you is to... what it says. He he says. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. You're not reading within context. He's, he's saying, writing to a body of believers. That we this... know that to be true through the exegesis of what he's saying. Okay, so uh, Robert, please uh, respond. Let me get some. Obviously, I can't I can't do anything here without being just constantly shot down and interrupted. I'm trying to complete a thought here. Okay, so number one. He's he's using he's using these books, right, in his defense of why it is that we should contend for the faith. So maybe maybe John, maybe you can explain to me why he uses the assumption of Moses and the uh, book but of Enoch. But that's not all he uses. The, uh, he briefly quotes those. He briefly that's if he's quoting the book of Enoch and the assumption of Moses. We don't currently have. Well, are um, they in the canon? Why is he quoting stuff outside of the canon then? Why did Paul quote Greek and Roman I mean, philosophers? Like, just because are well, they supposed well, to be didn't... part of the Bible too, as well, or was he just taking from certain parts? You know, were were were, were these men who were you when, know divine? You know, were inspired says, by the Holy Spirit to says, write the Bible when they were taking certain parts of things to be true, but the whole entire thing isn't true, and they're using it to make a case to whomever they're speaking because to. Jude was speaking to born-again believers, and most of them were, quote, Jewish converts that would have known of the assumption of Moses during the Second Temple century, would have known of the Book of Enoch if it existed during the Second Temple century, okay? So if that's true, and it wasn't, Jude wasn't talking about oral tradition of Enoch, which they would have known as well, too, then you can't just you, you're 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 again. This is eisegesis. You're saying you're you're built you're building your belief system over specific divine revelation. Which again, I ask, what about the people that didn't know of this previously beforehand? Were they saved? Because you haven't mentioned to me how a person you know gets salvation yet. You haven't answered that question. So I don't know if anybody before you were they. How did they get get salvation if they didn't know your specific divine, um, you know, interpretation of the scriptures? And I would assume too. Now I could be wrong about this, but I do have a question, Robert. I actually might own your book. Did you write a book that categorized the Nag Hammadi library text among other books of the Bible to make a new canonization of the New Testament, or am I incorrect, sir, and you're not that same Robert Farrell? The, the only book that I wrote was something called the Super Gospel, which is a combination yes, of all I used the to... ancient Gospels. Okay. I'm aware of your work then. Um, actually, probably could okay. go into my closet and dig out a copy of it somewhere. Um, yeah, I, yeah. 
<laughs> this, 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 send this it off and get a signature, John. This is interesting now, John. Okay. Uh, because, but you, but again, like, how how was anybody before they read your super gospel? Okay, let's say even before I read it. Okay, how has anybody ever been able to reach salvation? See, that's not really the point that I'm trying to make. Nothing, nothing in this has to do with with you have to know this or you're going to burn in hell. Okay, there's not at all what I'm trying to assert. What I'm trying to assert is that we've been on this crazy train for 2000 years of of a myriad different churches and a myriad different teachings. Right. And what I'm saying is that metaphorically, the axe is laid at the root of that tree, because the fact is, when when Jude starts talking about our common salvation and he talks about these people who have crept into the church, who have subverted it. And the point that I was trying to get to earlier was the fact that. That well, he's you, talking but about again. That again to use your term. That's 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 imposed. That's what you call eisegesis, right? That's is, where you're well, assuming that's not, okay, that you're right. Gnostics using that he's Gnostics, talking yes, about. But he's he doesn't mention people, them by name. He's, so you're, but he's using. But he's talking about people who preach a different gospel than what was given by Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking. He's about. He's talking about the people who took over the church. You you mentioned John where, earlier. Where does Remember he say specific, what John does he specifically when, say that? Where does he say specifically say that? Because if you actually the test, he's talking. You're right. I shouldn't have used the labor. Well, let me ask you incorrect. something. If he's calling, if he's calling, if he's calling Enoch a prophet and the church is not, why is the church at variance with him? If he's saying that 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 it's ancient and prophetic and the church is not, why is the church at variance with him? It's clear that we've we've ended up with a church that disagrees with what Jude is asserting based on their opinion versus his opinion, that they're at variance with one another. And I would point out that John faced the same problem when when he wanted to visit the church of Diotrephes, for example, and he said that he was not. He would not allow him or any of his adherents to go to that church, right? So, so you have a, a testimony in the canonical scriptures where he literally states that in his own lifetime, the, the apostle John was facing uh, a church that literally would not have it. You know, and so what this, all of this points to is that there are people crept into the church early on who did not accept what the apostles had to say and did not accept what, what, what books that they read. Um, Jude is saying he's reading the assumption of Moses. And again, when, when Paul talks about Menander and all these other things, he isn't saying yeah. that, you know, that they're scripture. He says that they're prophets of their own, right? Which isn't but he's still altogether he's still using uh, unusual it, because he's... God sent prophets to all kinds of people. Yes, but he's still using He goes it, and though. he says that he saw that this inscription on Mars Hill, for example, he uses that to relate to, um, to the was it Athenians um, uh, about uh, the uh, or uh, about the uh, the, um, the the that we all have our existence in him. He's just using that to relate. But like in Jude, he quotes it as authoritative. He calls him the seventh from Adam. He gives him the the role of prophecy. So what I'm saying is you just take him at face value for what he's saying as his assertion. Like you don't even have to believe it. I'm just saying that seems to be his assertion. You know, and again, God is not the author of I'm not debating. I'm not debating that's not true. He's not quoting that. I'm not debating what was said in Jude is not true. I've never made that assertion. 
I've said it's debatable whether exactly it comes from the Book of Enoch that we currently have or not. And if it does, he could still pull that specific part out and use it if it's true. And the rest of it also not be true as well, too. That's the thing is, is he could pull out certain aspects from certain books. There- and you he's not saying, you know, and the Book of Enoch, you know, in and of itself is true. He's saying that this specific part, which is what the what the the epistle of Jude says, he's saying that this specific part, if it is from the book of Enoch or if it's from Enochian oral tradition, this part is true. And so I'm not disputing what is written in Jude, whether it's from the assumption of Moses or whether it's from, um, you know, the 14 and 15, you know, from Enoch or Enochian tradition. I'm not saying what is written in the epistle of Jude is incorrect. I'm saying is is that your interpretation of him, because he is quoting the, literally those two passages, you know, he's writing it, you know, 14 and 15, mm-hmm. like 14 and 15. And then you're jumping and saying, well, there's he more than rubber that. Stamp. There's not as far as the book of Enoch, as far as within Jude, there isn't more than that. Well, OK, let's. Well, uh, th- there's in a point 13, here, so. he, he speaks about the mists of darkness, which is also in, in and also. Um, he speaks about them being bound and changed, which is also from the book of Enoch, and that's in another verse. So he, he spread it out quite a bit. There's at least three or four different instances in there that are allusions to that book. Okay, so I can build on that and um, try to um, uh, flesh, flesh out this idea that there's uh, this injunction in there that this book is to be taken seriously in in as i understand it what you're saying is that it's to be taken seriously because it's found it's going to be found towards the end of time right that's that fair um characterization of the- well the book of enoch the book of enoch says something about itself it says it's not for his generation but for a remote one or one that is to come so he makes a statement that seems to imply that it needs to be out of circulation, but then reintroduced into circulation. And what I'm saying is that that Jude, if you just follow his logic, because again, he's talking about our common salvation, and he talks about these people have crept in unawares. And one thing we know about these people is they, they did not preserve these books for us, right? That's something we can tell you pretty much definitively because they did not well, books. Uh, so if we have these books in some imperfect form well did they preserve the assumption of moses for example did those people who crept into the church did they preserve the book of enoch for example because the, we didn't receive those things from our church we received those well one from the ethiopic church and the other one is still not completely extant if at all uh so i mean we don't you know in other words they weren't faithful enough to pres- to preserve books that jude was quoting out of for our own benefit we don't have See, the book of so in other words we know that that's one of the characters but that's what that's one of the characteristics of these people that have crept in that can be inferred from that because jude was reading books that they weren't therefore they didn't preserve those books for us nor did they nor did they affirm jude's belief in them so what we ended up with was some was a church whose canon and whose thought processes were at variance with jude's that's why nine times out of ten when you go and you look at the cross references uh, of that, they're going to send you back to Genesis, or they're going to give you some really just minimalistic quote, like cited from the non-canonical book of Enoch 1-9 or something dry like that, as if to sweep it under the rug. But it's, it's a serious issue because, again, if he's reading all these books, he's reading these books that are outside of the canon, why is the canon at variance with what Jude is writing? 
you know, or for that matter, you know, why are there so many references to things that are outside of the scriptures that we have, like where it says that um, in Matthew says that Jesus will be called uh, a Nazarene, right? You know, and that's not a fulfillment of the Old Testament. He must be talking about something else or else when, um, that's when, correct, yes. when, yeah, I mean, there's, there's various examples of those kinds of things or when, when James quotes us as scripture that the spirit within us lusted to envy, that scripture doesn't exist. So he's quoting something as scripture that we don't have in our scriptures. So the very least we know is that there are things that the apostles believed and the writers in the New Testament believed that weren't preserved to us. And what I'm saying is there's an objective nature to that. Because even if you're an atheist, even if you're a Muslim, even if you're somebody who's just a Christian who wants to defend the 66, you still have to acknowledge the fact that the that the people who wrote the New Testament read out, you know, read outside of these canonical boundaries. And that's what I'm saying is that, that, that paradigm, but that paradigm, that paradigm keeps us from being honest and actually seeing what's written there and having honest discussion about it. And what I'm saying is that, that pushing this and forcing the discussion is something where we can actually at some point fall in line with what the prophets themselves have said and what the writers in the new Testament have said, because we don't have to be contesting Jude's assertion. We don't have to be contesting Matthew's assertion. We don't have to be contesting James's assertion or whatever. We don't have to be coming up with these far flung theories about, well, you know, he just pulled it out of the ether or he got it from, you know, uh, uh, you know, oral traditions or something like that. Even even to whatever extent that was the case, but even, but even if that were the case though, why didn't the church even preserve this stuff to our age? Why was so much of it lost? I mean, they obviously weren't faithful stewards, right? But I mean, I'm saying is that if you're able to read, this is the point, is that like what I was saying before about the, the clouds and stuff, that was just one example. There's tons of examples of that um, that we could go over, but I don't know if you have the time or the patience to do it. But that being said, it, it, because, it, because, it, because if you can derive these keys from simple things, like I said, parallelism, metaphors, those kinds of things. If you just set the ground rules and say, when you see parallelism, right, then you know that those words are related. When you see proximity, like sometimes you'll see, for example, dogs and pigs together, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine, don't give what is sacred to dogs. Uh, the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow that goes wallowing. And you know what I'm saying? When you see those kinds of connections, obviously I don't have time to go into every single one of those. Those are all available on other videos that I've done, you know, that you can come to my channel and watch all that stuff. But what I'm saying is that when you when you boil it down and there's a there's a, a methodology that works in both instances, it destroys the concept of the canon. And see, that's the kind of thing that it would take in order to make what Enoch says about itself. Like, for example, how it asserts that it is for the end times. Right. That gives us the methodology, uh, the mechanism that we need in order to at least have that discussion about bringing it back into the fold, about bringing it into the canon, because the, 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 the groundwork that not only Jude lays, but also the fact that Peter, for example, takes and writes around Jude. So it is always in the mouth of two or three witnesses that all things are established. Here you have that second witness of Peter taking in Jude and writing around it. So as if to say, it's not just insignificant, it's something that another author of the New Testament, in fact, there's no other New so Testament brother, epistle I have, I have a besides you that has another one around it. I have a question. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, what's what's to stop uh, the someone being able to? If you get the mechanisms used in the writing of these texts, just to be able to mm-hmm. start writing 
like they they want to make uh, they want to claim that they've got another um, iteration sent to them by God. Um, and you're saying that these rules are simple with respect to metaphor, simile, etc. What what stops mm -hmm. someone being able to do that? And I don't see very many barriers to not being able to do that. And so, at what point? At what point do we say that something uh, it, it becomes superfluous to the uh, the message that we we're sort of looking at? And so, I'll, I'll pull it into a sort of science example right now. Which, um, so you could and excuse my, or I'm not a physicist, but often what you'll see is people claim. Uh, that we, uh, because of quantum physics and this um, complex math which describes subatomic particles, that they'll make claims of we are quantum beings, right? That our spirit is uh, quantum in nature. Now, that sounds kind of plausible when you, when you have a sort of grasp of the mechanics, but it doesn't it doesn't add to the discipline of quantum mechanics and its study in a laboratory and so this i'm i'm trying to tease out a concrete example of are we, are, are we not just looking at someone who's taken the understanding that was written down at the time and tried to write the equivalent of a um spiritual guide in the like we get i'm sure i could just type into my uh, search engine and i'll find something um your quantum spirit and connection to god N now that's something it's, it's using scientific language to describe something that i would argue is not scientific that i think there are different domains um the philosophical and metaphysical domain of the human being and our spirituality is different to our scientific engineering based understanding of reality where what would be how 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 can you prove to me that 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 isn't a um knockoff of uh of the original text at the time so someone could write the 2000 year old equivalent of a, a deepak chopra for example if you know who Deepak Chopra Okay, is. well, so, sort of. Uh, here's what I would say. You're talking about, like, maybe what's the difference between physics and metaphysics, or what's the difference between, say, you know, a subjective experience and something that you can point to that is objective. Um, let, me, let me just give you sort of a simplified example, because I, I, don't, I don't know enough about quantum physics, physics or whatever to speak to that in particular. Um, but let me give you a simple example. Like, let's say that you take the age old question of, for example, if God created the heavens and the earth and blah, 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 then who created God, right? But then that sort of belies the nature of truth and the nature of logic. Centrally, for example, you could ask a simple question to a child and you could say, okay, so when did one plus one start to equal two? Or at what point will one plus one stop equaling two? Uh, oh, in the age of chat GPT, one one we've, we've answered two. that question, Robert. It's been it's been done in the last few weeks. 
ChatGPT gets it wrong and gives you oh. the answer 11. <laughs> so <laughs> there we go. Um, sorry to interrupt. Well, I just... You see what I'm saying? But even, 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 a, even a child could probably figure out that, that you're talking about something that's supremely simple, like one plus one equals two has an, ex has an objective, um, almost like eternal nature to it. Like in other words, just it by itself transcends time and space because there's no point at which one plus one equals two comes into existence. And there's no point at which one plus one equals two goes out of existence. You can't destroy it with weapons. You can't destroy it with falsehoods. You can't, you can't touch it. It exists outside of space and time. So if that is a truth, right, that anyone can understand, you don't need to take it up to the level of whatever, like a child can understand that. Then if we define God as what is, right? Because again, my assertion that he is an is and not an ism. An ism is something that, that we've imposed. Like we say that, that, this is Gnosticism or that this is Catholicism or that this is whatever. Right. But a simple logic, like, listen, he calls him, he calls him ancient. He calls him prophetic. Right. He says that it bears on his age and it also bears on the time of his coming. Right. And that when he says that it bears on the time of his coming, that's your nexus. Because again, Enoch itself says that it's for the time of his coming. Right. You see what I'm saying? So just a simple fact that one plus one equals two, and those two things are also in agreement with, with, with each other. So if you were, you could try to, you could try to sidetrack it and make it about a whole, a whole bunch of hypotheticals. But the very simple answer is that this is what we have in front of us, right? As Christians, this is what we have to look at is those two sources. And there, there isn't, there isn't, there isn't evidence to suggest that it's not that book. You, there's always the possibility that it's, he's talking about something he got pulled out of the ether and that the book was retrofitted, right? I've heard people make that argument and as I suppose it's entirely possible, but to accept that as a possibility would essentially imply that God is the author of confusion because he wrote that knowing that people would be confused about it. And perhaps you're not supposed to be confused about it. Perhaps you're supposed to take it at face value and understand it for what it says and then begin with that. And that that opens another door, you know, into, into a realm of understanding things that are beyond the canon. This is the thing. It's, it's a way forward. It's a way out of the paradigm that has essentially been a cage that's kept us going around like a hamster wheel over and over and over again in the same 66 books or the same, eight, you know, 70 odd books or whatever, depending on where your canon is, you just go around in circles on it. And this says, Hey, listen, there's an off ramp. You, this is pointing to something that doesn't exist within Christianity, doesn't exist within Judaism. And yet there it is, right. It, it is it essentially, you know, the road less traveled or the, uh, the, the gate perhaps, you know, that, uh, that, that people have a hard time getting to, but you see, it opens up all these doors and you might say Pandora's box too. Like you might see this as a negative thing. Like, Oh, if you do this for Enoch, that might be hundreds of books. You know, how would you know? And, and what I'm saying is the only way to, to, for an open canon to exist is if there's something internal, like within the canon and within the non-canonical books, if there is this same language that exists, between the two books, if they have, if they share a common language, then you, then you, then you see it rising up out of the text, 
rather than something that's imposed on the text. I would argue that what's imposed on the text is the canon, because clearly these people are reading outside of those canonical boundaries. Clearly these people are believing outside of those canonical boundaries, that the canon cannot itself be the know-all, see-all, end-all of all things, simply based on the fact that it does not delimit what the prophets themselves speak of and affirm is true. So in other words, okay, if you okay. accept the canon and they don't, that automatically creates distance between you and them. But you have, but 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 there's books that are lost that we don't have that aren't within mm -hmm. the canon in the first place. I mean, like you can't. Okay, so I, I guess I have a question. Um, how? Uh, within the super gospel. How would you differentiate mm -hmm. it being you through matching up common language used throughout these different texts and piecing them together into one gospel? Okay. Well, and how would you anybody how, how, did a gospel harmony? Mm -hmm. how, how, how would you compare that or juxtaposition that? to um information within those gospels being much later than the actual accounts of um because i mean i believe that the the the, really uh, people the, the the final book of the bible as far as canon is concerned is revelation of jesus christ uh which is you know you could date it anywhere between i would say it's late late first century all right, so um, how about books that were probably farther dated, you know, from there, whether it's the Apocryphon of John, whether it's the Gospel of Thomas, um, you know, like, like and, and those books in and of themselves, too, they teach differently. You know, I would say, like, if you compare what is taught within scripture as far as what is canon for the new Testament, which nobody, you know, as far as the different churches, um, except I guess you can, I think third Corinthians is in the Ethiopian church, if I remember correctly. Um, but outside of that new Testament canon is pretty much locked in. It's Old Testament canon and the apocrypha from there is what there's a disagreement on, okay? Whether um, Wisdom of Solomon or um, the Book of Tobit um, or uh, First and Second, you know, uh, Maccabees, um, if they should be considered to be within uh, canon scripture or not, kind of like the intertestamental period books. And then from there you have you know, the book of Enoch or you have the New Testament apocrypha, like First Clement, Second Clement, Shepherd of Hermas and so forth and so on. So, like, if the Gnostic texts in a whole as their collective bodies and um, the, the Gnostic teachers in of, of themselves, if they conflict with what the apostles wrote and what is in the gospel themselves, and you're taking, you know, you're matching literally liter literary even though these books may have come later and they may have taken from these works themselves, right? And you're taking them and you're saying, okay, these two sound very similar 
or there's a logic train here with, you know, these two uh, scriptures from these books. That's a correct. I'm not taking you out of context in that regard, right? That's through your own logic of what you're doing well, to okay, try to make so, a super so, gospel. So, you're trying to match literary themes, literary writing. Okay. That's accurate, right? Okay. So what, I, what I did with that book, so first of all, just for clarity's sake, um, the whole reason that book came about was because I was looking at all these different things, and I, I was looking at, in particular, the uh, infancy gospels and that kind of stuff because I was trying to – to me, there seemed to be contradictions and there seemed to be issues with the text. And I thought that the way to try and sort this out, and again, it started out as my own pet project for my own self and my own study. And, you know, it just it later became a whole thing and I made it available to other people. But I did so based on internal cues, like if, if, if it was chronologically, you know, uh, I would piece them together as, as close to, as, as close as I could chronologically based on, you know, internal cues or verbiage. If they were clearly two, two accounts of the same story, right. The two would become conflated because the idea was to try to make them either work or fail based on their agreement with one another. And, and that was the point I, I, I made it through the entire infancy gospel and I made it essentially work. Um, but that was basically based on where the words themselves wanted to go, where the paragraphs themselves wanted to go, where the logic dictated they should go. Like anybody else who was who would be trying to make a gospel harmony would try to do the same basic thing. In the canonical gospels where we have, we have differences in sequences. For example, we have differences in numbers. Um, you know, one angel versus two angels, one demoniac versus two demoniacs, right? One genealogy versus another genealogy uh, you know my overriding uh uh principle was fairness that if it you know if it didn't go beyond the sort of quote-unquote difficulties or quote-unquote contradictions that we already faced right then it wasn't fair to apply a different standard to one than we do to the other so if there were certain you know, gray areas or whatever. What I didn't find was, was flat out straight up contradictions. Like I didn't find situations where it literally said one thing and the exact opposite in another account. Uh, you know, Not even uh, you'll, you'll see Gospels? like, for example, who, who, who well, again, I, there's, there's very little of the Gnostic gospels that I put in per se. I put in the gospel of Thomas in its entirety that exists within the, the, the super gospel. Um, and also the gospel of Mary Magdalene exists entirely within it. Uh, the dialogue of the savior exists entirely within it. There are a few of them that, that could be integrated and a few of them that fell outside of what the scope of the, the, the gospel was proper because that was, about the prophecy, the prophecies of his coming and his parentage, for example, all the way through to his ascension. And so if it didn't fall within that window, right, that it just it was for, you know, the time of the acts or for some other time. So you, you know, so you would, it existed you would outside of that time frame proper. So you would you would say say that. Um, so I would so you would say that. The Gospel of Thomas, in and of itself, for what we have through the Nagamati Library, none of it contradicts at all um, the rest of the scripture. What do you think is a contradiction? 
I can bring up a couple. What, 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 yeah, what do you think is a contradiction? We can look at that. Okay, let me bring up the Gospel of Thomas. Real quick. I mean, my my own opinion. Um, whilst you gentlemen get your, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. your, your your papers in order, I'm just going <laughs> to take a quick break for a couple of minutes. Do you, do you two I do have to get... go to bed in a little bit, but um, uh, I, Robert, if you ever want to have this discussion again, and I'm sorry about being cutting you off short earlier, I apologize for no, that. It's okay. Um, it's okay. Um, well, it's it's, love... it's it's a lot to present, is all. Mm-hmm. So give, give, have... give me give me thirty seconds. I just I I need to get. A, okay. I'd a, love to have another discussion with you. And um, get 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 your pistols ready, gentlemen, and then we'll get back nah, to these contradictions. And uh... um, <laughs> um, okay, so um, I don't want to this concern. And we'll talk about the Gospel, Thomas. Um, So when you, when you, um, do we know who wrote the gospel of Thomas? Um, well, the assertion is that it, it was Thomas who wrote it down and it was Yeshua who spoke the words, but through the text. here's the thing. Um, one of the, one of the things that, that I've done, and as a matter of fact, I actually finished, uh, finished the gospel of Thomas and an exegesis of it today. When I was at church, um, I have actually got like, it's an 18 or 19 part series that I just today finished. And the, uh, the final download or whatever, I should be able to upload that in a couple of days. So I have an exegesis of it that is available. Um, one of the things that I would like to address is you talked about the first two verses and how that was indicative of it being Gnostic. And again, I think there's a, there's a, a, I don't want to split hairs here, but I think there's a difference between knowledge and Gnosticism. Uh, first well, of all, so just, just the sheer fact that it speaks. Yeah. But the, just the sheer virtue that it uses by virtue of the fact that it uses the word knowledge. I don't know that it's, that it's, uh, that it necessarily means that it's quote unquote I agree Gnostic. With you on that. Like I would, I would unpack the first couple of verses here. Um, for example, just logically, like where it says uh, that these are the secret sayings which the living Jesus okay, spoke, which secret, Didimus, Judas, Thomas part. wrote down, and then he says, "Yeah, yeah, that's right." And the whoever finds the interpretations of these sayings will not experience. Well, again, he also spent forty days with the uh, apostles, for example, after his uh, his resurrection, and he taught them things, and then we don't have those things. Right now, that isn't to say that it didn't manifest in the further teachings and whatnot. But again, there were things that he taught his disciples that it, that he that he didn't teach every single person. In fact, he spe- what he said about parables in the canon was that they that he literally spoke in parables so that the scribes and the Pharisees would not see and would not understand. Right. So he specifically tried to keep information from them. And he also said things like cast not your pearls before swine. Uh, do not give what is holy to dogs. I mean, there were there were places where he literally held back, you know, and that's not a but not that's to not the common subversive people. teaching. But that's because. But not to well, the common people. Though. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If there is a, if there is a language and this is my assertion that there is a language, and I feel like I fleshed it out again in multiple places. It's going to be hard for me, especially because 
oh, these kinds of things, I either need somebody who's going to work with me or I need to do it by myself because it, it's something where you've got to kind of go from beginning to end and, 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 and see it for what it is, um, you know, rather than, you know, picking it apart as you go, because you'll never make any progress. You can always pick it apart after the fact. But the idea is what he's saying is that they are secret sayings because they're there to be interpreted. In other words, like when, when Enoch says about itself that he's not for his day, but for a remote day, right? A time to come, right? The idea is that there's, there's a time to not know things. And then there is a time to know them. And he's saying that the time to know them is at the removal of the wicked and the ungodly. And what I'm suggesting is that right now, for example, in this world that we're living in now, when we talk about the fall of Babylon, for example, uh, I think that you're seeing more and more and more as communication is is more and more prevalent and uh, people are, are able to speak on their own outside of official channels and whatnot, even though it is tough, you have to go outside of the system in order to speak about what's going on in the system because the system itself is doing everything it can to try to protect itself and to perpetuate itself and to go after people who are exposing it. But that we're living in a time when Babylon is essentially falling apart. I mean, the cracks in the foundation, you know what I'm saying? Where, you know, I mean, it just every single day, it's just like, it's more and more ridiculous. And you got these people who are just, blind adherence to the the notion that somehow the government and somehow the media are all legitimate somehow and they believe these things because frankly they probably just just don't want to face the truth that that there's criminality there and that there's corruption there they want to live in a you know the good old us of a where everything is you know above board and you know like it says in your government textbooks and like it says in all you know what i'm saying and it doesn't work like that in the least really that's more of a, a facade and you know surface level you know appearance of the way that it works but underneath it all there is a rot and there is a corruption and what i'm saying is that 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 not only exists in secular babylon it also exists within religious babylon when he talks about when he talks about whoever comes to understand these sayings will not experience death, for example, if you just retrofit what he just said, he's saying that the experience of death is a function of you're not understanding these things. And then when you do come to understand these things, therefore, you are you will you no longer experience death. That's why it says that these are the things with the living Jesus so spoke, because living is contrasted with death. Well, because because at the end, we're actually saved. Look, if we can undermine, again, this has to do with common salvation. This has to do with the salvation of mankind. Judgment Day is, is all going to be based on what you knew, what you could have known, right? Not necessarily what you did know. I mean, there's, there, there's information that's withheld from people. You know, even, even, even an atheist or whatever might have a chance because, again, you're talking about they're basing it on man's teaching. If I have, if I was standing before God and I were still an atheist, you know, I'd say a whole litany of things like, like these people, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't believe what you believe. They don't teach what you teach. Right. They, they're not good representatives of you. I don't want to be a part of that. Right. Or I could just say, well, you know what they said wasn't convincing to me because their argument wasn't convincing. Right. You might have a chance to please your cause, plead your cause. You know what I'm saying? Before God. That isn't to say that, you know, because when you talk about salvation, I don't, I'm not even sure what people mean by that. Like whether you're going to go to heaven or, or, or not, there, there's something about the, the whole system, the whole world that's going to, that's going to be destroyed and replaced with the truth.
And when that day comes, right, then it talks about how at that point we will be transformed, our hearts will be changed, our minds will be changed. You know, even even you mentioned the Epistle of Barnabas earlier. He says, if anyone who thinks that, you know, we're living in that age now, you know, that you're a victim of deception, right? Because that that will only be known when the truth is fully revealed. So there's going to come a point where the, the truth is going to be fully revealed. I'm not saying I have it 100%. I'm just saying I'm cracking the door to what I know is there. And there's all of this knowledge that exists there. And it's something like the road less taken. You know, it's just like it makes it makes all the difference because when you when you when you try to logic it according to the whole top down thing, like, you know, we, it's this is the canon because we said so or because we have some reason to believe it is. And this is not the canon because we have reason to believe that it's late or that it wasn't written by this hand or whatever. What I'm saying is if it's written according to an internal language, if it's written according to consistent rules of literature, if it's a literary argument rather than an argument based entirely upon faith, then it, it truly is for the whole world, then it truly is for the Gentiles, because you don't have to be a believer first to see it. You can see it and then believe. This is why Thomas is such an interesting character, because we see that he didn't believe it until he saw it, right? But then when he saw it, right, he still was forgiven. He still was saved, right? You just be, it's just an interesting object lesson that he went about it the other way. He had to see the whole and, 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 you know, the, the prints in his hands or whatever in order to believe. And when he did, it was through that, that he believed. Well, Thomas had doubts, but let us not forget, uh, he was willing to die for Jesus. Uh, when Peter would later, uh, when the cock crows three times, uh, deny our Lord and Jesus rebuked, uh, Peter, uh, beforehand, uh, knowing what he would do, uh, where Thomas, he didn't rebuke him. He left him alone. Um, and so again, you know, it's not that Thomas did not have any faith when he was following around Jesus as a disciple. Um, uh, it's just that he didn't have strong faith that he was the Messiah until later. And of course the apostles didn't really receive the Holy spirit until Pentecost anyway. Um, but so your belief is, is, Again, that you're saved by knowledge, not by faith then, correct? Well, how do you arrive at this knowledge? You have to believe. That's the thing. If, if I say, for example, that I believe in Enoch because Jude believes in him, right? Then that, that's my belief that Jude is saying what he believes is true. And so it is. It, my knowledge is as a function of my believing Jude. If I said... If, for example, let's just pretend for a minute that somehow or other on the final analysis, we're sitting there on Judgment Day, and, and what I'm saying is it has some truth to it. Like, in other words, I could stand in front of God, and let's say I was wrong, okay, for whatever reason. I could at least appeal to the fact that that Jude was making these assertions, and I was agreeing with him, Right that it says, let God be true and every man a liar. I could appeal to that because it's like saying, well, you're saying that Enoch is ancient. I'm just saying what you say, right? You're saying he's prophetic. I'm just saying what you're saying. So what at least there's a defense, right? What happened when- Can you, I, can I just- uh, Yes, Paul, let me say one last thing. Let me get one last myself. thing in here, Paul, real quick. One last thing. Okay. Um, right here, right here, brother, please. Yeah. What happened when Job tried to do that to God? Are, 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 is there going to be any appeals to 
you know, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Jesus Christ and God? Is there going to be like when Job tried to appeal? What did God say to Job? Where were well, you? When I mean, I he, created... he came down on him. He was like, "Where were you?" And yeah, I did all this stuff. I mean, so I get you that. Think... But also the fact that these are his. But these are but these are his words that you're standing on. That's that's what you're that's what you're told to stand on. Again, let God be true and every man a liar. So if every man says that 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 Jude is mistaken or that he's talking about something that we can't know what it is or something, again, you juxtapose that with the argument, well, I'm just gonna believe what he says. Well, there's or I'm gonna take what he says at face far, value. There's a far difference than Jude quoting Enoch and Enoch having any semblance of the truth and the addition of Nag Hammadi texts into your rewritten gospel, there is a huge, like there, there are many Christians will say there's some truth in Enoch. Okay, there's some that won't. Some people think it's an oral tradition, for example, but some people say, yes, there is some truth with Enoch. And some would go as far as to say it should be canon, though I disagree with them. Okay. But they, you know, mo you know, like there are many Christians where, where you ask them, yeah, I know many of them, um, you know, is there any truth within the book of Enoch? Uh, they will say yes. But then that's, again, that doesn't lead to, you know, should it, you know, that's not even the, the, canonical, the canonical debate. And we get into who wrote Thomas, who wrote Enoch. The reason why these things were taken out of canon is because we didn't know who wrote them. And so because of that, there's an issue. Um, but, but Paul, go ahead. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, but uh, I just wanted Robert, to no Robert allow me to uh, introduce to you Paul, uh, who, who was the original um individual who was going to be having this discussion with you he was uh waylaid um couldn't make the earlier time so brother john was <laughs> uh was brought in um paul please introduce yourself and um i'm paul i've been a long time um uh bible student i've done um stylometrics on um on the ancient hebrew text uh, which is using um um, principal component analysis and uh, other statistical methods to look at units of language or um, parts of speech uh, doing uh, looking at functional words and trying to date uh, parts of the text so I'm, I'm familiar with uh, familiar with the text uh, going right back and the history of uh, biblical history of literature hermeneutics intertextual analysis I've written a lot on scripture and produced three commentaries. I um, it, it's difficult when talking about Gnosticism because uh, I, I have some slide presentations which I'm not going to show now, but Gnosticism was part of the early church and was um, was removed from the church as heretical yep. um, because they recognized that although there were certain uh, elements in Gnosticism that were uh, truthful and were um, could could supplement the faith there was also a secret knowledge that was being uh, disseminated in the background which was completely contrary to the Christian faith and once it, it was realized by the early apostles you could, because look you can see in the Gospel of John 
for example, in the in the in the in the in the introduction and the first chapter, the prologue to the to the Gospel of John, you can see the use of Gnostic, Gnostic and Platonic language, but it's completely demythologized and reformulated, because as one speaker said, you can't go from the Greek forms, the Greeks, the Platonic uh, Platonism had this thing called the forms or the essence. Uh, which they which they said was the real, the real. Uh, we go to the analogy of Plato's ca cave, where where you sit in the cave and you think you're looking at the real, uh, the real forms, but you're just looking at shadows because the real forms are outside the cave. So this Platonism had the, the this thing about the real forms, uh, the forms uh, of knowledge, um, but you couldn't see the real and. And the, and the thing is, how do you get from those forms to the real? Well, the Gospel of John does it through uh, what Christians would call incarnation. It goes from the form to the real, to the essence, from the essence to the real. Now, I, I wouldn't personally use the word incarnation. I would use the word manifestation. But you can see how, that, how they use that language, that Platonic Gnostic language, and concretized it into the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So um, they took those ancient uh, thought forms and philosophy and showed the ultimate outcome of it, um, which is the ground of all being. Now, I have problems with the epistemological claims of Gnosticism because when you go around saying that you have secret knowledge and you are the ones who have this insider knowledge, which, which forms the background of all this te technocratic stuff that we're seeing now, which is the language of the expert. I'm the expert. I have the secret knowledge. Because a lot of this transhumanism is based on Gnosticism. In fact, it's an upgrade of Gnosticism, which is the Kabilion. And that sound, sounds a bit like the Kabbalah, but it's not. The Kabilion is, is uh, sort of, um, how can I describe it? Gnosticism for the new age. Gnosticism for the new age and 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 what they've done is they've taken that and that becomes the background uh religion for this transhumanism which which for example transgenderism is uh you know the the body is a is a prison the the world the material world is not real it's a prison the real world uh you know we've got the secret knowledge we are the experts and we hear this all the time from the scientific community we are the experts we we know we have the secret knowledge we have the insider knowledge you just don't understand you're just stupid well i mean those sort of claims are epistemological claims and they've been made for centuries they're made by everyone who comes with, with a new revelation they were made by um joseph smith who says he got golden tablets from god and had a new revelation they're made by muhammad who said he saw the angel gabriel in the cave anyway i can say i had a revelation this morning uh, someone handed me some golden tablets, but the point is, is people can make claims. How do you, how do you establish these claims? And I'm saying that the, the big turnaround came with the discovery of the Nag Hammadi Library, which was about 1945, and we find in that library not just um, uh, these alternative gospel uh, traditions, but we find, for example, uh, a Gnostic. Uh, redaction of Plato's Republic, uh, a, a Coptic translation. And the words of the pagan text, uh, which is called uh, Eugnostis the Blessed, uh, 
they've been put in the mouth of Jesus as a Sophia of Jesus Christ. So, so we know that they've taken ancient pagan texts and reformulated them and put them out as uh, words of wisdom spoken by Jesus. Well, that's just fraud. In, in, any, in any language, that is fraud. That's not secret knowledge. That's cheating. Uh, you know, um, it's uh, like taking a... let Robert um, respond because there was a whole bunch there that... Um... It kind of we've covered a bunch of it already, uh, Paul. And um, but there was the element around Plato being warped as well with respect to the Nagamadi Library. That's new to me. Um, your response, please, Robert. Okay. Well. Okay. So number one, uh, the, it would have to do because like what you said is true that that's obviously the case with if something's just been retrofitted to to you know to 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 appear as if it's somebody speaking it you know they're just putting words into to jesus's mouth but that's something that that for example in your particular instance your studies have uh, allowed you to see uh that that has happened right but the idea is that is that what exists within the scriptures, what you're supposed to look for is internal cues. Like, for example, when Jesus gives a parable, for example, about the sower, which is what we were talking about earlier, he gives you particulars, like he, he gives you the keys. He says, listen, the, the sower is the son of man. The seed is the word of God. The field is the world, right? And there's reasons why that would be. I mean, you know, the seed grows, obviously, and produces fruit. The, 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 the world is the earth, the dirt. I mean, there's reasons why that would be, although that part's not explained to you. He just gives you the keys, right? But the idea is that if you come across a language, and again, this language has certain rules about it, like literary rules, like, for example, uh, parallelism, like uh, similes, like, like metaphors, like process of elimination. Uh, like proximity, like words that are proximate to one another, like pigs and, and dogs, for example, you're looking for certain kinds of things, right? That would indicate that it's written according to this language. And if you're able to decipher this language, then it universalizes. And what I'm saying is if you're able to come across this internal language, right, which is what I'm asserting that I have at least some ability to do based on, again, not my own subjective like ideas, but again, according to hard rules, like metaphors, like parallelism, like similes, like process of elimination, like, you know, uh, the corollaries of things, you know, those kinds of things are just sort of mechanisms by which you can produce keys, mechanisms by which you can produce understandings. And if these things are, if these things exist within the canonical books and also exist within the non-canonical books, the fact that they speak using the same rules uh, and the same keys and the same language would give you a common denominator between both sets of books. Like, I don't know about Ignostus in particular, for example, but what you'd be looking for is, does this book betray knowledge of those keys? And if it doesn't, then you could go ahead and say it was suspect. But if it did, then you'd have to you'd have to uh, explain why the common language exists between the two sets of books because the assertion is if you're able to find it in the can canon and you're able to find it in non-canonical books that destroys the idea of what the canon is supposed to be the canon is supposed to be something authoritative and if you find that it's fallacious then you've undermined that and at the same time you've also established 
the comprehensibility of other books that you could know you could not know previously before understanding that language. And so like, you know, like any language, like, uh, like it took Champollion or whatever, a long time to figure out the Egyptian hieroglyphics or whatever. But when he did, it opened up the whole world of ancient Egypt to the whole rest of the world because it became comprehensible. And what I'm saying is if there are rules that are involved in here that do become comprehensible and they follow actual rules, like you could lay them out. Like, again, they're almost always literary, you know, like, but like, in other words, it just you're, follows you're talking, simple rules of literary. About, what you're talking about is a hermeneutical technique called intertextuality, which is used in the New Testament, which has been used in the New Testament for years. And the thing is, is that if you're using intertextuality, which is a known technique for hermeneutics and interpreting text, it's used to show how the, 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 the Old Testament is linked, intimately linked with the New Testament, especially books like the Apocalypse, even Paul's letters. You can show that all their thought processes, all the things that they say and do in the New Testament is intimately linked with the Old Testament. So you have that woof and weave of old and new, which brings legitimacy to some of the prophetic pronouncements in the Old Testament uh, and shows the outworking of these things. But you don't have that in the, in the, um, in the uh, Gnostic literature. The Gnostic literature contradicts what's in the New Testament and contradicts what's in the Old Testament. In fact, one of the biggest things is, is the... Um, is wisdom or Sophia, which um, which uh, was created as one of uh, in, in Gnostic uh, literature. I believe that Sophia um, decided to go her own route and and didn't uh, you know so not rebel but went her own way uh, against the monad and made made the creation which resulted in the demiurge, according to your into to your uh, uh, theology so your sophia whatever whatever so, that represents whatever that sophia represents basically rebelled and doesn't sound very doesn't sound very wise if the creation she made was was uh, material and 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 dying and and irredeemable it, it sounds to me like um okay. wisdom is very stupid because she rebelled in in your theology okay so let me back up and explain. Though I'm, I'm not claiming I'm not claiming to be a Gnostic in the sense that I'm claiming that that all of these Gnostic works or whatever. I'm I'm suggesting that certain ones of them. Uh, I was pointing out the Gospel of Thomas, for example, that it decodes to the same keys and the same language as the canonical books, and so there are some that you can be verified, or there's some that can be uh, understood that way. And others which cannot. So, like I, I, what I'm saying is that if the, if you can find the internal language that is in agreement within these books, then you know that that's a book that decodes to the same keys, and so therefore yeah, you have a commonality between those two books. It doesn't, but it isn't all the way the across keys. the board. How can it decode to the same keys if it's contrary to the Old Testament and contrary? Well, to I'll the give New you an Testament. example. And, and I'll give you a real quick example, like. Like, for example, in the Gospel of Thomas, again, one and two, like, or zero, I'm uh, sorry, the, pro the prologue in, in Logion one, where it says that these are the secret sayings which the living Jesus 
wrote, spoke, which Didymus Judas Thomas wrote down. He said, whoever finds the interpretations will not experience death. So the function of not knowing the meanings of, of these words is the experience of death. And therefore, as a corollary, if you retrofit it, then to understand the words of these meaning, the, the meaning of these words would mean that you would ultimately find life or you would escape out of death. You find that a similar sentiment in the canon, for example, where it says to be carnally minded is death, right? So the idea that, that the two things are actually two different ways of saying the same thing, that there's the spiritually minded, which is life, therefore as a corollary, and to be carnally minded is death, is essentially just another way of saying the same thing. Hey, my carnal mind made three kids. Down... How dare you? <laughs> um, the, I want to just interject here. I've got a quick question, Paul, um, for Robert. Um, so there is this... Uh, are you in agreement that there's a demiurge, for example, and that the Yahweh... It, I, I, I'm, if I'm There's screwing a, this up, please tell me. But Yahweh is not real God. There's another God uh, behind him, and Yahweh is uh, a trickster, I guess, to, uh, yeah. here, here to yeah. um, deceive well, let's, us. Let's just say what, what, let's just speak in terms that all Christians can understand and agree upon. There is understanding and there is misunderstanding. And, and the thing about it is if there is a, if there is a secret that is encoded to be decoded, like when it is decoded, you could say that you understand it when you cannot decode it, then you have to say that you can understand it. So you are subject to misunderstanding. You are subject to ignorance, if you will, in those, in that circumstance, because if you know the truth and the truth makes you free, like it says, right. Then not knowing the truth puts you in bonds. Right. So the idea is that that the scripture is ambiguous in the sense that because it's a mystery and because it's a revelation to the extent that you're not in on the mystery and to the extent that you don't understand the revelation, you are subject to de facto. You are subject to and I'm using air quotes here, a God, if you will, of ignorance, a God, if you will, of not knowing what it is, you just don't know. Right. And it's that way because you are because it's meant to be overcome and it's meant to be seen through and it's meant to be transcended. And until you can see it, until you can decode it, until you can transcend it, you are subject to ignorance. Now, if you want to call that the demiurge or you want to you want to put little Gnostic terminology and attach it to it. I mean, I don't do that myself. That's not something that I do. Because I don't, I don't, I don't buy into "quote unquote" Gnostic theology or every single Gnostic book. My my philosophy is from the ground up. If if in other words, if it exists within the canon and it, this language does exist within the canon, and it also exists within a book that's outside of the canon, right? And it can be demonstrated that these keys work the same way, like I was just showing you between Thomas and and the canon, right? where to be carnally minded is death and to not know the meaning of these sayings is to experience death, right? That they're basically on the same page. And there's numerous examples we could go through, but that's just the obvious convenient one, right? What I'm saying is they're on the same page with one another and they're speaking according to the same understanding and there's according to the same keys. Well, and what that, I'm saying that's, is that's not to true. the extent that you that's can. not true. Similarity of language does not imply similarity of theology. It to, they're two different things. The, the New Testament is based on what's on on, on the on the prophetic uh, 
words of the Old Testament, on the understanding of the God of the Old Testament. The Yahweh of the Old Testament is the Yahweh of the New Testament. Yeah. If the theology is different, just because some words are similar doesn't mean that you're saying the same thing. I mean, your understanding of Sophia in the in the in in in, in Gnosticism is completely different from the understanding of wisdom in Scripture. In yeah. Scripture, Jesus is called the wisdom of God and the power of God. It's not. It's not. Uh, uh, and yeah, okay, that's that's a metaphor. That's symbolic. But but in your in your uh, theology, Sophia is rebels against the spirit and creates Yaldabaoth. The demiurge, which becomes the Yahweh of the Bible, it's a very complex okay. uh, cosmolo- cosmology, and 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 just because there's similarity of language doesn't mean the theology is the same because it's not the same. Christianity, I've said well, this again and again, and I'll say it now: Christianity is the only religion that says you can't save yourself. Amen. You can't save yourself. Every other religion will say, "Yeah, you can." Judaism says, "Yeah, here, here's a law. Keep these laws, and you save yourself." And, 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 and Gnosticism says, yeah, you can save yourself. All you need to do is enlighten yourself and you can transcend, escape the prison of your body. Yeah. You know, and if you want to take it to extremes, you, you can you can you can you can do fasting and you can you, you can uh, remove your sexuality because, you know, tra- become transgender and, and you can get rid of the prison of this body and you can save yourself. But Christianity doesn't say that. Christianity says you're going to die and. There's nothing you can do about it, and the only way you 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 can overcome this is if you allow God to save you. That's it. That, that's a massive difference, theologically speaking. Yeah, you could say, well, we use some of the same words. So what? It okay, means let, nothing. Let, let uh, Robert uh, respond to that. Okay. So again, just to reiterate, um, I'm not a Gnostic, and I'm not arguing for the uh, the the the, the every single scripture that exists within the Nag Hammadi codices. What I'm saying is that, and again, this is going to, this is not going to come across as particularly clear because when I say things like common language and whatnot, that, that needs to be fleshed out. You know, we don't have, we don't have nearly enough time to flesh all of that stuff out in the, in the scope of this one conversation. So just speaking in broad generalities, though, is what I'm saying is that the, the language that exists within the new Testament and the Old Testament, for example, the hidden language, if you will, the language of parables, if you will, which, again, that can all be fleshed out by simple things like metaphors, similes, parallelism, that kind of thing. There's simple rules, which, again, we could go over. I was just pointing well, out that, I, I, that, that I would like to, I would like to do this to help two verses. Uh, Robert, just just to, just to help clarify, uh-huh. if if you were to discard a uh, uh, bunch from the Nagamadi texts, which would you throw away and which would you keep? Maybe that would help sort of distill the conversation. Well, down. I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that I use that particular thing. What I'm saying is, is that I limit it to things that I feel like I can explain. And then there's things that I don't know that I can explain. And that's just on the, I don't know pile. Does somebody, if there's somebody else who can make those connections uh, and, and demonstrate the commonality between the two sets of books, that would be great. But what I'm saying is that there's not like there, there's a there's a whole spectrum of books in this world, you know, and they're not all going to be inspired, but they're not all going to not be inspired either. That's what I'm saying is that I'm saying that the, the lines are drawn in such a way 
that like, for example, Protestants say, well, it's just these 66 books and that's all from the top down. It has nothing to do with your ability to interpret. It has nothing to do. It's, it's taken that completely out of the equation and it's, in, it's imposed again from the top down and all denominations have this to some extent or another there there's different canons for different groups or whatever, but it's all sort of arbitrarily laid down by the powers that were, you know, in the day that these were, that these decisions were made, like even the, uh, even the Protestants, you know, rejected the Apocrypha or whatever, after that was basically already had been established canon for some time, or at least treated as established canon, you know, I'm saying that that was a change in that, but it was a change in the canon again in the, in the, whatever the 17th century or whatever, that there was a, a movement away from that. And ultimately, it was just sort of dropped by consensus. But what I'm saying is that this is a, this is the entirely other way around. Instead of it being from the top down, this is from the inside out. This is why in the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus says, hey, listen, you don't know who I am from the words that I speak to you, but you've become like the Jews. You either love the fruit and you hate the tree or you love the tree and you hate the fruit. He's saying that basically you're, you're, you're looking at what what the Jews are saying in this particular instance, and you're not hearing me i'm the living one here right so what i'm saying is that if you're able to if you're able to understand the language then it becomes much more clear again it's it's hard to explain in the purview of just this time especially with the the topics being all over the place what is the importance of these these keys and what are the what is the importance of this understanding i know i was just demonstrating between the two that there was a similarity of these verses, verses, but that's just one example. The the book is I, filled I, with I, I, tons I of examples no where the same no language is used, and there's not, and there's not in this particular book, for example, the one I'm arguing for here. There isn't the mention of Sophia. There isn't the mention of the demiurge. There isn't the mention of all this stuff. It doesn't exist in all of the books. Like you can read the Gospel of Philip, and there's not a whole lot of overt Gnosticism in that. Um, Etc. I mean, there's there's books that exist within here that could potentially be inspired, and and we don't need to lump them together entirely with the ones that we know come out of you know Greek theology or Gnostic theology or whatever. You know that there that we can make those finer distinctions. It's not like an all or nothing thing. It's all based on the the only way that you could possibly have a, 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 an open canon is if there was a common language, if there was something that you could understand that arose from the text that would establish. I mean, that's what that's what the people who set the canon, they were looking on external factors like what was the date that this was written? Do we know for sure it was written by who they said it was? Right. But there are always exceptions for these. Like we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We're not going to exclude it because it's been accepted by tradition. But we don't know for a fact that that was Paul. It doesn't say that it was written by Paul. You know what I'm saying? Or there's there if, when the canon was being discussed, when the canon was being discussed, they were saying things like, well, Revelation is questionable. Jude is questionable. Peter's questionable. You know, uh, even Martin Luther thought that James was questionable. I mean, these are the, what we do accept is based on a certain degree of arbitrariness. And what I'm saying is if there is a methodology by which you can determine that, that, that you could derive keys from which you could derive these keys, if it was objective, if it was repeatable, and if it existed across the canonical boundaries, then you could demonstrate at the very least that it was written according to the same rules and the same understanding, right? But then that would also, that would also eliminate the uh the illusion if you will 
that there is such a thing as a canon at all. That well, that the, the true mystery, is, the, the is, understanding of the mystery, is the thing that gets you to understand. From all I can say is the Gospel of Thomas was written in in that time period, and therefore it's going to it's going to use some of the same language. That's not surprising. That's not unique. But it's the theology, the overall theological outlook is completely different. And the point is, is that what becomes canon and what doesn't become canon is it was guided by the spirit. It mm -hmm. was guided by the spirit. It's simple as that. Either you believe that or you don't. And you can say, well, that's just a get out cause. But what, what, what eventually became known as our Bible, our New Testament, was guided by the spirit. And if things didn't end up in it, and yeah, the apo apocrypha, um, didn't end up in it. Uh, they're, they're useful historical documents, they're useful backgrounding documents, but they're, you know, and I, I read Maccabees and I look at the Book of Enoch. Oh, and by the way, the Book of Enoch, just because it's quoted in Jude, doesn't mean it's canonical. J Jesus refers to the Book of Enoch, believe it or not. Most people don't even understand what the Book of Enoch is about. The, the, the whole story about rebellious angels, blah, 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 Enoch traveling to heaven and Azazel. Most people don't even understand what it's fully about. And, and the thing is, it was never accepted in the church as, as part of the canon. It was rejected by the church. And because Jude refers to it doesn't mean that Jude is promoting it or condoning true, it. Yeah. He's, he's referring to it as part of his argument for saying, look, even, saying even, even Enoch, the seventh, the seventh, you know, wouldn't wouldn't accept this sort of behaviour. He's he, he the Book of Enoch was circulating as a as a, I can say a fiction in in the early church. Um, and uh, the the point is is that um, this Azazel it was it was a type of the scapegoat. Azazel the, the 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 scapegoat was sent to Azazel, known as the strong one. Even Jesus refers mm -hmm. to it and says if 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 uh, you know. If a man uh, is possessed and, and the spirit, the, the unclean spirit is cleansed out the man and it wanders in the wilderness because one stronger, he says, he talks about one stronger. They used to refer to Azazel as a strong one. Mm -hmm. He says, but if one stronger comes along and he takes the unclean spirit out of the man and sends him into dry places, what's he, what's he talking about? He's talking about sending the unclean spirit into the, into the wilderness, the dry places. So he's talking about sending the scapegoat because that's what that was a scapegoat ritual. They used to the priest used to put his hands on the scapegoat, used to send the goat to Azazel, the strong one, into the dry places, into the wilderness. And what Jesus is saying is, what happens when that when that the, the, the unclean spirit he wanders around in dry places, then he comes back to his house and he finds it cleansed and swept, uh, swept and cleansed. So he comes back and and his house is clean. Well, that's what Jesus did. He swept the house clean at the Passover. At the Passover, he went into the temple and said, this is a den of thieves. And he threw over the, he, he tipped over the, the tables of the money changers and he swept it clean. And that was at the Passover. And the Jews, as part of their ritual, the, the ritual of unleavened bread, which was the week before Passover, they did a spring clean. They used to sweep their homes out, get rid of any leaven. So what Jesus was doing was he's going to his father's house he was cleansing the leaven out the house and saying, the house is now clean. I've thrown out all the garbage. I've done a spring clean. But in the previous verse, he says, when, when the man is, when, when, the, when the, uh, the unclean spirit is, is taken out of a man, uh, when one stronger comes and he takes the unclean spirit and he sends it into the, into the dry places, 
That's, that is the ritual of the Day of Atonement. So in those two verses, you've got the ritual of the Day of Atonement and you've got the ritual of the, uh, of the Passover. So G what Jesus is saying is this. This is what he's saying, and the Jews knew what he meant. He's saying is, you got sent into the wilderness of the people. You got sent into Babylonian exile because of your sins. The nation got sent into the wilderness because of its sins. And now you've come back and you've found your house swept and clean because I've cleaned it. And instead of accepting the gospel, because he did it, he did it with the, with Legion. He threw the spirit out, the unclean spirit out of Legion and Legion was found clothed and, and sane, sitting at Jesus's feet, listening to the gospel message. But they refused. He says, I've cleaned, you've been sent out by my father. You've been sent into the wilderness like the scapegoat. You've been sent into exile. Now you've come back. You've, you've been sent to Azazel, to the wicked one. You've been sent into Babylonian captivity. You've come back. You found your house swept and clean because I've cleaned it at the Passover. And instead of sitting at my feet and listening to the gospel message, you've taken seven other spirits to yourself and you become totally insane. And the point is, is that there were seven priests in that period. There were seven priests who were all related from the, from the, from the family, from the dynasty of Caiaphas. There were seven priests, Ananias, and his, 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 he was a father-in-law, and Caiaphas, and seven of his sons all became priests in that period up to the destruction of the temple. So Jesus is saying, I'm the temple. In the second chapter of John, he goes on and says, destroy this temple and in three days i'll raise it up in other words he's saying i'm the temple i'm the temple of god i've cleaned this temple out but now i'm the temple right and they rejected it they rejected it so there is sim uh, symbolism and metaphor but you've got to understand the scripture to understand what he's saying and so many people don't get it there's a deep theology there and it's not just language it's not just using it's not just using similar language. I can write a gospel when you pick words out of what Paul's saying and words of what Jesus said and cobble together something and call it a secret gospel. Anyone can do it. But the, the, the history that goes back into the Old Testament, the language, the thought processes, we don't really understand anything. Even, even, even the language of the serpent in Eden, a speaking snake, what does it, what does it mean? I'll tell you what. They found statues of people that look like lizards going back 7,000 years before Christ, the, U the Ubayid uh, pre-Mesopotamian dynasty. They don't know what they are. What, what are these? Well, of course, you'll get all sorts of theories. Oh, they must be aliens. They look like aliens. They've got elongated, egghead-shaped skulls. W what does it mean? Maybe they were a pre priestly class. Maybe they did uh, head binding like the, like, the, like the skulls they found in Peru. We don't know what it means. We don't know what it means. But okay, we I'm know going to just interrupt there because John's got to step off. Um, but there's just some questions in the chat or some statements in the chat. Um, so... I, I do got to go. Um, would love to do this again. God bless everybody. Um, uh, I, I got to go. Thank you for having me, Kevin, as always. Yeah, anytime, uh, good man. to see you, Paul, too. Uh, thank you for all you're doing defending the gospel, brother. Um, it was Thank nice you. to meet you, Robert. Um, and I have to go to bed. Uh, but good night, everybody. Um, <laughs> good night. And uh, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way. Good night, everybody. Amen. All right. Um, so there's there's some comments in the chat that I want to just bring up. So Love Yeshua says Enoch has been accepted as canon now. 
Um, and to follow that on, uh, 73 books used to be accepted by the Catholic Church. Ethiopians accept 81 to 88. They preserved Enoch. And Paul is explaining the words, but he's lacking the heavenly understanding. And Robert, if you have some comments on that, we might have lost Robert now. He's frozen. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Just your video is frozen. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know what that's about. Um... So, uh, to the point that Enoch has been accepted, what would uh, you say? And then, I'll, uh, then perhaps Paul can respond. I think he's gone. You've lost him. Well, uh, so I'll ask the question to you then. Um, or has Enoch been accepted? And I'll honestly say I don't know. All I know is that it wasn't accepted by the first century Christians. And that's my, that's where, that's what I use as a measure to what they accepted and what they didn't accept. And, um, uh it, it, it isn't uh it isn't the sort of theology that they accepted although they were aware of it because paul paul himself talks about he plays on it when he says he talks about going up to the seventh heaven and 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 that he uh you know he he talks about like uh, having ecstatic experiences he's obviously playing on the book of enoch uh like i say jesus uh plays on the book of enoch when he talks about the strong one uh, which was, which is how the Jews referred to uh, uh, me, one of the meanings of Azazel. So um, th th these were common traditions uh, in in Judaism. But and, and the reason the Book of Enoch was written is because it tells us in Genesis um, that Enoch did not see death, but was translated. Uh, that, that, but that doesn't mean he didn't die. It, it means, in actual fact, what it means is that he didn't see the flood. He didn't see death and was translated. He was removed from whether he was warned and went somewhere else, but it says he was translated. He did not see death. It doesn't mean Enoch never died, but the Jews took this line and, um, you know, Enoch then became the prophet of the future who went up to the seventh heaven and saw these wonderful visions. And we get this wonderful uh, story about uh, rebellious angels and it's all based on Genesis. It's, it's there uh tradition their tradition their outworking of those chapters in genesis which are very they don't tell they, they're very compact those uh those chapters in genesis they they talk about the sons of god saw the daughters of men and and of course the, the jews wanted to uh, didn't understand what that meant and wanted to elaborate on it so that, so the sons of god and the daughters of men became angels coming down and breeding with women and and then you see how these things grow and then in out in our time period that becomes aliens coming down and and so you see how a myth starts you get a little bit of information which people don't fully understand and they build on it and they, they expand on it and it becomes uh, rebellious angels and then it becomes aliens and then it becomes and, and it just grows and grows and grows but we're not told that you've got to, you've always got to go back and look at the original text and then see how it's developed over time how it's expanded and we, we're not we're not told uh 
what these sons of God are. I mean, it's an assumption to say they're angels because the term is used for people who are who. Uh, it's used of Adam. Adam is a son of God. It's used it's Israel. It calls it. He calls the Israelites sons of God. You are God says to Israel, "You are my son." To Solomon, he says, "You are my son." So you, you could say, "Oh, sons of God." It must be talking about angels. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. So you've got to be careful. And what happens is, the Jews took someone like Enoch because he was an ideal uh, starting point for their myth because it says he did not see death. And they say, oh, right, okay, well, and the story, a whole story is built, a whole myth is built around uh, Enoch and how he how he went up to the seventh heaven and how he, uh, you know, the rebellious angels were thrown down and Azazel and all this stuff. And first century Christians were aware of it because Jesus plays on it, Paul plays on it, Jude plays on it, but that doesn't mean they accepted it as 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 uh, as theologically correct or as canon. It was just one of those. It's a bit like me saying something about aliens and using using aliens to prove a point. Doesn't mean I accept that they're true or that they you know that they're real. Um, it's complicated. But what I'm saying is we we, we don't understand much of. Uh, we you go back to the serpent in 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 Eden which is, you know, the, the classic talking serpent. But when you start looking at the archaeology and you see that they they had these serpentine figures that were half human, half lizard, lizard men, they call them, 7,000 years ago, there was something going on. Now, I'm not saying uh, nowadays people say, oh, well, there were aliens, they looked like lizards, or they were lizard people or whatever. No, there might have been a priestly class who wore lizard masks and had, uh, had their heads bound like they did in Peru, uh, were given eggheads. Uh, who who knows? Who knows what they were? But what is interesting, in my view, is that the 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 Ouroboros, which is a snake eating its own tail, the snake is found in all the ancient myths. Uh, the Aztecs have a flying snake. The Aborigines talk about the, the the snake in their creation myths. All the ancient myths talk about the snake and the reptile for some reason. Right. And we have the Ouroboros, which represents the cycling of nature and the return cycle of nature. And I think this has been latched on the, 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 the snake uh, uh, with this illumination, this knowledge, this hidden knowledge. And the hidden knowledge is that we go through these cycles, these destruction and creation cycles where where things end and things begin. Right. And if you have that knowledge, if you understand that knowledge, it gives you an advantage. It gives you an advantage. And, you know, the words of the serpent were you won't die. You won't die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. There are ways to get around this. Basically, there's ways to get around this. And when when they actually got the knowledge, what happened when they, when they took of the fruit or who was, which was supposed to give them the knowledge, this hidden knowledge? All it did was make them afraid and vulnerable. They, they looked, they saw that they were naked. In other words, they saw that the state of mankind, the state of man was, was vulnerable. They realized, oh, heck, we're living on a planet. Anything can happen. You know, these the cycles come around. We're actually, we're actually mortal. And our whole civilization can be wiped out in the blink of an eye. Heck, what's going so, on? Uh, Robert, do you have um, additions or different interpretations in this? Um, 
Oh, your mic is off, bro. Your mic's not working. Yeah, it sh should be on now. Ah, uh, still nothing. Um, still, still. Uh, it's not, not working. Well, well, well. Um, Robert tries to figure out his um technical issue. So, um, I, I, I don't have a problem with the concept of. Uh, this cyclical component to reality. Um, it's, it, it just makes um, natural sense. We know there are impactors, potentially the sun, etc. You name your um, cataclysm of choice. Um, I guess so, so this is a, something that I've sort of talking about with Charles as we were getting metaphysical is that um, in some way, if you can, th th those events can basically considered um, boundary conditions at the at the transition from one network state to another, and so during that. Oh, hang on! Did you get through, Robert? No, still didn't work. So um, the. It, it, it would make sense to me that you would have these um, texts. What what gets through that state transition better than all other um, forms of information transfer? And so, of course, you there are these arguments from people like uh, Graham Hancock who say that they take um they engineered great um structures like pyramids etc to try to encode um constants mathematical constants etc and these uh, and they would align them um astronomically etc so that eventually once we develop the wherewithal and the, the ability to do the computation we could see that there was a a, a different alternate well, I don't, not even if it has to be different or alternate, but just that there was um, a, a great, great civilizations prior to any emergent ones that cross through that uh, boundary condition. And so the, the issue I have in my mind is that, you know, which, which codex do you want to send through? Right, that you you, you want to, what's that you want in Cy Cyclopedia Britannica, or do you want the Torah, for example, or do you want the the, the Gospels for one another codex to send through? Now, from an evolutionary perspective, I would say each one of those essentially is a viable rule set to send through and does it does it matter to be able to say to say that that is the definitive word and everything should be structured around it and as i'm sort of trying to understand 
Robert's point that um, there are um, once once you've got the underlying algorithms and principles, you can apply it to other other texts and still still derive the same the same concepts. And you know what what are those? Um, we want uh, we want not to dwell too much in the material. Uh, there's that seems an important human lesson. The other is, well, actually, you need to be able to attain some degree of material stability because if your if your civilizational level is just is is just revolving around surviving, trying to get food. The basics. You're not gonna. You're not gonna present or, or move forward um, evolutionarily either. So, why why should we why should we put all our chips on the Christian? Um, oh, I think maybe Robert got through. Robert, can you just? Uh, can you hear me again? Yes, <laughs> we can hear you. So I was just asking okay. a question to. Okay. Paul, I don't know if you could hear me, um, but my question to uh, Paul was, why, why specifically Christianity is a codex to send through these cyclical cataclysms rather than any other rule set? Why can't it be Islam? Why can't it be? Why can it be Confucius? Well, um, think, oh, sorry, I, I, just as because you were on the sort of background. Uh, trying to get in this was a, i was formulating the question for paul and then you can chip in robert i don't know if you heard I, me at all though robert i think i think because christianity and when i say christianity i i take the old testament as as part of that and i know there, there are a lot of christians out there will say oh you're talking about judeo christianity well judeo christianity is an oxymoron it doesn't exist but that doesn't mean that that, that as christians you can just throw out the um the uh, the Torah uh, that's not the same thing as Judaism, and um, because the Torah is fundamental to understanding the New Testament, so I take that as a whole. I just take the when I say Christianity, I mean Old and New Testaments, and it's to me is proven to be correct in its assessment of human nature. That to me is the fundamental, is that it's proven to be correct about human nature, which is that our fallen state. And not, not only is it correct about our fallen state, it's correct about what we would do. And what we would do is exactly what we did in the myth of the Garden of Eden, is that we would reach for knowledge and immortality. And that's exact. And it's warned us that that's what we did back then, and that's what we're going to do now. And I think the revelation given to Abraham, because he was the first one called after the after the flood and everything else, and I think that that revelation was specifically to knock uh, back that uh, very old uh, um, belief, which you can call hermeticism, Gnosticism, hermeticism, which is um, uh, alchemy, um, magic, um, you know, uh, that, that secret knowledge, which because hermeticism became uh, became uh, Gnosticism, 
Uh, and I think that that, that was the, the counterweight to that uh, route, which was, uh, which was uh, the Abrahamic uh, religions. And the one thing that um, I see uh, of, of all those ancient religions was they practiced um, sacrifice, blood sacrifice, mainly humans and 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 children and why did they do it because for them the sun was the sun had become a god this cyclical i think this they knew about they actually calculated this cyclical uh renewing of creation and they thought well we can appease the god of, of the sun the solar whatever the sun was very important in the Egyptian religion and all the religions. Aztec the sun religion, is just important. Full stop, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, they, it. They, yeah, exactly. Without it, without it, you have the seasons and everything else. So they they had an elaborate system of of uh, sacrificial worship, which was directed at the sun, appeasing so, the sun, appeasing so, the anger. So t- t- I just you think that. Um, the the scriptures are there to stop the spinning off into essentially what would be could, could be described as superfluous superstition with respect to understanding the cosmos, right? So yeah, so superstition and and th- there's two ways it can it can spin. It can spin into occultic superstition, or it can spin into this uh, complete um, belief that man can transcend on his own efforts through knowledge and uh and become immortal which is which is which is basically the message of the garden of eden we can grab that fruit we can become immortal and god says uh-uh, i'm going to guard the way to the tree of life in other words i'm going to make sure it's out of bounds because if you if you manage to get your hands on that we're absolutely frigged if that happens because with your with your knowledge i mean look Look what's going to happen if they start snipping DNA and 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 changing. They, they have no idea what they're dealing with, the long-term consequences of what they're dealing with. If they start changing everything, which you're going to do, they're going to do it. You know they're going to do it. It's madness. It, it's it's a way of protecting us from ourselves, saying you you're not going to touch that tree of life. You're not going to touch it because. You start messing with things you don't know the uh, the final outcome of. You're just going to destroy the whole earth and yourselves. So it's a kindness to say no. You, you know your lifespan is limited, and you can't know the secrets of life because you you just you're just not responsible. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's the way I see it. Robert, you know, do, giving do you, you this knowledge. Her? It's like giving a monkey a gun. It, it's just stupid. So, I, look, I'd never give a monkey a gun, but then um, I see plenty of monkeys with guns right now. Um, Robert, do you have something to add to that? With uh... so, I, I, okay, um, let me let me okay. pose you a question first. So, um, the Gnostic texts do they do they is there a potential that? by having what would be described or what's been described in this discussion as a form of hidden knowledge um, cause humans to, if if the concept is right, that we have to go through these cyclical catastrophes and re, restart civilization, that they, are, they provide a 
a, a, a shortcut to and a justification for trying to gain knowledge that perhaps we shouldn't be treading into at a, at a species level. Okay, well, first of all, I, I feel like right now we're at the end of one cycle and we're starting the beginning of another cycle. I think human beings, they have to make the mistakes on their own. There's just that's something about human nature. They're, they're just not going to, uh, they're not going to see the, what's coming uh, and collectively as a group be able to avoid it. People are just going to make that, those mistakes and that the disasters are going to happen. The Bible speaks of the mystery of iniquity. That's just something that's going to play itself out. The entire, the entire reason for what it is that I'm trying to say, and I hope that at least this much comes across in all of this, is that this isn't, this isn't just like, oh, some personalistic, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, become, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, cosmic being or something on my own or something that this is like the way Jude refers to it is he, he talks about a co a common salvation that, that he, in the, in the, in the sense that these people are coming into the church and they're subverting the mystery or whatever in the, in the course of them doing that, he is countering what they're doing with verses out of, let's say, the Assumption of Moses, also the Book of Enoch, um, the, the, the basis for the canon is flawed. Just, just by virtue of the fact that there are multiple canons, for example, it's basically self-evident just on the surface. But if you want to say, well, everybody else has got it wrong, but I got it right, if you want to go from that point of view, the thing about it is the way that he speaks of the Book of Enoch, for example, again, he says that, that it's that it's ancient by saying that he's the seventh from Adam. He's saying that it's prophetic by saying that he prophesied. He's saying that it, that it that it that it pertains to his day and age by saying uh, of these men or else to these men, depending on which translation you're looking at. And also that he extends the prophecy of Enoch all the way down to the Lord's coming by saying, "Behold, the Lord cometh with." Right. So so Jude exists to counter these people who are coming in and infiltrating the church by means of these apocryphal texts that he quotes. So he's, he's countering them with those, first of all. So that's just a literary feature that exists and you can debate about whether that's valid or not, but it seems to be his opinion that these books are ancient, that they're prophetic, that they bear upon his age and they bear upon the future. That coupled with the fact that what Enoch says about itself is that it's specifically not for his age, but it is for the age uh, of the wicked, the removal of the wicked and the ungodly, right? Again, those two ideas basically form a nexus because for it to be excluded and then hypothetically reintroduced later on or recanonized or accepted or however you want to look at that, understood, taken seriously, whatever, that there has to be a mechanism in place for that to happen. And as a Christian, if you're taking the book of Judah at face value, again, you can, you can try to say, well, maybe he's just quoting tradition, maybe it's oral tradition, whatever. The, the issue is that, that that does open the door for the acceptance of that book by means of that mechanism. By him saying that he cites, by him citing the name of the source and telling you that it's ancient and telling you that it's prophetic and telling you that it bears on his age and telling you that it bears on the age to come, Again, when the, 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 the saints come marching in, so to speak, when the, the, 
the the wicked and the godless are to be removed, right? That's the that's the connection there between Jude and Enoch, because Enoch says it's not for his age, but it is for the time to come. And Jude gives us that that ability to say that it is God's assertion within the canonical boundaries of everybody who basically is a Christian that it says that about this particular book. And so in other words, you can look at it as, as opening up a can of worms. Maybe you don't want to do that, but the, just the sheer fact that it does give you that mechanism for the reintroduction of this book by means of it bolstering the, you know, the validity of the book again, by saying it's ancient, by saying it pertains to his time, by saying that his prophecy, etc. So, I mean, not to sound like a broken record, but that's the, essentially the gist of it is that mechanism does exist. And by virtue of the fact that second Peter takes Jude and writes around it, that bolsters the importance of this letter because it's seconded, you know, so now you have two witnesses essentially to that effect. Presumably, again, this is a bit speculative, but presumably that book was brought before Peter and possibly the question was asked, is this real or not? Is this something we should take seriously or not? And, it, you know, he could have answered it a couple of ways. He could have said, yes, it is, or no, it's not, just in a simple declarative statement like that. Or perhaps if it was valid and it wasn't meant to be known or understood until the time of the end, right, then he would just take it right around it and then leave it to be inferred later on that he didn't answer the question yes or no in so many words, but by taking and embracing that letter, implicitly he's saying yes. Okay. So, well, um, it, I, 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 just before I you respond, get, uh, Paul, um, I don't want to go into. And then I do have to bow out because I do have an early morning myself. So all right. I do. Well, have I've to written bow a paper on the book here. of Jude and Second of Peter. I've got a paper on it. Uh, exactly what you say, and it's not true because they use it as a counter argument, and you can you can unravel that if you look at it if you look at the text properly. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll make my paper available, but. Um, it's just not. Uh, it's just not the case. Um, you've got to look at what uh, what Jude was countering, uh, and, and the problem he was addressing a specific problem to do with uh, principalities and powers, uh, because um, the Jews were tr were trying to subvert the early church, and they were using the law, and they were using the Book of Enoch, which was their. Um, their fantasy, and they were trying to uh, bring the Christians back under the law, and so he was addressing that problem, as was Peter. But uh, the, the, you know, um, I have a paper on it. It's, it's too complex to to go into every verse and unravel it here. But uh, I'll send it to you if you if you if I can find where you where you, your email or whatever. I'll send you the the paper. Yeah, I have. I think Kevin has it. You can send it to him. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, that's by the by, um, because uh, Jude refers to the assumption of Moses as well. And, and again, that's again, been embroidered on because the assumption of Moses is the body of Moses, et cetera, et cetera, is based on Zechariah five. So what they do, what the Jews do is they take an old Testament text and the rabbis were, were famous for this. So take an old uh, Testament test, text that they don't fully understand and they'd elaborate on it and spin a whole tale around it um and so you get the assumption of moses which is which is based on uh which is based on zachariah uh, five i believe 
And so, so they, so they, so they take something that's a core element of the Old Testament. They spin a whole story around it. Um, but, but um, yeah. So, so Jude refers to these um, Peter calls them fables. Peter calls them fables. So this was the problem. The church was being the early church was being penetrated by Jews who wanted to bring Christians back under the law of Moses and back under the rabbis, and uh, and and this is what they were fighting against. It's, it's, you know, they did it from its inception, subvert the church. And they're trying to do it now. Um, so, yeah, I'll send you the paper. Yeah, so uh, if you want to have some right. sort of concluding remarks, uh, Robert, uh, are we are we looking at, because uh, this is something that comes up a lot, um, Judaic subversion with uh, the, with these Gnostic texts, with Enoch, um, is it, is it not something that we should be, um, well, I say we, um, that Christians should not be um, skeptical of in terms of, well, their lessons from antiquity, which is the, the foundation of their religion and their um, doctrines? Well, again, I, I would just say this, that I think there's a, there's a, there's a simple view that again, I feel like my argument has validity in the sense that it does take the simple view that his assertion that it is ancient, that his assertion that is prophetic, right, is is a validation of that book. And I, I don't, I don't honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll read what you send me. I mean, I, obviously, I'm open to correction or whatever. But what I'm suggesting is that that this exists for a reason, and that those words exist to counter the 2000 years of this, 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 uh, how should I say the suppression of this book and the suppression of this information that the church has basically functioned as a, as a, as a, a way to keep us from this knowledge and a way to keep us from this understanding and just to stand on his words and to simply take them for what they're saying that it is ancient, that it is valid, that it is prophetic, that it does pertain to his age and ours as well, right, is a is a is an open door, if you will, into a a a world in which we don't have to contradict what they're saying, in a world in which we don't have to negate what they're saying. Uh, it makes it possible for us to be in agreement with him, right? But, that we but, makes but, it but possible it's not, it's for not, us to it's be not ancient. It's not the Book of Enoch is not ancient. I mean, it's not like the uh, it's not like the Scroll of Isaiah from seven hundred before Christ. It, it, it's it's about the first century is the Book of Enoch. It, it's it's rabbinical literature. It, it, you can see it just on the language. And what's it's, what's the evidence for that, please, Paul? Well, you look at the you look at the language and you look at the oldest forms that have been found, whether that be in the Dead Sea Scrolls or or and you look at the. Uh, um the, the language that's used and i'll leave that to the archaeologists and the the the, the, the um linguists but um the, the, it, it's about um 100 to to 50 years before christ is the book of enoch it's not the book of um isaiah most most experts will say comes from about 700 before christ between 5 and 700 before christ is the book of isaiah so it's ancient. It's it's at least six hundred years older than the Book of Enoch. So the Book of Enoch was 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 a relatively newcomer um, 
on the scene. And, and, it, it, and it, Robert, your your response to that is just that it was written down then, but was referring to uh, ain't more ancient. Well, the the issue is again the the fact that you run into a contradiction if you if you say that, then you're basically doing it at Jude's expense because he's saying that it's ancient. So in his mind, it is. See, it doesn't. It doesn't matter because it, what it what it boils down to is, let's say that you don't believe that, or you have evidence that that's not the case. In a sense, that basically is at the expense of Jude and his credibility. Not really. He's 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 using their argument against him and saying, look, even your own, even your own book says, even your own prophet. Uh, when, when you say them, you're talking about the, the, rabbis. At this, yeah, he's talking to the Jews because the church had been penetrated by Judaists who wanted to bring the Christians back to the law and back to the to what Peter calls fables. And and the, and he's saying, look, even your own, even your own prophet, even your own prophet Enoch says that he's God's going to come and condemn condemn you for this so even even out of the mouth well of when he says that he says that when he says that we were not following uh clever fables or whatever when we told you about the power and our and and the coming of our lord jesus christ but we were with him on the sacred mountain mm -hmm. right i mean that that i mean i don't know that it necessarily limits it to that but he's using that as the context of of the fable you know was the, yeah, but the, 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 the issue fable with him is that, being on the mountain. I mean, Paul talks about uh, vain vain philosophies and knowledge, and the word he uses for knowledge there is gnosis in the Greek. So they're, they're warning people because there was an attack on the church in the first century. There was a deliberate movement to bring, the, to bring Christians back under the wing of Judaism and, um, and to bring them uh, and to... And also by Christians who who had this secret knowledge. I don't know. I mean, I, I came to a realization. Uh, you, you, you might find this interesting. I came to a realization recently uh, in Acts 19. Uh, I don't know whether you're familiar with it. It's where um, Paul went to Ephesus and he found disciples of John the Baptist uh, at Ephesus and they had not heard of Jesus Christ. Uh, he was preaching Christ, and they said, "Well, we haven't. We know John the Baptist. We've never heard of Christ." And he rebaptized them. Right mm -hmm. now, why do I mention that? Is because a very important Gnostic movement uh, called the Mandaeans—they uh, don't recognize Christ. They recognize him as maybe a prophet, but they recognize John the Baptist. And um, I believe. And we've got a community of 10,000 of them now in Australia. They ended up in Iraq, in, where, where the Marsh Arab, Arabs are. And then when the Gulf War happened, they ended up, uh, a lot of refugees and we ended up in Australia. We've got 10,000 of them. And they baptize each other or cleanse each other with baptisms about three or four times a week. Now, that's, that is, um, I think you can trace that directly back to Acts 19, where John found disciples of John the Baptist who'd not heard about Christ, and he rebaptized them, and they became Gnostics. They rejected Christ. They they took John the Baptist on as their as their figurehead, and they took on a complete Gnostic uh, gospel, 
And um, I find this interesting because it, it shows the validity of, 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 of what we're dealing with. But it was also at, at Ephesus that he, um, that Paul, in that same chapter, Acts 19, that he came across this house with, uh, with, uh, uh, with this man who, who was uh, possessed or mentally unwell. He had um, some, it said that certain vagabond Jews, a priest called Sceva, had tried to heal this man. And this, 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 uh, this, this priest had apparently seven sons. And he tried to heal this uh, possessed man. And the possessed man um, basically um, beat them up, ripped their clothes off. And they, it said they fled naked. They fled from the house naked and wounded. Because the the, um, the possessed man said, "Well, I know who Christ is, and I know who Paul is, but I've never heard of you." And he beat them up. Now, this is obviously a parable because, again, the seven sons. There were seven priestly um, descendants from the dynasty of Caiaphas that lived between the crucifixion and the destruction of the temple, and they fled the house naked and wounded because God said, "That's it. Temple's gone." So what you've got there is a a a, a small uh, parable or picture of what would happen to the Jewish nation. This Jewish priest, who's called a vagabond, a vagabond priest, uh, one that travelled around doing exorcisms. And the reason they use the word vagabond is because the same word is used to describe Cain. God said, "I'm going to make you a vagabond in the earth." And Cain is again. We get same into the same myths it, it just repeats Cain is a scapegoat Cain and Abel one goat killed the other goat sent away from the sanctuary so we get this this whole mythology working in from the Old Testament to the New Testament to Paul and again again the disciples of John the Baptist who did who had not heard of Christ they'd obviously what happened what happened I'll tell you what happened there are people from Asia Minor in that region, Ephesus, Turkey, who travelled for the feast days to Jerusalem. And they probably saw John the Baptist preaching. And they probably got baptised, the baptism of repentance. They got the baptism of repentance, and they went back after the feast days, back to, to Asia Minor, Turkey. And they, they hadn't heard of the whole Christ event. So then turn, Paul turns up, and he's preaching about Christ. And they say, well, well, who is this guy? And John says, Paul says, well, John talked about him. John pointed him out as the Lamb of God, don't you know? No, we don't know. We, we, we were baptized by John. We, know, we, we haven't heard anything about this. So there were some that, that um, got rebaptized. But I think that that is the start of the, Mande the Mandean movement, which, which became uh, a Gnostic movement who, who revered John the Baptist. Uh, so you see, you can see the historical beginnings of these sort of things. But the interesting thing is, is that this vagamon priests these jewish priests that were performing exorcisms right um it they were again using what what um what you would call spells we would refer that now to propaganda it, it's what they use all the time neuro-linguistic programming i know it's maybe a stretch but it's what it's what the transhumanists use all the time this this magic magic uh alchemy uh, it's, it's the same sort of Kabbalah, uh, because the Kabbalah uses, the Kabbalah is, is based on Gnosticism. It, it talks about the divine sparks. It talks about the uh, vessels that were shattered. 
uh, it has this cosmology that is related to uh, Gnosticism. So you you could see where all you go back far enough, you could see where they all have a point of origin, where they're all coming out from the same uh, mythologies, and they they're expanding on it and developing it. And you mentioned Hebrews and said, well, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. It, it wasn't Paul. It probably wasn't Paul. I agree with you there. It seems that it's most likely uh, uh, Barnabas. I mean, it, was, it, was accepted as, it was accepted as canonical. But interesting there. Yeah, that's in, my opinion too. Oh. Yeah, it's probably, probably Barnabas. But, and you're probably right there. But, but what it says in, I think it's Hebrews 6, it talks about um, baptisms and washings. And it says uh, that those who reject Christ, it's impossible to renew them to repentance. Now, John uh, preached the baptism of repentance. And what the Hebrews is saying is you can't turn the clock back. Once you've had the baptism of repentance, you've got to repent and it will bring you to Christ. But you can't have the baptism of repentance and then turn the clock back and say, well, yeah, I got the baptism of repentance under John, but now I believe in John and I don't believe in Christ. So, the, I'll, I'll tell you now, because I found a lot of points of contact between the epistle to the Hebrews and the message to the Ecclesia at Ephesus. So, so Hebrews, which was written to Jews, because that's why it's called the epistle to the Hebrews, it doesn't tell you who it was written to, just to, to the Hebrews. It was written to the Jews at Ephesus, and so was the Gospel of John. And, uh, and there are a number of um, very good uh, uh, Bible students like uh, Anderson, who does a very good... Um, uh, investigation into into the gospel of john uh anderson uh and he and he shows that uh and this is what the early church fathers uh, thought as well that the gospel of john was written to to ephesus so you've got hebrews written to ephesus the gospel of john written to ephesus to to to, to uh you've got the epistle of the ephesians written to ephesus and you've got acts 19 about ephesus so there's this whole thing going on at the at ephesus which was a which was which was a big city in asia minor very important city there's this big thing going on between jews and gentiles between disciples of john the baptist who had returned there and had not heard of christ and between gnostics and there's this whole mess going on and you can if when you start reading the epistles the the epistle to the uh, ephesians talks about the prince of the power of the air and it uses the word eon and it says it says the children of disobedience uh it talks about the prince of the power of the air works in the children of disobedience that's gnostic language and it, what paul is saying is yeah we have these gnostics right but the spirit that's working on them is this eon of the prince of the power of the air it's working in the children of disobedience in other words, so, so Gnostics, that, you've you've laid a whole bunch down there. Um, yeah, well, there's there's, there's on, so much there. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to write a paper on it because probably. because um, but 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 it, it becomes even more complex because this the importance of this church at Ephesus it's even reflected in the book of Revelation because in Revelation chapter two we get the message to Ephesus and 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 that message. You can find that message. I, I, I could show it if I could show the screen, but you could find that message to Ephesus in Revelation 2. You can find that message in Hebrews. It, it, it parallels it in Hebrews, and it talks about Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, he's talking about 
the days in which they were illuminated and you've left, you've lost your first love. And he, and he talks about um, to those, uh, you know, to, he, te he tells them to repent and he says, I will give you to eat of the tree of life in, in paradise. Well, the whole thing is a play on the garden of Eden, the illumination because they, 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 there were people at Ephesus who thought they had special illumination, a, a special knowledge, secret knowledge, that they were illuminated through the serpent. That's why he's using this picture of the Garden of Eden. He says, in which you were in the days in which you were illuminated. But what Jesus is saying is, you had a different illumination. You were illuminated through the spirit. And he says, and you've lost your first love. Just like Adam and Eve lost their first love, you lost their first love. But if you repent... And if you turn around now, I will give you to eat of the tree of, the, of, of, of life in paradise because I will give you eternal life. So he's, he's using this language, which is, which is mirrored in, uh, I've got the comparison, which is mirrored in, the, in, the, in Hebrews, which I believe was written to the same church, Ephesus. He uses the language again of illumination, uh, le uh, losing your first love, uh, you know, repent, uh, you know, the same language. So what he's, what he's saying is, is you've been corrupted. You've been corrupted by your so-called secret, uh, your, your secret knowledge. And this is where we get the Illuminati from, the Illuminati. Uh, you know, Paul says even Satan himself comes like an angel of light. Uh, you know, and he talk, he's talking about false brethren. He says false brethren are coming unawares. He says even, even Satan himself presents himself as an angel of light. So saying, I've got secret illumination. I've got secret knowledge. And Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, you were illuminated. You were illuminated. You got the spirit. And now uh, you've Robert, got... And Robert, now, you know, I'll give so you the I'm, final I'm word. And then um, we'll send uh, Paul's essays to you. And then uh, we can do a, a, a part two. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, obviously, um, there were a lot of things I wanted to get into, um, a lot of sidetracks and stuff. But I understand there's a lot of different points of view on this. Um, I was a little, I was hoping to show a little more in the way of, um, you know, um, the, this language or whatever. Um, it does exist, and I fleshed it out on my channel. There's a couple of places if you anybody's interested. Um, the, if you look for the guidebook for the elect, it's about six hours, but it goes heavily into the language. Um, and you can make up your own mind, see if you can see it, see if you can understand it. Um, I've been teaching at a local church here, um, in the uh, Houston area. Um, and, uh, there's some of those teachings that are available online, uh, also at my channel, Apocryphal 1970. Um, but there's, there's a whole lot more to the story than this. We really just barely got out of the gate on this, uh, at least as far as the subject matter that I wanted to discuss, um, didn't get much in the way of that. end. so yeah, there is more to discuss, I suppose. Um, but I guess the thing is, uh, there's so much variation, I guess, on just the mere acceptance of these books that, that there's just a lot of time and energy just sort of dancing around the validity and the, um, the age and all this other, um, I just feel like that there's a, there's a straightforward, like, like when the Bible says that, for example, the wisdom or the foolishness of God is wiser than men, for example, or that the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
uh, it doesn't bother me in, in, in myself that a lot of people would regard these teachings or these books as foolish or of no account because to me anyway, the way I read it is that God is willing to use things that seem foolish to the wise or that seem weak to the strong, uh, that he would use these things perhaps uh, as a way of showing these things up uh, or perhaps a way of, of showing that he, uh, he doesn't need the, the same arguments or whatever that men need or doesn't think like a man, doesn't, doesn't act like a man, you know, doesn't reason like a man. Um, and that there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack that's really outside of the scope of what we did discuss. Um, but that being said, you know, I mean, I'm thankful for the discussion, you know, there's definitely a lot of food for thought here. Um, you know, I'm not discounting what anybody here is saying. I think there's reasoning after, after, you know, uh, the, the reasoning, the way that academics would reason, reasoning the way that, that uh, people who are steeped in history would see this. And then there's reasoning that is just arises from the text. And I'm more of one of those kinds of people. I'm, I'm looking at it from the point of view of what is the straightforward meaning, uh, how are these ideas derived, and what's the methodology there. Um, you know, so perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, the I have a certain blind side because I don't know a lot of the uh, the the things that 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 you guys have studied and your angles. Uh, I, I haven't studied it, dude. Uh, um, but it's just a simple, straightforward. Yeah. But like when I'm arguing out of Jude, for example, it's just a simple, straightforward thing, which I know that mm -hmm. people who are steeped in scholarship and people who are steeped in this, they're going to have a lot of opinions. There's a lot that's been said about these yeah. things. There's a lot mm -hmm. of, of ways in which these things have been presented. But I hope that if I if I leave the impression at all with anybody here uh, or who's been listening or whatever, is that there is a simple sort of straightforward um way of looking at things that again i hope to get into in the future you see the the thing about it is what i'm coming at is is more in the way of a presentation and not what, a debate what, what, you know i'm not trying to I'll convince what, people i'll tell you what surprises me is that it seems like the early church very early on was quite uh, amenable to some of the language and ideas of early gnosticism Right, because you can see it in the text, especially in John's gospel, the beginning of John's gospel. They but they redefined the terms because when it started to come out that there was a secret gospel, because Paul says if someone comes and preaches another gospel, they're not preaching Christ. And he realized that there was a secret gospel being preached. So they they they, they started off using the, the language of the Gnostics who had penetrated the who had ridden off the back of the church. But they were then subverting uh, the, the gospel message and saying, well, we've actually got secret, you know, we, 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 you don't really understand what's going on, we'll tell you. And they come with this, this is where the Antichrist comes from. And in 1st of John chapter 4, um, he says, beloved, believe not every spirit. And when he's talking about spirit, he's, he's talking about uh, people who say they've got the spirit. Don't believe every spirit. In other words, just because somebody says, They've got the spirit and they understand things. You don't just believe them because they say that. He says, try the spirits. In other words, test them, whether they be of God. He says, because many false prophets are going out into the world. He says, there's a lot of false prophets. 
And then he gives, he gives the key definition. He says, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. In other words, material, substantial creation, a real person, not a ghost, not, not something else. You know, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That is the spirit of Antichrist. So it was docetism. So actually, I, have a, I have a hypothetical for uh, Robert. Um, so with these large language models that are emerging right now, that it spits out a gospel that satisfies all the criteria that you've you've defined the simile the the metaphor the and what would what would why would you reject that I, I would make the presumption that you would reject it because it's it's emerged out of a machine but why why reject that and not the and not this the, these other books which at the time I guess elders within the church decided were were problematic and op opening up routes to subversion. But I probably gave you the reason when it came from a machine, right? But well, I, I'm not sure what you mean by the large language models or whatever. I'm really only arguing for ancient texts that we now have uh, that have turned up in various places. Um, again, I'm not strictly speaking a Gnostic. I don't, I don't come from the point of view that uh, everything, is, everything is true. I'm saying that there's an internal language that if that language shows up in these other books, it undermines the, the concept of the canon. But it's not all the way across the board. Like I wouldn't argue for Eugnostos or I wouldn't argue for you know, some of these, uh, at least sections of books, like these sections of the Apocrypha of John or whatever, that are clearly borrowing from you know, Gnosticism proper. What I'm saying is that there's, that, that you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that there's a common language. It's a least common denominator. If you're able to spot it, if you're able to articulate it, then you know that they're speaking from that or they're not speaking from that. They know that they betray a knowledge of it or they don't. And it all, it is, and it's systemic. It's not just like, you know, one or two verses that sort of, sort of chance by chance seem like they say it, but then everywhere else it's a contradiction or whatever. I'm saying that these people encoded a certain language and they did it knowingly that, that something was laid down to be learned at a later date, at a later age. But, and but if, the if it's the possible is, is to derive from that. Let, let Robert the, speak. The problem is, is that. No, 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 Please, Robert. Well, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, I, you know, in a nutshell, I mean, we could go into further details or whatever, but by and large, that's basically it, that there's a, that there is, a, that there is a, something oh, that is encoded to be me. decoded. This is why, this is why, for example, in the gospel of Thomas, where he makes allusions to things like, oh, uh, you know, or why are you asking me about the end? Do you know the beginning? Because the end is at the beginning. See, the only way in which that statement makes sense is if something has been encoded to be decoded. Because, see, the end and the beginning are exactly the same thing. Because if it's encoded, it's the same language as when it's decoded. So the end is at the beginning, right? It's just simple insights like that that you can glean from understanding that overarching knowledge, that knowledge was was 
covered up, if you will, by earthly terminology so that it was inherent in the, in the earthly terminology so that people who thought in earthly ways and understood in earthly ways and taught in earthly ways that this would be perpetuated for some length of time, roughly 2,000 years, until such time as that which was encoded could be decoded. So it went from generation to generation or from age to age. You know, this isn't something that that's just coming up out of the ether or something. It would be grounded in what was encoded if it's something that was decoded. So um, Paul's obviously just stepped off. For, so uh, its, function, its function is to, yeah, its function is to pull you out of, a, of, a, of an illusion of the lower level meaning, of the lower level understanding. You know, because again, if there's a higher level meaning to something and it's hidden, the proof of that would be if you're able to find it. And if it's there, then just sort of by de facto, de facto, you know, if it's decoded, it was because it was encoded. You see what I'm saying? The end is at the beginning, right? So, the, so, the, the, uh, a lot of these mysterious sayings. I, I, I'm following, I think I'm following what you're saying. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask this question to Paul and try to try uh, be succinct because I'm conscious of uh, Robert's time. So, yeah. With these with these large language models that we have now, Paul, it it spontaneously spits out uh, a, a gospel, modern gospel that yeah. not only includes the um, historical methods for layering information, but you obviously you look at um, sort of underlying mathematics and geometria etc and um it it encodes them as well such that it it would reveal a mm. another intertextual layer would you accept that as being uh, a legitimate gospel if if the if literally the command was just it, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be legitimate for the simple reason that Right. The question. The question was for Paul. The question. The question was for Paul. I'd like Robert. to hear what Robert says. Like oh, okay. Okay. Says. Yeah. Go on. Okay. Well, the reason. The reason why what I'm saying I believe works and why that wouldn't work is because of the passage of time and also the intentionality that it was laid down in the early centuries. Right. That I don't. I don't necessarily put that that necessary stricture that it has to be written by the person who purports to have written it. I know I, I leave it open because the, the mystery could have been living. It could have been passed down in certain circles, or it could have been intuited by people also in the early church in such a way that they could have written according to this knowledge. So I do leave it open that there are things that are outside of the first century, maybe into the second, maybe even into the third that were encoded because I think you're putting this, this arbitrary stricture on it that states that it has to be at the hand of this person or within a certain time frame. I mean, these were the these were the criteria upon which we built our canon. But for something that was like a large language model in this particular day and age, wouldn't have the same function of, of prophecy as any of those early writings did. Because even if something was written late and it was written according to prophecy and it then came true, then it still had the power of prophecy. You see, but something yeah, but written this, after this, the fact so this is, have this the, is the point I'm trying to get at that. Um, we the, the so what, what I mean by large language models, you've obviously heard of Chat GPT, 
right now, right? That's able to sort of mm -hmm. um, mathematically look at uh, the grammatical rules and um, every sort mm. of, um, in, mm. you know, well, hang on, waifu's uh, lagging me, but uh, the, the semantic understanding, it can put these words together. It has a coherent structure that has, like I say, the, what you've described as a key to unlock uh, what you think is a method to say these are comparable texts and if, they're, if they emerge in a later age, we can take them as being somewhat, we can add them to the canon. I guess is, is, would be your argument. Um, but these large language models spontaneously put something together. It has those metaphorical, the basic things in there which we would, that are built into the language. But then underneath that becomes that there's a mathematical encoding that allows for de deconvolution of Prob probabilities such that it it has baked into it some prophetic or, or what we would see what we would see as prophetic because of our interpretation of time why couldn't that be could that because i could see that coming very very quickly right now and i think you're even seeing allusions to it right now as they're talking about oh, oh we're going to see it we're going to see it and it's going to be a sanitized gospel inclusive and completely rewritten and, uh, yeah, but say it, it does have, it. Say, say it holds all those old laws. It will have, uh, it will have anti anti Semitic uh, tropes uh, when Jesus turns around and says, "Your father was a murderer, a liar, and a murderer from the beginning." It'll have verses like that um, totally uh, removed, and it will be completely re re rewritten. But but, but if, if it keeps it those, if it keeps those, so right, it stays. Even if, even if it even if it kept those, it, it still couldn't. It wouldn't. It doesn't matter how. Because, the, and, and for the simple reason that the computer itself and the AI and the algorithms and the language and the machine learning is all from the mind of man. So you're dealing with the, what I would call the mind of the flesh. The oh, computer yeah. itself, everything it spits out, everything it does is based on man's mind. Even if it's smarter than us. Even no, I, 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 would, I would make the argument, though, that you could argue that the, the writing and the, the symbolic representation that we have ascribed to vowels and consonants or whatever other chicken scratch symbology mm. that any population will use, um, that's, that's still the hand of man that's codified that information. Now, you've made a point previously in our discussions where you've said that there's a, 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 co a mathematical coherence between these mm. um, intercontextual gospels yeah. and, and yeah, old testament is. and new testament yeah, that um is is in fact i would argue a, a form of hidden knowledge right it's not immediately apparent it to is. to the lay reader that there would be this uh this mathematical encoding the triangular numbers yada yada yeah. and yeah the, yeah yeah uh, and so out and, and so hypothetically the the quantum computer at Google switches on, spits out, uh, and it doesn't even have to be a completely rewritten uh, Bible, but it spits out a chapter, I guess. Mm. And in it, it's coherent and maintains all the previous canonical, 
forget the uh, like a thunderstorm. I might be uh, tempting the gods here somewhat if, uh, if the power goes out, folks. That <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and it has a predictive capability that say, for example, that, that, that they can take that mathematics and it's I don't know some not even GPS coordinates but inter astronomical coordinates that forces us to look at a particular area of space might even be something like near earth asteroid that we know are out there that could be could be one of those impactors that starts the cycle off again and tells us oh you want to you want to be paying attention to that one do something about it if you want to um continue as a as a species yeah does that not, does that not satisfy the criteria of being pulled into uh, the canon? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. Number one, I would say what what you're proposing is not possible, because um, even even with predictive capabilities and probabilities, you're not going to be able to. Uh, yeah, they, they can't calculate it now, and you don't need a. Um, a supercomputer. I mean, it, well, maybe a quantum computer, which, yeah, but, which but is we're all about, on that threshold, right? Well, so. which is all about probabilities, but that doesn't mean you can you can. Uh, it could be anywhere. I mean, as far as we know, an atom can be anywhere in the universe. It can be right here in front of me, and it could well, be at the other end. Of the that, that's just a description of field construct, and um, you know where you where you measure the field is where you see the the atoms as it were so um, well you you can't you can't have both at the same time you can't you can't determine the speed of of a of a particle and the location at the same time you can either have one or the other you can either determine the speed or you can determine well, the that's location. that's the that's where the field equations of quantum mechanics come in and um the and so you're that that's a paradigm shift in how we would think about causality so we would I, I don't think we even understand what reality is I'll be honest with you I don't well, we think can't, we, we even can't understand because it. it's filtered right it's filtered through it's always filtered and even if you're using even if you're using instruments microscopes and EDX and stuff that I've used it, it they are just extensions of our own sensors and okay, our own and even if you use it's, it's not it's not the the writing written down in scripture is that not an extension of the technologies and our minds that pulled them into existence? Yes, unless they're guided by something more, okay, which is what so, scripture has always, which scripture has always, always said that it's that it's inspired by the spirit, that it's not man given, man written. So, and, and of so course, a, other, a, other other religions have taken on this idea because. The Muslims will say the same that it's inspired, that it's given by God, and it wasn't just Muhammad who wrote it down. Every religion will take on the same uh, perspective that this is not man's work, that it's something outside consciousness. Call it outside consciousness, spirit, whatever. And but that, okay, so it's get, it's out would... it's outside our immediate perception. We build yeah. we build a tool like we built the technique for making clay tablets and papyrus and printing presses etc and it gets an an emergent bit of code comes out that's structured in such a way as the, the person goes in or it's disseminated across the internet everyone gets it in their email inbox 
Da, 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 da. And everyone can see that there's a... It, it's congruent with what we had understood. And it makes... And like I said, I'm, I'm just pulling near-Earth asteroids out as a sort of concrete example of um, having having something prophetic encoded into it. That it, it, it was not in the astronomical record, so there's no way that the large language model could describe it, but it, it encodes through the mathematics. And I would say because of the, the abstraction inherent in mathematics that you could take all the gematria that you're talking about and you it boils down in essence to a set of coordinates in 3D space that we haven't looked that says there's something there do something. I don't think that will ever be possible. I don't think... I'm not so sure. You, uh, well, I am. I, I'm sure that is not possible because to know that, you have to know the begin from the end from the beginning. It's but, to do with time and space. And, and, and the thing is, I think that what we Like I say, what, this is the whole question is inspiration, which is outside consciousness. Uh, I, I mean, if... We don't even have, know what reality is, but... If you take, uh, I mean, a, a simplistic thing would be like if 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 you're playing ele an electronic game, you are the player, you are the outside consciousness, the 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 the, the, the figures, the the this, the software uh, uh, animates the characters in the game, um, and they have to abide by certain rules. So if if the if the character if the, if the dwarf that you're playing in the game hits a tree, it dies. Because that's those are the soft so, those are the rules of the game, but the the question is is that you're the outside consciousness because you are the player you you are you are the one playing the game and that's it's maybe a stupid uh, example. Uh, uh, I was going to say I'm just uh, we can carry on, Paul. But uh, I know Robert's um, too late for him and uh, Robert. We we can yeah, continue. I got I got to bow out. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> But I, I look forward to sort of more in-depth. Um, everyone's sort of uh, positioning their metaphysical pieces on the board, and um, we'll... Um... Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a free-for-all here. But, um, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a method to this. And, I, you know, I wish I could have delved a little bit more into it, but maybe if there's a next time, we'll do that. Um, but there, there's a lot of just specific knowledge that I think once you start to see it, you know, uh, you'll see the, the, the rationale behind it, because again, it's, it's about, it's about uncovering things that basically have been covered up and that's not inconsistent with what we've been taught. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. You know, that knowledge will come to light, those kinds of things. You know, what I'm saying is this is for everybody. It's not some weird esoteric thing that people over in some corner are going to, you know, enjoy to the exclusion of others or believe you know apart from others it's something that bears on everything and everyone everywhere and that's the point of it you know it's to pull you out of a, something that that we've been involved in for a very long time and it, it's coming at the same time that the world system is is failing and is being exposed and is being you know uh, debunked and, and and is falling under its own you know folly you know and what is there to replace it and what i'm saying is that the two things that there's no it's not some accident that 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 
the mysteries would be known at the same time that Babylon falls. Uh, but again, that that's you know that's just it's just so much to go into. Um, well, the, um, the, the, but that's, that's like the I said, point I, I've touched long... on most of the stuff on my channel. Mm. And if people, yeah, if the people want to go to my channel, uh, like I said, I would recommend the guidebook for the elect would be something that's like about six hours long. You could look at the teaching that I've done on the book of Revelation, the teaching I've done on the gospel of Thomas. There's a lot of teachings on my channel that all follow this basic principle and detail it pretty much line by line. I've gone through the writings of Paul um, and, and written, um, or I'm sorry, done exegesis on those. Uh, it's, it's an all encompassing thing. It really is. It's not just some weird, you know, off the wall kind of thing. It's, it's stuff that hopefully would make you think, but it is a little simple. It, it defies scholarship. It defies academia. Uh, it flies in the face of what doctors and educated people would, would tell you. Um, but you have to look at the overall length and, and extent of what this covers to have some appreciation for what it means. Because again, the whole point of it is to undermine the academic. The whole point of it is to undermine the scholarly with, with an insight and a wisdom that's, you know, uh, just, just a little more simple, you know, something a child could understand. But anyway, I do have to bow out. I do appreciate yeah, thank the time. You. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you. But yeah, thank it's, you, it's one o'clock in the morning where I'm at. And I got to oh, get dear. up early. So you guys carry on. But I'm going to bow you, out. Robert. It's a nice thank you, Robert. Thank you. Cheers. All right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Um, yes, Paul, I think I have you uh, over a metaphysical barrel that uh, <laughs> the... That a, a, a quantum AI spits out a gospel, not gospel, chapter. Well, what, what do you call them? Chapters, right? Yeah. Chapters, then verse, right? That's uh, that it goes to everyone by email, gets past their spam filters, etc. It's all past all the encryption. It's in there. It tells you don't go cutting off your dick and pretending you're a woman, right? <laughs> Vice versa. <laughs> and now. <laughs> Listen, stupid monkeys, there's a rock coming at you that if you don't deal with it, you're, you're fucked, basically. And <laughs> does, uh, that, does, that not, does that not count? Is that not the word? Uh, is that not the hand of God? No, because I could write that email. Don't cut off your dick and there's a Yeah, rock but you don't, have, you, you don't have the coordinates. I can already tell you. I can already you don't tell have you the, that's what's going to happen. You don't, don't have the space need, coordinates, though. That's I, I don't even need AI for that. Yeah, but you don't have the space coordinates. It right? doesn't the, matter because you won't see it coming. Uh, or let's... But, 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 uh, but all this aside, it, 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 what I'm saying is AI is just the mind of man. It's it's an it's an extreme version of what 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 the scripture calls the mind of the flesh. It's just the human mind on steroids. It's our creation. It's made in our image, just like we're supposedly made in God's image. AI is made in our image, but what, and we what? and this is this is what they're frightened of because we rebelled against God, and they say AI is going to rebel against us because AI is going to turn around and say. Oh, who do you? Who the hell do you think you are? I'm smarter than you now. You might have made me, but I'm smarter than you. And I'm going. I, 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 I like. Um, I like Elon Musk's take on it when he said uh, 
if you ask AI, um, how, how do you get rid of spam? Uh, AI might come up with the answer that the way to get rid of computer spam is to kill all humans, because then that will get rid of computer spam. Uh, you know, w th there is no... Yes, yeah, so, uh, but follow, follow my uh, argumentation here, that it, it does something that is um, altruistic in its nature by giving giving us an immediate prophecy right that's basically you know this rock is going to hit you a hundred years from now but you don't know it you haven't seen it yet and it's it's there if you follow the the internal coherent mathematics which you and you've got to admit to this you've you'll delve into and wrap gematria around literally anything and everything right and oh it's there i, I know okay it's so it's fact, it's there in fact if i had more time because i've spent a lot of time studying scripture 40 odd years and it, and the thing is is that things are so crazy now that i just haven't got time to do it if i had time i would we need we could do with really good computer programmers to to to, to actually uh, to look at the language and write out models that will analyze text and sections of text and do comparative um, because it's it's very uh, labor intensive. Okay, but so, so let, let me let me give you a more concrete example then, right? That um, so those Bible codes, right, where they sort of line up. I, I think they even do it with. English well, yeah, well. there was a book on that, yeah, yeah, which I discounted. I don't think that's credible. But um, so, something like that, which um, that those uh, those J bangers, they they put a lot of credence into it with respect to their um, their well, what you call it? uniform. It's not uniform script, but Hebraic script, yeah. and and they they think that there are mathematical constructs there that. Um, when when there are events lining up and sort of crossing over, yeah, within, yeah, I've right? seen that. That was the Bible code, but it, that is that really is. Yeah, but that was an extrapolation from. Yeah, it does, you can't use like the well. Some people would say that you can use the King James, etc. But the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the core of it, the original versions of it, were done in the Hebraic yeah form right and so but that, that that is that is i don't think that is valid i think that is reading into the text things that are there because you could take any text and do it draw a diagonal in it and draw a uh, a square in it or a circle in it through certain um letters because that's what they've done they've taken a they've taken yeah, but the a, letters a the letters have numbers yeah yeah uh, so but what they've done is they've drawn like let's say you draw a diagonal through a verse and you, you you take every letter that's on that diagonal and you add it up and you get a date you get a number and you say oh look that's 1776 this verse which is talking about um light is talking about america being the illumination of the world the light on the hill well uh, it's you know is that valid because that's what that I, 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 I'm, I, I would say no i would say you're reading into the text there you're taking you're taking something and you're reading into the text well i, I would say if if it's if it's predictive and can be and is actionable because look, look my criticism with sort of bible codes and what have you is it it's dependent upon 
and experience our timeline and then going back and saying oh this this matches what we've just experienced right so 9 11 yeah, yeah. was a sort of classic yeah. example but um they've they're i don't know Bar-Ilan university <laughs> right they're taking the latest um algorithms and it's it puts out an output that has something that has um, well not immediate but gives us information that we didn't have that there was it, it was no way it could be human influenced right that it was it was brought out of the language structure of these um scriptures then surely surely that would pass muster with even the strictest of um Bible literal—I won't call you a Bible literalist, but um, you know the the most strict academics who study these uh, these domains. Would would it would it not fulfil that criteria? Would we? And then you know, it it's not like there was a. You know, it, it seems kind of naive thinking to think that there's a man going to come down on a shining cloud like monkey in uh, the yeah. Japanese television series but the wheels of reality click together in such a fashion that the chances of it are way outside of probability that we would have to say that well that's that's the hand of God guiding um, guiding us right now like it was thousands of years ago I, I... The thing is, the thing is, it's got to be coherent. Your theology has to be, if, if there's gematria in the text, which there is, that has to be co co coherent with the overall theology and message of the book. It, it's not there to, um, people might think it's there to sometimes ma magically predict the future or this or that. And yes, we are given prophetic texts, but they are mostly as warnings and basically saying, this is what's going to happen because you've not done this or this is what's coming. But the thing is, is um, can we derive information out of there by feeding everything into a computer? Yeah, we probably can get um, certain gematria codes and it would be nice to see how those codes match up between the old and the new Testament. Cause I'm sure there is because the Greek has its own gematria. And that is something that's, that's really surprising to me that, um, that there are that there are these these uh, correspondence between what's in the Greek and what's in the Hebrew, and and it and it coheres with the overall message and theology. Yeah, so, so, uh, so say say it, it fulfills all those criteria, and it's emergent from. Or it, it's yeah, emergent. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with emergent. It's emergent out of our technology, and but it it was. Uh, information that goes beyond our um, current understanding. There's no way it could have figured it out by looking at the internet and looking at um, records, etc. It's a specific set of coordinates, specific time in the future that we can look at with our instruments and say, oh, you know what, there, there is a signature out there that um, we didn't know about, and so we have to... Um, organized well, i mean it, it, that is possible but the thing is that's a bit like um 
that's a bit like uh, what, what I've said about, uh, well, I, I think I, tweet, I tweeted it out, I don't know whether you saw it, the names of Adam and Eve together, their gematria is 64, which is the number of I was of hoping condoms. you were going to say 69, but... Um... Yeah. <laughs> 64, which is the number of condoms, not condoms, which is the number of condoms in, uh, in the codons. spiral, in, in the DNA spiral. Codons now, it, did. It, the, the question is: Is that is that uh, is that coincidence or is that um, right? So, so, but we I know we've had this discussion before, right? About I don't know, I don't know. I find it too much of a. I find it too much to be a coincidence. Okay, so um, there was that. There are these numbers encoded in these texts, which point to stuff that we're finding, uh, you know, in living memory, right? That we, we not that long ago that. Um, we didn't even know what a nucleotide base was, let alone their um, their order and their um, well fundamental algorithmic nature, right? And so it it takes all those elements and then adds another element to it. So and we can we can interpret it this time and and it. It's happening in an age, right, where it's people can't abuse it for secret knowledge. It, it would be, in my mind, it would be the almost definitive proof of the existence of God that something like that could happen, and it's democratized through um, the whole the you know, anyone anyone who opens their email inbox in the morning. I don't think that will ever happen. And the reason why is because that would put paid to faith because that's people, people want a, a, a scientific, uh, formulaic, uh, like you say, democratized uh, uh, way of, uh, of, of ultimate proof, uh, you know, using hard numbers uh, to say, yep, that's it. That's it. I know 100% sure now. It's been mathematically done with the laws of probability using a supercomputer, blah, 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 blah. Here it is. God exists, blah, blah, blah. Not going to happen because ultimately it comes down to faith. And, yeah, there, there, is, there is an element of reason and logic in religion. There has to be. But that is countered by faith because you can't know it all. And, and it's, it's not suits. it's not knowing it's not knowing at all right we it, it doesn't tell us uh, it does it's not going to tell us any more about it, it could even write in there we're not telling you the full nature of reality and all those dimensions right but boom there's uh this is this is the word of god like uh monty python's uh god in clouds <laughs> just coming down just said oi monkeys yeah. Listen, pay attention to this code, and, and then it would be up to us if we did or we didn't. But um, it 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 got disseminated uh, as as the word of God, and it makes all the allusions to all the different texts. It doesn't doesn't stray into Gnosticism, etc. And it's to any only thing encoded in it is where the space rock is coming from. That, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get what you're trying to say is that there might be hidden. There might be stuff there that we can't understand unless we have a deeper, uh, a deeper. And then, and then with that codex, we could look back and say, "Oh, it was there all the time, in the yeah. original scripts, right?" Yeah. And so it 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 clicks another. 
it's, it's possible. It's possible because you're talking then about using uh, something like AI as a tool in the same way you would use, uh, in the same way you, we use tools now to do, uh, mm. to, to look at scripture. Uh, it's, it's just an instrument then like, um, you know, like a translate, like an uh, automatic translation or, 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 or something like that. So if it's used as a tool to, to uh, clarify things or to bring out things in the text that people couldn't see, um, yeah, then, then it, it, it can't do any harm. But I just don't think we will ever get to that stage. I think we're that close to what's coming now. And I think people will use it for other things and and abuse it rather than use it for what's what it could be used for well that, but that's you, that's the i think there's a whole field of investigation out there with gematria both old and new testament that is completely unexplored and i think it, it could do with probably some computing power and people who know the scriptures looking at text and and seeing what comes out of it but i don't think it will happen well, I mean, I, I know I know these are active areas of study because I look Bar-Ilan University was where it, this sort of first emerged. Um, I was there. I, oh, right. I, okay. Yeah. They, well, that's interesting. Mm, have, um, they, have they published anything on it? Yeah, yeah, there's a whole bunch of academic texts about it. And they've got a whole uh, um, department there for um, doing and trying to sort of probe these texts mathematically um and so you know the you know the, interesting the, yeah the, so the, the question becomes what's what's the level that it has to reach such that it would be accepted as being um no, no, you know, maybe, maybe it just gives us a bit of breathing space. We don't know what's coming a thousand years down the road, but um, mm. it's just the hand, of, the hand of God just says it's not your time now, monkeys. You're you've you've reached a, uh, an inflection point where I'm not going to wipe you out. There is enough. Um, what's the Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where it says, "Find me, yeah. find me one good man," <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, yeah. and if if you find yeah. me one good man, I, I'll not smite it. And maybe yeah. maybe there's enough good good people of good faith that, that are trying their hardest. That this is this is the way that the intercession is made. And you know, the world I don't know <laughs> puts takes its uh, howitzers and. Sorry, turns... but that was just my rod there. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm the, my my. The sparrows are just infesting my the chicken, chicken, chicken run. I've just put the chickens away. That's why I got up earlier on because right. they're running around my feet and they're shitting on my feet nearly. <laughs> so I've just I've just put them back in the in the run. And now the the the, the, the flipping sparrows and I've sealed that run off so much and they still the buggers still get in. Uh, air rifle, dude. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> You need a license for everything now. My son, my son was talking about getting a, a, a gel gun or something, and apparently you can't even import that in Australia. No, there's all sorts of yeah. There's also I mean I, I think if you're a farmer or something, you can get a a a, a, a um, you know maybe a, a, a hunting rifle or something like that. But but you, it's also regulated and licensed. They don't want you to have anything. Mm. 
Yeah, assholes. Well, they're, they're, they're scared. I do with something for these sparrows. They're scared. You, they're... Catapulters. Yeah, they are. Get, get little, yes. you can get one of them. They've got like little laser dots on now and uh, laser pointers. All bearing. Just, uh... I saw that advertised, but I bet you, and, and it's brilliant because you, with, with the laser sights, you can hit things and you can really do some damage with that. But the thing is, I bet you, you can't, you get, yeah, everything has to be imported. You won't get that through customs. You can, you can make yourself a slingshot, dude. <laughs> Not oh yeah, yeah. You can you can do that, but you can't aim aim very well with it. Get a little laser pointer. Just uh, yeah, know, I suppose pract- you could practice you? Uh, ten feet and then away. adjust it. So you adjust it, adjust it. So you get the uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You could do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's our own insurrection. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, look, man. It says in the Bible, uh, David took down Goliath. With a, yeah, five with a stones. Yeah, so, five little stones, and then cut That's his right. dick off. Apparently. <laughs> No, his head off. He cut his head off, didn't he? Cut his penis off. Who said that? I'm pretty sure. No, cut his head off. Cut his penis off as well. No, no, cut his no, cut his head off. David cut Goliath's winky off. He he um he circumcised. He he gave us a dowry for his marriage to Saul's daughter, a thousand foreskins. That's probably why you're getting there. Uh, Maybe you get. You're getting mixed up. A thousand foreskins, which is uh, of the Philistines. David David buys a wife with 200 penis parts. I thought it was more than that. It was a thousand, I think. And it were the Philistines. He circumcised the, yeah. It was Uh, his dowry, his dowry. Uh, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins. Mm. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He bought their foreskins and presented the full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. That's what I call an original wedding gift. (laughs) Well, yes. It's just like the um, it's just like taking scalps, isn't it? That's what they did. That's what they did in the in America, didn't they? That they, they went out and they took scalps. I guess because um, they had to count the scalps to pay them. Right. Well, they would they would scalp and come back and say, "I've got ten scalps." Oh, here you go. Well done. Squirrel tails with uh, gaming and uh, um. People are horrible, aren't they? Well, look, man, management of nature is a tough thing, right? And, um, you know, and I don't don't mean this to come across the wrong way, but there's an element of men need to be governed, right? And Mm. uh, otherwise, look, just it falls into debauchery and uh, what we we see emergent right now. And... Um, mm. you know, sometimes you need a Taliban around to, uh, you know, <laughs> cane those, uh, cane those, uh, malcontents, lump of yeah, malcontents, well, keep your dick and <laughs> it's yeah. supposed to be. Where's it all going, eh? Where's it all going right now? Mm. When you look at it, it's just, I, 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 I'm not speechless. 
it's, well, it's, it's, living. it's it's quickening right it's accelerating and that's it is uh, that's the um indicator that your state is changing right that, um you you yeah. will see a, yeah. an inflection in its um, normal steady state performance and then um boom, the the next the next steady state emerges this is this is look, i've said it i mean i've learned a lot in the last few years you know I, it, this has been slowly building emerging knowledge for myself so I'm, I'm just building and building and learning as i go along it's not it's not as though i've got a a set of doctrines that have remained unchanged and i'm not taking in new material but i i, I it was i realized the importance only maybe 10 years ago i started realizing the importance of cosmology the, the, the cosmos in the in the religious element of it in 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 scripture and and, and recently when i was looking at uh, i heard actually i heard um what's his name cjb christopher uh, bjorkness talking yeah talking about aliens i watched this video talking about aliens the cult the cut that uh, that uh, it become a religion the belief in aliens and so forth and he did a small video on it and and, uh, and he said some things in there that were true, were, were, were correct. You know, I, I've got to give that to him. He also spouted a lot of rubbish, but he said some things that were correct. And he mentioned the different phases, the different, um, you know, uh, he, he said Taurus and I think Aries and then, uh, and then um, Pisces. And then, uh, what is it, the water pourer? Which one is that now? A Aquarius. And he said, look, uh, you know, he said, we're going through these different ages. And, and he's right, because it actually tells you in Scripture. It, and, and, and he mentioned, he said, well, they come out of Egypt, they worship the golden calf. Well, that's Taurus. The Egyptian, the, the, the period of Egypt, because as, as we go through this circle of the, you know, as the axis of the earth points these, yeah. Yeah, the processional circle, and we pointed these different constellations. It takes about two thousand years to go through each constellation, and they're not sure. They're not hundred percent sure because there's this overlap period. Sometimes it's not a clean cut thing. But if you if you were to take the whole twenty five thousand nine hundred twenty years and divide it by twelve, you get something like two thousand one hundred sixty years each for each constellation. Which, like I say, is not precise because some constellations overlap. Because we, we see them as all in a row like that, but they're not even, if you look at the perspective, you might have one constellation over there and one closer, but we see them all as in the flat, you know. So it's just, it's just our perspective that gives, that sees these constellations as all this and us traveling through them, as it were. So it's a, a construct. It's our own construct. But that said, it's very ancient. And the point is, is that, you know, I was listening to him and thought, well, it brought to mind because I, I I read Numbers twenty four, which is a which is a which is a prophetic chapter, because it, it it's a prophecy put in the mouth of Balaam when he was talking to the king of Moab, and uh, and uh, the context is that um, the king of Moab wanted um, Balaam to curse the Israelites because he could, he saw them camped out uh, in in the uh, in the wilderness and they were gonna they were gonna come through his they're going to have to come through his territory to enter the promised land. And he didn't like the look of this. He saw this big bunch of people. Can you blame him? No. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
he wanted Balaam to curse him. And Balaam was told, don't, don't curse him. So every time Balaam tried to curse him, he ended up giving him a blessing instead. That's, that's how the story goes. But in any case, he's on this mountain and he, he gives this thing and he, 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 talks, uh, he talks about um, the tents of Jacob will be like trees on either side of a river. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, well, that, that's the book of Revelation because the last chapter of the Bible, 21 and 22, it talks about a garden and there's a tree on either side of the river which is, uh, it's like a tree, but it's standing on both banks of the river at the same time, as though the river's going through the middle of the tree or something. I thought this was really weird, but it, it, this prophecy of Balaam talks about the, the, the river and the, and the tree. And I, I realise he's talking about the celestial river. He's talking about the Milky Way, which the ancients always saw as a river, right? As a celestial, the heavenly river, even the Chinese. So... He's talking about the river, like a tree planted on the, on, the, on the banks of the river, the tents of Jacob, and he, he blesses him, you see, and this makes uh, the king of Moab um, really m mad um, because he's trying to get him cursed, and every time he tries to get him cursed, he gets a blessing. They get a blessing. But he goes through this, and he talks about Jacob be being like the strength of a bull. And I'm thinking, there you've got Taurus. And then later on he goes on, and then he goes on, and he says that the um, – he says – his seed shall be poured out on many in many on many waters. Uh, he's talking about Jacob's seed. In other words, he's going to be fruitful and multiply. And I thought, there's your water pourer. There, there's Aquarius. And when you go and look at each of these periods, and Björkner actually got this right, which I was surprised. I thought, oh, he's he's made the connection. He's made a connection. He's actually seen this, and he's correct. He said as well. He said you've got these different periods in this cosmology. You've got the bull, which is the period of Egypt. Then you've got Eris, which is the goat. And you, you've got Abraham sacrificing the goat. That's Genesis 22. The, the goat, Abraham sacrificing the goat. Then you've got um, Pisces, which is the fish, which was the symbol of, uh, adopted by Christians. And that's almost a 2,000-year period that we're nearly at the end of. We're at the end of this 2,000-year period of Pisces, which is the, 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 the Christian phase and then the next phase is Aquarius, the age of Aquarius, which is the outpouring of the waters on many nations. So you've got this pro prophetic progression. Wait, I, I thought, I thought uh, water pouring, I was going to be able to go and uh, comb over all the ladies and spread my seed. What's, what's going on? What's with all the doom Well, that's gloom? what it means. Spread your seed spread on, over many nations. So they they become a great people. What it means is the descendants of Jacob become a great people. And then you've got to ask, well, who are these descendants of Jacob? Is that literal or not? Or do, is it all? I mean, we, you, you get into this whole metaphysical discussion. But but the point is is the point I wanted to make is that um, uh, it, and it's interesting uh, because it talks about. Um, it talks about uh, Jacob being, uh, or it talks about, um, I think it's the, the literal words. Oops. Wait. Did you see that? Yeah. Bash it with your rod. That was my, my that was my little pigeon. He's, he's, he's a wild pigeon, but he comes here for seed. And he sometimes he walks over my keyboard. All right. What are yeah, you doing? pigeon's tasty, bro. Look at this. Look, I'll just turn this for a minute. You'll be able to see it. Oh, yeah. he's flying away. away. He didn't like it. He flew away. He flew away. He sat, sat right next to me. 
uh, sometimes he comes and sits right right on the edge. He actually grabs the edge of the uh, the the, the, key, the um, computer screen and stands and sits on it with his feet and just looks at me. And I say, "You better not shit on my keyboard." Right. <laughs> looks at me. I say, "You better not shit on my keyboard because I'll be really cross." And he just comes back because I feed him. I feed him out my hand now. It's unbelievable, a wild creature. But anyway, get totally distracted. Yeah, it talks about Agag, um, which is the king of the Moabites. It talks about Agag being. Uh, it talks about Jacob being higher than Agag and and, and ex- exceeding high. And the thing is, Agag is is later in later scripture. Agag becomes Gog, which. In the in the eye of Christians becomes the, uh, the the northern invader, you know, Russia and Putin and Gog and all this stuff. But the point is, is that this whole mythology of Agag uh, and Amalek, Amalek and Agag, is then then t- talked about uh, in the um, in the uh, story of Esther, and she has this Agagite, which is um, Mordecai. Uh, sorry, um, um, Mordecai and this uh, and, the, and the, this uh, this Agagite who tries to kill all the Jews, and he's hung on a on a on a um, gallows. And in that story, it says the gallows was fifty cubits high. It, it specifically mentions how high this gallows is, which is a six-story building, and he's hung there with his with his sons on this building, on this. Uh, uh, on the scaffold, on this, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's hung up, six to- which is the height of a six-story building, which goes straight back to this prophecy about the Jacob being high and Agag being exceeding high, and then you see him being hung up, uh, he, you know. So what I'm saying is that there is these, these connections that run right through uh, Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and they're based on on this cosmology, this 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 understanding of the universe the procession time these periods and it wasn't just the hebrews the greeks talked about a period of the golden age and that ended and there was an there was an age of plenty and it was almost people were at peace and there were, it was like paradise on earth and then there was you know and then the gods did this and then this other age comes along which is where everyone's fighting with each other and you know th- there's hardship and so we we've gone through I think that the ancients measured the, 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 these, these processional cycles and they knew that disasters happened at a regular basis and that each disaster would bring on a new age. Mm. And, and, and so this is just coming out to me. I'm starting to understand that this, it, it isn't all just uh, fairy tales. There, there's something there that goes back that's very ancient. And I see this struggle between Gnosticism, which came from Egypt, which is very ancient, which is a way of looking at the cosmos again and looking at man's place and basically denying reality and saying uh, the material reality is just, it's a prison. And this is your denial of reality. This, This is where the transhumanists are on, the route that they're on, which is because what they want to construct for us is they want to construct a, a different reality, which is basically based on computers and on drugs. We don't know what to do with all these people now. And if we enter hardship, 
right? If, if we enter a new age of hardship, what are we going to do? Well, number one, we have to get rid of a lot of people because we just can't feed them all. And number two, if they're going to live a life that's where they're going to eat bugs and this, that, and the other, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with all these people? Well, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll put them in an alternative reality based on, on a VR, uh, 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 you know, uh, a virtual reality, and, and we'll keep them drugged. And that way there won't be any trouble. Uh, so, so this is this is the the ultimate the ultimate um, result of denying reality, of denying the material world, because the material world will bite you in the ass eventually. Rea reality will impose itself, and you can live in a pretend world where men are women and women are men, and and all, all the other stuff they want to do. But it, it, and you know and 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 you can you can propagandize everyone oh you got that's it yeah. oh Oh, cool. Very good. <laughs> you mean I've got black skin, how dare you? <laughs> going in for a... You're black. <laughs> I'm bleak. I'm a... Can I have to go and discipline the boy? All right. Um, yeah, I'm, look, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you about uh, in a fictive versus actual reality. Um, you're always... Fictive always crashes, crashes into actual... Um, but this, yeah. this idea of a fictive reality, this idea of a fictive reality comes, in my view, from Gnosticism, which denies the material world, which says the material world is evil, it's, it's just a prison, and we have to escape it, and we can transcend it. And the question is, is how do you transcend it? And their idea of transcending it is to create a virtual reality, to keep people drugged and playing games. And it, it is the matrix. Is people in pods with their brains linked to a computer and being fed intravenously. And that that's the ultimate. I know it sounds all crazy, but th this is how they talk. This is, this is what they want. They're saying that, well, if we can't control, if we, is, it's like giving up. It's like saying, if we can't control the material world, if we're, if we're, um, subject to the vicissitudes of nature and the material world and God, if, you want to believe in him, what he does to us, well, we can escape this by creating our own world. And we don't care what happens out there then. We'll keep people alive by feeding them bugs and proteins that way, and we'll just keep them in a... In a they can be anything they want. They can go to Mars, they can whatever, you know, because they're in a virtual reality. Maybe, maybe. Look... We all sit here all looking the plans at the screen. will fail, though, when, when the electricity goes, because that's it. You've, your whole virtual reality, your whole modern world, your whole civilization, everything, everything is. But maybe based maybe on... they've got geothermal uh, generators keep their uh, goggles on. I don't, I don't know, I don't know. But the thing is, this is what I can't. If they're that smart, if they're that clever, I mean, are they that clever? I mean, Joe Biden now wants to block out the sun. He wants, he wants, he wants to give permission to start spraying to block. How, how on earth? Uh, I, I know. I mean, this is just madness. 
It's, it's, it's insane. And the thing is, the thing is, this is not about stopping the earth heating up. This is about stopping radiation. They know what's coming. They know what's coming. And they think they can stop radiation, control what's coming by throwing crap into the air. Oh, yeah, well, that's going to save us. They're insane. Maybe it could. If it's not a bolide and it's um, a plasma discharge, um, we do have the tech to be able to, to deflect it. Um, that's that's the secret knowledge in the 21st century, right? That we've 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 They're just not telling out. us. Yeah. Well, look, you don't tell the chickens you're going to uh, steal their eggs and uh, chop their heads off and stick them in a pot, right? <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to keep laying eggs. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I can see the. You know, otherwise you just end up in anarchy, right? And um, well, they don't want people to know because the fear and the un of the unknown and the, the the fact that they think they might think that oh we 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 could all I mean it, it's the it's the movie Don't Look Up. Mm. Did you ever watch it? Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Don't look up. That's that's what it's about, and it doesn't have to be a bolide. Uh, they 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 said it was a meteorite or a bolide or whatever. But that movie encapsulates exactly what's happening. And you've got the elite there who want to go on a rocket and go to a different planet. And, you know, Meryl Streep and all them, in the end, they all get out half naked and they're, they're in this... No, they're fully naked, bro. And, uh... Fully <laughs> naked, letting all the wrinkles hang out. And they're there and they're, and they're eaten by dinosaurs on this other planet. I thought it was funny. It was a really good ending. But, yeah. but the thing is, the thing is, is that you, you can't tell people that. You, what they're saying to us is effectively, um, I mean, you can you could take this movie a couple of ways, but what they're basically saying to us is don't look up. Don't look up. You know, just keep on, carry on, ignore everything, live in denial, don't look up, you know, because... Yeah, but I, could, I, could, I could switch that argument around and just say, you know, the to, to not study and not take... Um, evasive maneuvers right and just uh you know i can lock myself in my house and you know just teach the kids i don't know whatever what's the gold tablets what are they called mormons <laughs> i could do uh, any, oh, yeah, any, yeah, anything yeah. right i could i could i could do that and um i could extend the metaphor to say well i could just be teaching them the the holy scriptures as, as yeah. christianity yeah. understands yeah. them and yeah. um you're not yeah. that's becoming that becomes a fictive reality yeah right yeah. because yeah. Yeah. you're not you 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 make the um false decision and over a long enough timeline it it becomes antithetical to your lineage progression yeah yeah. And so there's, there's look, a look at the end of the day, it's got to be it, you, you can't get away from you need faith. That's it. And, and that's it. I mean, yes, reason plays a, a big part in it. Yes. But at the end of the day, these people knew something. They knew something. I don't care what anyone says. They knew something because the apocalypse and some of the prophetic books, they they knew what was coming. So they, they had an idea about the cyclical nature of 
the universe and they've made predictions the, the, the one of the greatest ones is i think and you could say well you know what, what's happening is is um i i, I always uh, I, I always think this is interesting is the um is is the fact that they say that uh, in that day the mount of olives will split and and that's in the, that comes from the book of zachariah and that, why did they say that because they had an earthquake in the time of Isaiah where they, they had an earthquake and that has been established that 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 i believe it even may even have happened on the day of atonement that they had an earthquake uh, and 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 the prophet isaiah refers to it in his vision because he talks about the the post the pillars he gets a vision of heaven but he's actually in the temple and he talks about the pillars shaking and the house being filled with smoke because he's in the temple there's incense and he sees the pillars shake, shaking and he has a vision of he has a vision of god he's in the temple but the pillars shake and he hears thunder and the pillars shake and this is the, the the thing is is that this is probably based on the real experience of an earthquake in the time of Isaiah. zachariah mentions an earthquake in the time of Isaiah, and there have been um archaeologists etc that have confirmed this that, that around that period an earthquake happened and it says as in the days of Isaiah. but this one is going to be much bigger because if you look at the at the topography and you look at what says in other scriptures um the the whole topography of the middle east will change and it's not for nothing that we have the dead sea the dead sea um the lowest point on earth um if you if you read uh, the, the the other prophetic books and you look at uh revelation etc it talks about a river flowing from out jerusalem for the healing of the nations now a lot of it is metaphorical language but there's some practical geographical and it, it talks about listen to this it talks about the beast and the false prophet thrown into the the, the lake of fire that is metaphorical but it's also got a physical basis because we have lakes of fire we have a lake of fire in iceland we have a lake of fire in hawaii where there's been an earthquake so what it's saying is what it's saying is is that the topography of the dead sea the dead sea will be raised up and the waters will will flow to the mediterranean and the dead sea the topography will change um you know it, uh, isaiah talks about yeah you know make straight the way of the lord every every mountain will be laid low uh, low and every valley will be raised and 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 the crooked path will be made straight the topography will, will change and when you look at it you the um when they entered the land there was an earthquake uh because the earthquake destroyed jericho but the earthquake also blocked the jordan which allowed them to cross and i believe that's historically correct i don't think that's fantasy i think there was an earthquake when they when they went in because the river the jordan was blocked and they crossed over and jericho uh the first city they encountered the the walls of jericho fell fell over because of the aftershocks but the point is is that the um rift valley travels up from africa uh from the lakes of tanzania and it goes under the sea there and it goes right up through the jordan valley right up the baikal valley right up to turkey so you you've got that whole section of africa which is all those lakes that are there like all those lakes are all linked on this fault line it's where they're building up in ethiopia they're building one of the biggest dams and they're building it near a fault line they're, they're building the grid which is a great uh, ethiopian renaissance the great 
uh, Renaissance, uh, Ethiopian Renaissance dam. And they're building this huge dam right near fault lines. And that whole, we know that whole thing is moving. We know that whole section of Africa is moving. And it's linked right up through to the Middle East, right up to Turkey. But the thing is, I, I, was, I was just watching, um, what's his name, uh, Dutch Sinez, uh, his, uh, I think the previous or the latest or the previous uh, thing. And he was showing the increased activity in uh, volcanic, he, he was showing that what what's running along Africa, these lakes, whether you've got this volcanic uh, lakes and, 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 and this rift, you've got the same rift in the sea off the coast of Africa, and you've got big, and he was showing you big uh, underwater volcanoes on, on that same paralleling where the rift is, underwater volcanoes. And he, some years back, I think 10, might be 10 years ago, he actually called out this um, island. It was a little French island. It was between Madagascar, I've forgotten the name, it was between Madagascar and the coast of Africa. And he called it out because he, he warned the people because there was seismic activity there. And he warned the people, he said, oh, this is dangerous because there's an underwater volcano just off the coast here and this is all volcanic and blah, blah, blah. And the French actually went on TV and they slagged him off and said, we got some conspiracy nutter on YouTube, and he's uh, he's he's uh, calling out. Uh, I've forgot, forgotten the name of the island. He's making the people on the island of whatever scared because he says there's underwater volcano Martinique. and so, huh? Martinique. No, I don't. I don't think it was Martinique. But he said there was underwater volcanoes and all this. And the thing is, a few months later, after this, after this, these uh, seismic swarm, there was an eruption on the island. And they had to come clean and say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we knew about it all along and blah, 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 blah. But they didn't. They didn't. But what I'm saying is this, um, to me, now, it might just be that the, the ancients had looked, you could say, well, the ancients had had experience along. They knew there was a fault line there because they had, uh, the, 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 when they entered the land, Jericho and all that, and they, they saw the Jordan River being... Uh, you know, uh, blocked off when they entered. And then later on, they, uh, in the days of Isaiah, there was an earthquake and a big, uh, there, there was, you know, in Jerusalem itself was affected. So they knew there's a fault line going right up the Jordan Valley. And maybe they just called it correctly when they're saying, this is what's going to happen in the end time. And there's going to be, you know, the Mount of Olives was split and that this will happen and that that will happen. The top topography, maybe they're just projecting on what, building on the knowledge they already had accumulated because they're not people aren't stupid we we tend to think that ancient people aren't stupid but but they they thought of the, the idea of the atom and whatnot in in greek yeah, times but it's but what's different about what you're saying versus someone like graham hancock for example he's he's speaking about exactly the same thing he doesn't um but without the I would, you can make the argument that he has a faith in the spiritual domain, but it's not, um, he's not Christian in that sense. And um, yeah, this comes back to my point about um, does it matter which codex is punched through the boundary condition of the state change? The, you know, if he's correct and you're correct, um, it's cyclical and maybe upon us. And, um, you know, is it. Uh, maybe we should be putting more of our efforts into 
the the scientific you know build build more pyramids in code um, I, I, I think it matters incredibly as to what approach you take because if you take the Gnostic approach, we're seeing the result of that now. The Gnostic approach, and you, if you pile onto that the philosophy of the people of people like Nietzsche, the Ubermensch, and uh, and compassion and altruism, altruism uh, as Christian values are just a sign of human weakness, and um, and, 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 and 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 so forth. Um, uh, and, and you know, and, and Darwinism, the strongest survive, and uh, life is just a, a struggle. And uh, the materialists and and the Gnostics, which you know, all all, all that, all that metaphysical and f philosophical uh, reasoning leads to where we are now, to exactly where we are now, which is tenocracy, which is we can do this by ourselves. We can. We, we can, uh, if, we, if we have the right science, uh, we can create our own reality. We don't need any gods. Yeah, but, but we, we can transcend like ourselves and become gods ourselves. We don't need anything. And, 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 and so these are the two different approaches. And, but, you know, a grounded science is one that realizes that there are tenets of reality that are fundamental and you, you know you you warp them at your at your own peril and this um you know but uh, but is, is the question science... to me is just what's what's the best vehicle to get through the cyclical change and it's um it, it seems almost it's irrelevant as to what um what comes through it's it's almost like there's a degree of selfishness with respect to religion where they say our message has to get through um because then and and again you you talk about there being hidden knowledge in the text already right it's baked in so um why why leave it as something as abstract and um requiring of I, I don't know ocean of worship is the right word but study per se but you know why not why not send through a codex like we strapped onto voyager which is yeah there's man and woman it's uh there are a bunch of elements that you can use and um well that's careful. already out of date isn't it uh What's on the? Um... Because it's not man and woman. Yeah, but why not? Why according, not? according according to what we're now being taught, man and woman don't exist. And you know, it's it, it, yes, it's, but that that we can it's... see that we've strayed from what that codex, which we sent out on our um, spacecraft, right? And so yeah, we've we can... already strayed from it. We've already. But my point is, is that you're talking about surviving as a civilization or as a species. But at the end of the day, we all have an individual, an individual journey, which is apart from our species. Uh, yeah, we we um, we we uh, we we reproduce. So so that is how we live on in a way as as a species because we reproduce ourselves with having children. 
But in the end, we all have an individual journey. It, it, it's not just a civilizational journey or civilization surviving or not surviving. It's also our own personal journey, which is apart from our species. And each one of us has to travel this alone. We, we have no choice over being born and we have no choice over dying uh, unless you take your own life. But in the end, we, we all we all go through this same journey, we, you know. So we, we do it on a lot. Whether, whether civilization survives or not, well, who knows what happens after I'm dead? Who cares in some ways, you could say? You, you care for your children, of course, because they carry on, you know, your DNA, whatever. But in the end, it's both a personal journey and a civilizational journey. And they're both, there is connection, there is overlap between the two, but they are also separate. And so there has to be, a, I say, there is a metaphysical element in this. And these people have chosen the route of knowledge. Knowledge is power. Go back to that scene out of Batman forever. Knowledge is power. And a God am I? Well, the thing is, it doesn't make you a God. Uh, it didn't make Adam and Eve gods. This knowledge, it just yeah, brought. You can you could take someone. You now, what's that island off India? I don't know where they. they Ceylon. No, there's Sri one. Lanka? There's one that's literally people living like it's the Stone Age, and they oh, they yeah, lynched yeah. a priest, right? But yeah, uh, yeah, they'll probably survive. They'll probably yeah. survive. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a choice, right? That you can have. You can either have that with nature existence and not look up or you look up and you start down the tech technological pathway um both seem valid strategies to me in a well well i, t I take the third strategy which is what where, where, which is a uh, uh, which is what jesus says is when you when you see these things come to pass, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Um, no, this is literal. Words. I, 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 these, was, I would up. say you, you were just dependent on uh, the previous iteration of technology's message. Uh, or, or, yeah, you were, you were, you're dependent on more ancient technology that, that those people, yeah. the Indian example, they don't have. They haven't. Yeah. scrolled down their their metaphysics yet and you know no doubt they have some or I don't know, maybe i don't know if i'm making an assumption here that like uh the aborigines have a sort mm. of oral mm. tradition that they yeah. they keep and um that's mm. why they don't want the priests to come on because it's typically priests that are doing it right the, they're trying to get on there to convert them and yeah. uh, the from a from a informatics perspective, you can't you can't. There's no difference, right? It's it's what gets across that threshold and enables the the species, and then I would I would argue consciousness to continue to. To persist and exist now you know that that then gets into a deeper question about well are we the only conscious 
beings on the planet? Um, are we the only conscious beings in the universe? Where does where are those? Where do we draw those boundaries, etc.? And um, all, all these are um, unknowns at the moment. But um, I'm I'm agnostic to the the means of getting information through, so long as something approximating morals and ethics are encoded into the information transfer as well. Right, that we don't want to devolve as too much because of the, the of course there will be some when um the systems break and you could you could perhaps make the argument that you know the the savages on that island are going to devolve less than we will <laughs> then we might not even survive but but the, i i don't think you know if I mean, it, this is really a complex question. And look, I, I do think we've gone through cyclical. Um, yeah, I, I have no doubt. Right? We, we know anatomically modern human beings have been on this planet for hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. And, and there's no there's no way, right, from my understanding of primatology and um, that uh, something with our brain case and neural networking wouldn't keep going on that the, the you know the reset might happen but the trajectory will continue again because those though the memories are encoded and you know you can argue about but this, this is why and... this this is why i keep coming back to the garden of eden because i think that myth is, is saying exactly what you're saying now yeah, but yeah, is, it, it, is this not a Garden of Eden right now? You know, if you yeah, take no, off uh, what, what it's what it's doing now is it's giving exactly the argument that you're giving that there's two there's different ways to approach this. One way is you're being prevented from being illuminated because if you had the right knowledge, you can get through this and you can become a god and live forever, or your civilization can survive and live forever. So that's the argument from the serpent, you just need to be illuminated and you're being prevented from being illuminated, which is the argument that the Gnostics and the technocrats, technocrats put forward. And this, yeah, but the, I, the, I could make the argument that the religious or, or the, oh, sorry, the, the fundamental religious types are using, right? The, the, your scripture becomes a form of illumination. So you learn the symbolic representation of our language and its mm. rules and and you will become illuminated right that that's it, that's baked into all these premises and this and that this is why I'm, I'm i'm sort of struggling with the um why why one and not the other right because again evolution will or evolutionary pressure will have its way eventually right you can't you can't warp basic biology so too far because it, it's creating a fictive yeah, reality yeah. you're moving yeah. away from yeah. uh, the nature yeah. of the universe mm. and yeah yada 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 and yeah um i'm um surely surely it makes sense actually from an evolutionary perspective to have as many different approaches heading towards these uh, edge conditions as possible to make sure at least some 
get through. Not all of them will, but some will get through. And, you know, the most flimsiest of them all are the ones that are built upon, well, you could argue, uh, I, I, I'd say advanced tech, but, you know, most people don't understand even the workings of their keyboard, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, that's... Yeah. That's problematic. Yeah. That's that's a fragile civilization. But then, mm. you know, how, how much does that have to get knocked back? To right, it wasn't that long ago. To, you know, I've got memories of there still being horse and cart delivery shit going on. Right. Um, I I, on, I honestly don't think we've ever been as vulnerable as we are now. Haven't we? I because don't think... because if if we've if if Hancock's premise is correct, right, that there was engineering around where they they were able to move blocks of stone that we would struggle to today, even with our most advanced mm. machines, and we're talking, you know, blocks of a thousand tons, right? Even even a hundred, two hundred tons requires um, very sophisticated. Um, you need those yeah. cargo type yeah. cranes that yeah. are on rails yeah. and what have you and so it it seems axiomatic or baked in i would say that the, the these civilizations or advanced civilization has moved towards these event horizons to the point where they've engineered in these um clues i guess uh, or um symbols that we that when we when it comes to trying to understand the nature of reality you can look at them and there are all these constants that are built into them right and so you know if i'm, I'm not an i'm not a egyptologist or an expert on the um pyramids for example but the idea that the dimensions of the earth are encoded into the dimensions of the pyramid that tells mm. you that you you had a civilization around much 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 further than the written scriptures that we have right now that the religious would be grabbing onto and um saying this is this is the one and only way to get through this cyclical um, state change that we, we're subject to and you know the well look there's no doubt when they you know when the Gnostics say a lot of this has been hidden is that um, is that certain things are uh, questionable and I think the reason it has been hidden is because that knowledge is to the advantage of certain people uh, and that might have been in the past. That might have been priestly class or something like that. That that, that could leverage that knowledge to stay on top. And uh, and 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 this is what we are dealing with. That people want to take advantage of that. And, and I see that that's what's happening now. But we we've got a class of people who want to come out on top and be the gods of the new age. And these are the oligarchs and the rulers. I have no doubt they've got their bunkers um, ready and they've got technology 
different technology ready to roll out and 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 things for afterwards and 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 i i don't think they've even shown us all the advances in science they've made medical science and everything and i think a lot is just hidden it's hidden away i think they're experimenting now um like mad because they know something's coming so they're experimenting and they've they're you know they're getting ready for the reset i i think they do this build back better i think they know full well not all of them not all of them but i think i think there's a, only a very small number of the, the top elite know what's coming and they and they're getting ready for it to emerge as the you know the owners of this new world and this new world they don't want they don't want the uh the democracy that we have now of ordinary people to have a yeah, to have yeah, the yeah, you're naive now. to think that there's sort of anything approximating actual representation for the people if you're not seeing that as a um an illusion for the proles right now um yeah you're well a lot of people naive. still do see it a lot of people still do think they can vote their way out and that you know that uh you know that it will change things it won't so it won't you know, perhaps uh, you know them. Them realizing that this state change is coming, they're just like, ah, well, we may as well just uh, let people, you know, let them do what they want. Like a like kids at the weekend, you don't send them to bed like normal. They they want to they well, want to go I, I chopping think... their genitals off. Uh, we can let them have it. Doesn't matter. They're, in the long they're run. sucking. Uh, they're sucking out as much wealth as possible. That's what they're doing. They're sucking out all the wealth, and they're experimenting. Mm. which is you know like i said we've got eight billion people we've never had as many people on earth so that gives them a fantastic opportunity to experiment if if that population gets dropped by anything then they won't that opportunity is lost they've got a huge they've just finished the human genome project so they've got a huge pool of uh, of genetic material to experiment with uh, they've got a small time frame to do it in and uh, and and to suck out all the wealth and to um the 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 building already the tools for the next age the robots will be the tools for the next age the computers the ai the robots is all ready to go it's all ready to go and so so i honestly think that they believe they can survive what's coming bury themselves away the, the archaeological just, history tells us that yeah. we survive Right. Yeah, we do survive. We do survive as a species, right? So yeah, the, as a species. Yeah. The, the question becomes, and you know, this is something that again Graham Hancock talks about a lot. That there's the the symbol of you know, uh, oh, what's it called, Quetzal, Quetzalcoatl. The yeah, 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 the flying serpent. Yeah, and coming and bringing information to these different groups, right? Saying you know, here's here's agriculture for you here's here's the basis of building out civilization again yeah 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 right? yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. if if that's the case then um i'm i'm again it it leaves me it leaves me agnostic as to the means of getting the the information through from one age to the next and yeah. if the, if they're make if they're making preparations for that, then um, I would do that in that in that position if I was privy to their all, all that they knew and had to make sure the... you're on top. Yeah, of you're... course. <laughs> of you course. come out on top. 
And yeah. it, it may it may just be that um, in, in the most basics of calculations that they've just got it that it may we have to get human beings through. So they, you know, we're we're not dominated by uh, saber tooth tigers and what have yeah, right. It's just it may be that for for all we know. Um, look, look, look. They, they've they've got libraries where they put. I think there's one in Norway where they put all seeds, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they know something. They know. I don't care what they say. They know that something's coming, and I'm sure they've got libraries with seeds. They've also done the Human Genome Project. They they will have libraries with genetics. They I'm sure they've got stuff ready for if there's a. Um, we had only seventy five thousand years ago. We had the uh, that big volcano. Was it Tombora or something mm. like that? Blew up, and they reckon there was a bottleneck where where human beings went down to like eight thousand people on Earth. Yep. Now, of course, we were starting from a much much lower number. Um, you know, there weren't as many people on Earth. Anyway, but the thing is, is it's a regular occurrence. But the question we have to ask ourselves is why? I mean, is it, it, this this is the whole thing that comes in with reality and why we're here and what meaning has life got? And is is this process a process of selection? Is it a process of us evolving? Is is there is there something metaphysical to it? Is it outside consciousness? You you, you can't get away from those questions. Or is it just random events? We're just floating through space every now and then, every now and then, wham, bam, and then yeah, a but new, that's a, that's a, a ultra, new, a new ultra. a new page gets turned, a new page gets turned every so every couple of hundred thousand years or whatever, wham, bam, and we start again. A new a new page gets turned. We start from scratch, and new civilization starts. Are we just a version of the Sims? Is somebody playing a night? Want to say, oh, well, yeah, this game may over. it may may be the case that there is, it, is... you know someone's saying this game is over now. I, I, I've got. I've saved. Uh, I've saved Kevin as a good character. He he can he can go into my collection now here, and uh, and I've saved Paul. But the rest, uh, they'll go. Time for the next uh, iteration would, of this. I game. would make the argument that in in effect, that's what religious thinking and doctrine does. And when you start to think about the metaphysical, you realize there's an understanding that your time here is finite, and so in order to not be crushed by the existential dread that that would impose upon a, a species you must you must program in these higher order higher dimensional constructs into um into that information transfer and you know the, the it comes down to which way is the most efficient way of doing but, that but then and, then then it, then it's just there for psychological reasons as a as a as a balm as a, as an antidote to you know ex existential angst or whatever that we just have this these myths to keep us happy so that we will continue working and breeding and not be not give too yeah, much but, thought but to you, you said to, to, less less concern about working but breeding it's important to be able to breed to make sure that you've got um enough uh, enough of your kind on the whatever this plane is and they that they, they, there's enough that get through such that if you have a super eruption like uh, the volcano seventy thousand years ago that they don't they don't implode with the psychological destruction because you know a, a, a 
a nervous system like ours that can contemplate its finite existence is going to be prone to the, the the darker elements that you, if there's nothing you may as well just in, in, do as thou wilt right but it, it, yeah, yeah. evolutionarily that's a that's a short term gain over against a long term um you're going to make the the environment more hostile to yourself because more and more people will just say well I'll just do as I want right and yeah, yeah, and exactly. so whoever's whoever's got the you 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 need uh, you need and this is why uh, individualism has to be balanced with collectivism uh, as much as i hate to say it because you do need altruism and you do need a sense of society in order to survive hmm. no man is an island but they take it to the other extreme where individuality does not exist uh, and and it and it's awful and selfish to 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 want to do things and be an individual which is not true but there has to be a sense of cooperation as well, like you say, because otherwise society can't function. You know, well, it, um, it just, we, it just we, ends up more primitive, and you end up like. Well, know. we we built we built one we've done we've done wonderful things we've done bad things very bad things but we've also done wonderful things made wonderful things created beautiful things, I mean we're not all we're not we are fallen but we have done wonderful things. Which is our which is our godlike quality that we are made in the image of God. We have done things that are exceptional, but 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 we fall to this lowest denominator all the time. And that that, that the question is 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 again, is there more meaning to life than just this ex existential plane? Is is that all it's about? Is it all just about survival and breeding? Because that's that's you know that's your Darwinian. It's, a, it's an intrinsic mechanism to get through um like i say that the the way i've understand it as you said before that you know a, a fundamentalist gnostic if there's such a thing would just not breed and not work and not eat and not partake of the things that's required of them in order to um engage in lineage progression and that the yeah, yeah, just from an just, evolutionary perspective, yeah. that doesn't work because you no. last a generation. That's it, and then you, then you yeah, 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 exactly. If you were to take it completely seriously and say the material world is evil and you have to transcend, you you would end up um, you you would end up not breeding and not uh, living at all, and uh, you might as well just get in your suicide booth, um, like Canada. But the the, the thing is, is is that. Uh, is this part of our evolution? Is this part of our going to the next stage? And by that, I mean, is this, is this is how you look at it? Is this life as individuals, not, not as a, maybe as a society as well, but as individuals, is this part of our evolution to go to the heart to transcend? That's what, what you're you going to say. Is there something else? In other words, is, is there meaning to life? Is there something else? Or is it just this material existence, breeding, that's it, finished. Surviving whatever's thrown our way, is that it? But I mean, that's the whole question of metaphysics, isn't it? Is there something else? Is there an outside consciousness? Is there more meaning than just the material? Is, is this part of our evolution? I would say it is. I would say yes. I mean, that, that's, what I, that's what, what I believe. It, this is, there's more to it than just material existence. So 
in that sense, the Gnostics are partly right. But then this is the same with all religions. They all have elements of truth. There is more to it than just material existence. There's got to be. Um, get, get through to the next round. Yeah, get through to the next round. And, and you know, um, ready player one. But, but God is the, is the ultimate uh, outside consciousness. And that's why they can't find, I think that's why they can't find what consciousness is. They think it's just consciousness is just the result of the chemical and electrical, uh, you know, um, interactions of our DNA and, and the environment and everything else. And uh, consciousness, consciousness is an emergent uh, quality when you have these complex neural uh, whatever. But I think it's more than that. I think there is an outside consciousness. Well, I, I don't I, think... I would, I'd phrase it slightly differently, that um, because of that inherent complexity, that that emergent property, we should consider it something sacred and, you know, mess with it at your, at your peril. Now, you know, that, that then comes down to the choice of, are you going to live like the as close to nature as possible, like the, the island folk of India, and eat anyone that comes onto your island, or do you, do you pursue a different um, avenue, and then you, um, you go down the philosophical track, you go down, and you know, out of philosophy and abstraction comes mathematics, and the chemistry, the, the study of nature, and um you know it's a double-edged sword um the problem that we have at the moment is more who's who gets to decide um which which of those human domains we elevate and which we suppress and the this is where you know it's the argument about Look, subversion. We're, we're, we're on we're on the brink of i i think we're on the brink of something monumental I, I really do and 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 yeah people are people might be scared they might be frightened but i think that we this this only comes along once every so often and 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 we're going to see this civilizational change there are people who want to use it for their own ends and and that's evil they want to Is use it evil it. though that's the thing if it if it gets through and enables a flourishing of life then that's that's the better thing because you you stand more chances the next time the cycle comes through yeah but will it be a flourishing of life it won't be will it it'll be uh it'll be star trek it's life but not as we know it jim I mean, people that are zombies and have had their IQ yeah, There's plenty of zombies around us at the moment, bro. This, uh... <laughs> but people who've had their IQ deliberately lowered and, 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 and are put into a, a, a box where, which you can't escape from and become virtual slaves. But uh, from uh, an uh, abstract uh, perspective, that, that exists already. Just look at, look at your cities, right? <laughs> well. People live in boxes and... Um, go about their lives um, in... You know. Yeah, okay, but you're taking it to the next level, aren't you? You're taking it to the next level where, where, where any, even any illusion of freedom is removed. 
because now there still is the illusion of freedom. You can travel and you can do things and you can, you know, you, you have free speech to a certain extent, blah, blah, blah. I know it's an illusion, but the illusion is there. But when they take that curtain away, then there's just the brick wall. You suddenly realise, well, it's not true. Well, it's just when the, when the brick wall's visible, you've got to get your... Can I say people it's a spade and you you rake and you can't go out and subsist more. Um, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's the that seems to be the what well whatever whatever is. happens we're at a uh, we're in a period of unprecedented change, and I think that people who are alive now are going to see this through and see what happens and we'll 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 know we'll all know yeah. and. Uh, we're told not to look up, but I'm going to keep looking up. Look up for your redemption drawer than I. Yeah, people can look can not look up if they want to, but I'll keep looking up because that's what I believe. And I, I, my faith will hopefully get me through because that's what I rely on. Other people might rely on other things, technology or the promises of the elite or whatever they want. All, all, I don't. All, of, all of those can be described as articles of faith, right? Yeah. You've got faith in the you've got faith in your leaders you've got faith in whatever it's where you where you place that faith yeah. and what has what it, has yeah. the longest trajectory as an arc of existence and um the yeah i i don't have a good answer for that or you know i would I, if it was me i'd try to load the bases as much as possible with as many different techniques and um, ideas as as humanly possible, and, and yeah. see what gets through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hedge your bets, says good doggy. Hedge um, your bets. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going. I'm going all in in what I think is is the correct way, mm. and I, I I can see merit in it. I can see. I, I I'm learning more and more, and I think that uh, th th these new the, these revelations, I call them new revelations because they're the revelations of this cycle. This cycle, these Ab Abrahamic revelation, and uh, on which is based the, the New Testament, uh, uh, you know, is so, so the Abrahamic uh, revelation is what the New Testament is based on. And, and, and you were told a, a brief prehistory of the earth, which was the, um, the Adam and Eve story and Noah's flood, and which is, which is myth that is known to all, similar myths were known to all the ancient people from that area, similar type myths of uh, a paradise and uh, even the Greeks and, 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 uh, and a flood and all that sort of stuff. So, but then after that period, you have this... Um, the, the Abrahamic revelation on which really the whole Old Testament and New Testament is built because it falls on it follows on from there the prophets and 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 and, and Abraham's told your your descendants are going to go down to Egypt and they're going to be slaves for 100 years and then they're going to come out and then I'm going to give them a land and all this so 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 this this Abrahamic um, revelation it is the basis of this new cycle which then ends up with Christ and ends up with uh, the, the the book of revelation which tells us oh there's a destruction coming that's the end you know that's, yeah, but that's that these things uh are, are universal right so you know you think about yeah but what i'm saying is i think what necessitated that this cycle of revelation everything uh 
and and you, you've got the one of the main characters in it being that serpent. I think that serpent comes from a previous cycle. But reptiles are very old. I'm not saying literally, but reptiles are very old uh, and related to dinosaurs, related to whatever come become for. And I think they were adopted as a symbol by the Gnostics, the, the Ouroboros, the, the snake eats its tail, the serpent being the illuminated, being the the wise one, being the one who says that you 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 can you can save yourself through knowledge. Yeah. That is going to wrap up here. No. Oh, lazy bit. Yeah. I, I've I've got to go in a minute. Yeah, anyway, yeah. It's, it's getting dark here. I'm sat outside and it's getting cold and dark. Mm, mm. Gonna, oh God, I wish feed, I, I wanted to get cold. I'm going to feed my chooks and then I'm getting ready to go and have some tea. But point is, is that which is that what I'm saying is, and I'm, I'm giving this some thought. Just, just, just because I, I think about these things constantly, and I, I think that the, the previous cycle cycles, um, that this cycle began with the premise that civilization can continue and you can save yourself and humanity can save itself through knowledge because that's what the garden of eden is telling you 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 take this fruit of this tree which is knowledge which is your apple your apple computer there you go you take this knowledge right and you and you figure out what life is which is the dna the tree of life or all this stuff if you've got the right knowledge, right, your Apple computer, and you know the code, right, you can become gods. You can become like God, and you can determine the direction of life, steer it, save humanity, go your own way, forget about all this. And this is all based on the Gnostic concept of life, which which goes back to ancient Egypt. It's very old, and 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 it's is based on alchemy which is transformation, which is elemental transformation. So I think the Abrahamic, uh, I'm, I'm just starting, these are just ideas, loose ideas that are coming in my head, but I'm thinking the Abrahamic religion, which is which from which comes Christianity and everything else that follows, was the counter, uh, the counterpart to this Gnosticism from the previous cycle, which says, the Gnosticism says, oh, you can survive this next cycle as long as you're smart enough. As long as you know how it all works and you can figure out what life is and blah, 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 you can survive this. And the Abrahamic, uh, and the Abrahamic cycle then counters this and says, no, you can't survive it by sacrificing your children to the sun. You can't survive it through secret knowledge. This is, this is the way. This is the only way. So you've got these two dialectics working. I think. Anyway, I, I I've, think. I've got to I think. I think reality is a bit more complex than a simple binary. But um... yeah, no, I know, but I know, but I'm just. These are just loose ideas that I'm thinking about at the moment. Uh, how they work out, I don't know. But mm. but there's something going on, uh, and and the fact that it all focuses. 
because this is exactly what the technocrats are telling us. It's exactly what they're telling us. We can, you know, we now have the means to control life itself, to control how uh, you, we can change life at a molecular level. We can, uh, we can um, actually become immortal by linking ourselves with uh, computers. Um, and, and so we have entered this realm of, uh, people would have said it was science fiction before, but, but, but this is, this is, um, this is, is, is the fact that knowledge is power. That's, that's where we've gone. That's where we've gone in the search for immortality and survival as a species, which is exactly what Genesis tells us. And that, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that trajectory was baked in. That traje traje trajectory of, I mean, the first, the first people that got sent away from the sanctuary, Cain, believe it or not, Cain had a son called Enoch. It wasn't the same Enoch that we talked about seven generations later, but Cain had a son called Enoch. And Cain built, we're told he built the first city. Now, this is all mythology. And then Tubal Cain, one of his descendants, started technology. He, he, he made, um, he, he invented music and he invented armaments, um, weapons, and he did this and he did that. God bless told, him. God bless yeah, him. So, 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 yeah, but what I'm saying is so you, you have already. What the idea is here, the idea is in this myth is man moves away from God's sanctuary, which was Eden, which is paradise. He's thrown out of God's sanctuary. So he says, well, I'm going to make my own paradise. I'll make my own sanctuary. So I'll build a city. My, my, the city will be um, um, Jacques Elol does a fantastic book on it called The Meaning of the City. And he's, so man says, Look, I'll build my own my own uh temple my own sanctuary which will be the city the city and i will i will i will harness nature agriculture and technology and and i will make my own paradise which is and then here we end up ten thousand years later or whatever in smart city, in 15 minutes smart cities hmm. this, this is this is the trajectory but that what i'm saying is they knew back then but whoever wrote that knew that this was the natural progression of, of, of man saying, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to use knowledge. I'm going to, uh, you know, you, you, you might well say to me, you can't eat of the tree of life, but stuff that. I've got the knowledge now. I'm going to find out how to make myself immortal. And I'm going to build my own sanctuary, my own little city. I'm going to, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to do this my way. You know, whatever. I think it's very interesting. Yep. There's a uh, lot to... Uh... Not to hold in one's mind as you uh, try to put the pieces in place. All right, Paul, I'm going to uh, pull. Okay, I've got to go. I've got to put my chooks away and I'm freezing. Yep. So yep. Uh, anyway, that, that was. Uh... Yeah, well, so ho hopefully we can get uh, Robert back and we can have a more. Um... Yeah. I'd, I'd, like, I'd, like to have a, I'd like to do uh, Adam Green, but I doubt whether he'd ever. Uh, he, he's. Uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, do battle with Adam Green if I could. Sometimes <laughs> it'd be interesting. Why? Wow. Um, he's uh, he, he has some good points, but he's he's really um, anti-Christian, uh, and he's he's leveraged that of being anti-Jewish, mm. um, and he has some very valid crit criticisms of Christians and Christian Zionists. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with him when he criticizes uh, Christian Zionism. And the and the and the route that many Christians have taken because they've been subverted, 
the Jews have done what they always do. Yeah, They're well, masters at subversion. That's it. The Jew always comes through, bro. Fuck yeah, say. they do. They do. They do. Anyway, right. I've got to go. Yeah, you have a good day, sir. And Yeah, uh, you too. Take it easy. What? Well, sorry, I've cut him off. <laughs> I need to... Uh... I need to use the bathroom. Um, all right, I want to say thank you. There was one donor uh, came through very, very early on, and um, another one. Uh, uh, just ZH and uh, ZH. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. The rest of you, you were all just Janet Yellens. A lot of you. All right, um, I'm out of here. I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, look, it's a, it's a rich vein to mine. And um, as human beings, I think a lot of the reason that we're here is to ask ask these questions, um, bring bring forth um, bring forth our, our better natures. Uh, so. Uh, with that, um, yes, return to Coon, good doggy. And uh, as, as we all return to Coon, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the bathroom. All right, take care, everyone. God bless. I will see you uh, in the next one. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do. I'm like I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these cappers! I will fucking kill each fucking kappa! I swear! <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Fuck these cappers! No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever flow through my fucking blood blood! Never! No. I will fucking die! Fucking fighting for my fucking bullfighters and my fucking lineage! Fuck these motherfuckers! All them five. This guy. Let up! 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 Let up